Friday, August 12, 2022. Some of you maybe listen to this late Thursday night. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. It's another big racing weekend as we navigate through Saratoga and Del Mar. So we'll get some Friday Saratoga best bets, some Friday Del Mar best bets. Then we head to Saturday for Saturday racing. A couple stakes races at Churchill. They have the Arlington Million and the Beverly D run. So we'll just kind of go through those. I didn't really love any plays in there. Talk about a few horses who I think maybe you could beat a favorite or two. Then we'll get Saturday Del Mar, Saturday Saratoga, Saturday Louisiana, full card. We'll get you best bets at Saratoga, best bets at Del Mar. Then we don't uh, dive into NFL. We're up to the NFC South. We'll go team by team. We talk about Tampa. We talk about New Orleans. We talk about Carolina. We talk about the Atlanta Falcons. Then we dive into this week in wrestling with Chad Cooper. SmackDown Raw, now under Triple H. He's the head of creative. We get into NXT and then AEW. We finish up with the old wrestling rewatch, WCW Halloween Havoc 1997. Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali join. We discuss one of the best matches in the history of WCW, Rey Mysterio versus Eddie Guerrero in a fantastic match on a card that's pretty good. There are three or four good matches throughout a couple lackluster main events with NWO stuff, Hogan, Piper, Lex Luger, Scott Hall. That's the old wrestling rewatch, and that's going to finish up this episode of That's What G Said. That is presented by BetterThan.Vegas at BTV Bets. Go give them a follow on Twitter right now. It's a website and uh, a company with a group of people that just want to help you become a better better. In fact, their website, BetterThan.Vegas, lets everyone post videos, selections, analysis, you can go over there and do so. And if you start posting your videos every week, they will tabulate the bets that you post and you'll be ranked. The winner wins money every week. doesn't cost you anything to enter. All you do is go on over, start posting your plays at BTV Bets on Twitter for all the free live streams and free analysis that we give. I host a lot of shows there for BetterThan.Vegas. Give them a follow right now at BTV Bets. Let's dive on into the horse racing portion of this episode. We'll go Friday Saratoga, Friday Del Mar, Saturday Churchill, Saturday Saratoga, Saturday Del Mar, Saturday Louisiana. Lots of Friday Saturday racing coming up. Listen in as Gino and friends give you all the specifics on who to bet and how to make some money. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to DRF.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. 
One click to bet now and DRF bets Get real time odds and scratches on race day You can tap on any horse And you get those same DRF pass performances That you're familiar with With a larger font for your mobile display One click to formulator for charts For replays if you get the formulator version And even on the classic pass performances You get the home screen with horses With odds, with buyers You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph You can rotate your phone for the best view And any horse that you click on You'll see the running lines You can easily move from horse to horse The same data as those traditional classic DRF pass performances You get an interactive format Which is Very similar to the DRF Classic version that you're used to on the desktop Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone Cross-device functionality You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next And then access your account on any of your devices On-the-go handicapping and wagering Multiple formats to view You got the overview page with recent speed figures Current day's odds Easy access to expert selections And analysis You got the buyer speed figure graph With lifetime buyer speed figures And chart notes for every horse And you got those traditional DRF pass performances That are just newly optimized For your mobile phones They are constantly upgrading Improving and making everything Easier for you To get your handicapping done At DRF.com You want to spread your pony knowledge Download the Stable Duel app and play today. Friday morning, 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time. This weekend in Stable Duel, myself, the sniper, Barry Spears, Matt DeSantis. We all go through big uh, big Stable Duel contests for the weekend. We share our best bets, and we get you all set up for Stable Duel games. And now throughout the summer, we're adding Saratoga. It's the summer stream, Stable Duel and Saratoga. Come hang out. Friday morning, 10 o'clock a.m., and find out all the stable duel information for the weekend. Get those entries in and play, race, win. Let's head on over to Saratoga. Let's talk some best bets for Friday. So get your past performances out. We're looking at Friday, August the 12th. We're going to look towards the uh, the back part of the card uh, right now, and we're going to go to race number seven. I'm looking at the number six in here. In the seventh race, I'm talking about Linda's Gift. Now, she debuted. If you go through her career overall, she hasn't done a whole lot wrong. She was a runner-up in her debut, came back and won in her second start on June the 16th. She was in a little bit of traffic, and she had to check. She had to back up. She lost like two lengths of positioning, and she had to angle all the way around six wide. She moved to the lead, and she just got passed late. It was a really good effort. Then on July the 14th, she drew post 10. She got hooked three wide going into the turn. She was with the top group at the turn for home, but that wide trip got uh, caught up with her a little bit. I think it was a better than looks effort, and she's going to turn back now. I'm giving Linda's gift a big look 
at 10 to 1 on the morning line. Anything over 6 will make a win wager there. In race number 8, it's the Evan Shipman handicap, a New York bred stakes going a mile on the main. I'm looking to the 6 market alert who won a New York bred stakes going a mile on the 16th on July the 10th. This is probably a tougher spot, but I think he can get a, a similar type of trip. And if you go through his form, he was a winner last out. Back on May the 28th, he hooked a really tough open group. On April the 30th, again, he was in pretty tough. Recently, he has good efforts. He's faced tough company, and then he has a couple troubled trips. It all makes sense for Market Alert, who is 8-1 to one on the morning line, the number 6 Market Alert. We're going to use all over, and we'll make a win wager if we can get around 5-1. to one. In race number 10, we'll move for our final of the three plays on Friday for Saratoga. I'm looking at the number 6 in here. They'll go a mile on the turf. It's a first-level allowance for New York breads for Phillies and Mares, 3-year-olds and up. I like the 6 Classic Lynn. So yeah, we're going 6-6-6, six, 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 races 7, 8, and 10. Classic Lynn on July the 20th was a step slow, was bumped, was settled fourth about three lengths off inside behind horses. She had to wait to make her run. She kept to the inside. She got right up into contention, but she was in really tight. She couldn't move through with, with purpose down on the inside, but I thought it was a good effort. That was her first start since October. So now second start off a nine-month break. Second start as a three-year-old. She's going to get Lasix for the first time. I'm expecting her to be in really nice shape for this one. Classic Lynn, the number six. She is six to one on the morning line. Anything over seven to two, we'd make a win wager there. So that is Saratoga for Friday. Good luck in your Friday Saratoga plays. Let's head to Del Mar for Friday. We're looking at Friday Del Mar, August the 12th. I'm going to look at races 2, 3, 6, and 8. So the second race at Del Mar on Friday is a 20,000 non-winners 3. I like the 2, Stones River. I think you can just put a line right through his last race. He showed speed. He faded. He was in a little tougher against 40 claimers. And now he drops. He moves to the dirt where he's been fine. He's won on the dirt. And there's just not much other speed in here at all. I mean, I'm not really sure who's going to go with him early. We have the six Big Flame who's stretching out. Or excuse me, we have the we have Big Flame who's stretching out in here who could be flashing some speed. Maybe one or two others that's hustled. But Stones River seems like consistently one who's the quickest. I think he's going to be close up early. From the inside, the number two, Stones River. Six to one on the morning line. Anything, I wouldn't want to take too much shorter than that. My value line for him was five. The third race, horse that I might look at like an early exotic single, Consternation, the number six, who's seven to two. It's a good spot for him here, after ha- or for her here, after having some trouble. Third start off the long, long layoff. She's just getting her legs back now after that long layoff. And she missed all of her three-year-old season Expect her to keep stepping forward with each race. I think it's a good spot for consternation. She's seven to two. I wouldn't want to bet her at anything less than three to one, and then maybe we'd play her as a single or on top in exotics. Let's move to race number six. Looking at the five in here, man oh man. Now he's raced twice, and both of them have been against open company. Now he's moving in with Calbreds for the first time. In his debut, he was on the synthetic at Golden Gate. 
and he sat off the pace just a little bit, which I like. He was just off the leader. The race has already come back live with the next out winner. In his second start, he tried a stakes on the dirt at Pleasanton, ran really well, and he drew the rail, so he had to be more aggressive from the inside. He opened up at the top of the lane. He just got a little bit tired, and the horse who beat him was a horse named Vegas Magic, who's an O'Neill two-year-old. That's a Kentucky bred who broke their maiden at Santa Anita with a 61 buyer and is going to be running on Saturday in the graded stakes race for two-year-olds. I think it's a good spot for Man Oh Man. There's a lot of speed in here, and he's shown that he can sit off a little bit. I'd love to see him sit in maybe third or fourth in here. Five to one on the morning line. I'd need around seven to two to play him. Favorite play of the day comes in race number eight. I really like the debut win for the number 10, Nice Guy Clay. It was on June the 26th. It was at Low Sal. He was wide all the way around going five and a half furlongs, about three, four deep. He looked like he was going to be second or third and then really kicked into a, a nice stride late in that five and a half furlong race. It was like a second gear. And he looked like a horse who will get a little bit better with more and more distance. I think being towards the outside can keep him in the clear. I like nice guy Clay. He's 10 to 1 on the morning line. We'll give him a look there if we can get anything over 6. That is Friday over at Del Mar. Let's turn the page to Saturday. And let's talk some Churchill Downs. I didn't really love anything. Most of the races I thought were going to be... Pretty formful, pretty logical. They are going to be running the Arlington Million and the Beverly D at Churchill Downs, uh, shifting them over from Arlington Park. So the Beverly D is going to be race number five. It's just a small field. Rougier is the favorite. I thought maybe Lily Pond as a wild card if you're trying to go against Rougier. Princess Grace and Delica might both be forwardly placed and impact each other's chances here. But Rougier has been a tad disappointing in her last two. Did have some trouble and had to deal with the pace that was against her liking last time out. Just no real strong opinion there, but a race worth mentioning now as the Beverly D is uh, being run at Churchill. The seventh race is the Lady Tack. It's a six for a long sprint. The way, it's just a small field. You have Bells the One in Sconson who are both going to be really tough. And to the outside, you have three horses that look like they'll be flashing speed to set up for Sconson and Bells the One. Sconson looks like she's got a little bit more tactical speed now as she's been getting older. She might be able to get the jump on Bell's the one. Not necessarily a race that I'm all that interested in betting. And we move along at Churchill up to race number 10, which is the Fort Larned. It's a mile and 316th stakes. I thought the 5 Twilight Blue was interesting, has run well at Churchill, could be forwardly placed, might be able to get the lead in here if they can um, outbreak Mr. Wireless and uh, maybe one other who wants to be close to the front end. Twilight Blue was behind Folsom last time out, and Folsom just came back to win a grade three at Mountaineer and overall has earned a, a million. So I think Twilight Blue fits well in the Fort Larned. And then in the Arlington Million, actually on paper feel like there's a decent amount of speed or pressing types because you have smooth like straight, you have Mega City. Um, I'd imagine that Santin doesn't want to be too far out of it. Calvary Charge is always pressing and Celest is pretty quick. I think it could set up well for Set Piece to save ground, make the late run. He ran into some traffic last time out. It just was not a great trip for him down on the inside when he was really starting to roll. A uh, little pace, he can save ground. Make one late run. I like set piece if he is anything in that 
three to one ish range. So that's Churchill Downs for Saturday. Little look at some of the stakes races that they have on the card there. Let's move on over to Saratoga for Saturday. Talk some best bets. Saratoga, Saturday, August the 13th. Let's go to the back portion of the card for three best bets in races 8, 9, and 11. Race 8, I'm looking at the number 11, Daunt, who on July 16th in his last start was bumped on both sides at the start. He was back to last of 12, and he was trying to go again towards the back, and then a hole closed on him. Tipped to the outside, he was in the two path And he started the move, he ran into a wall Of horses, he altered course to the Outside and really closed well He was not far from third Like three different times where he ran into some Small issues, and this race should have A lot of early speed to set up His late rally, the number 11 Daunt, who is 6-1 to one. Anything over 7-2, to two. we'll make a win wager There on Saturday at Saratoga Let's move to the ninth race The number 10 Southern Flag ran some really Good races last year as a Three-year-old and now He's going to be making his second start as a four-year-old His June race Was not very good that was his first Start in almost 11 months He should gain a lot out of that And he was in a good spot he was sitting Third he loomed up nicely Into contention and then he just backed up He didn't have anything but the horse He lost to is named Accredive Who was second beaten next Out in the grade two Amsterdam by A neck with a hundred and one Buyer that day Southern Flag ran into a tough horse If he can get back to some of the races from last year He fits really well And he's going to be a bigger price Because of that race That he just didn't finish last time out Let's move To a little later on the card At Saratoga Race number 10 is the 4 star Dave I didn't really have a whole strong, uh, real strong opinion in there I thought Regal, Glory, and Mason Would both be pretty tough But that is a, a grade 1 event And then in the 11th race to close it out I like the number 5 left on Boylston Now His debut Was on the dirt Comes back on the turf in his second start in April And he runs a pretty good third At this level He's off for a few months He shows back up in June And they stepped him up They faced Maiden Special Weights And he was going a mile and 3 eighths You can just put a line right through that race Now On July the 10th He's back at the maiden $40,000 level He has a crowded start He has to take up, he has to steady He's forced back to about 7th in that race 5 or 6 lengths off And he's traveling pretty well He stays inside, he tries to move in between He gets shut off, he has to back up Then he has to angle inside He closed really well And he shifted off the rail late for a geared down 3rd When he could have been closer without some bad racing luck I think it's a good spot for the number 5, if he's anything around 7-2, to two, I'll make a win wager. He's 6-1 to one on the morning line. That is Saratoga for Saturday. Let's move on over and talk a little Del Mar for Saturday. Del Mar for Saturday. We're going to look at races 4, 6, and 8. Fourth race is a $50,000 claimer on the turf course. I like the number 8 in here, Coast of Rhone. Now, he showed some speed in his last start. It was on May the 21st. And it was a race that they, there wasn't a whole lot of speed on paper They went 49 and change to the half mile He's always been more of a horse who sits and makes one late run And now he's in a, a race with a pretty good amount of speed And his versatility could really come in handy Coast of Rhone is just going to be making his third start off a pretty long layoff So his April race, he just didn't really fire It was in a tough spot And it was six and a half furlongs It was his first start in... 
almost a year. Came back on May the 21st, was more aggressive. He finished second, but I, I hope he has a, uh, a change in tactics and they have him come from off the pace a little bit more. He's going to go first start off the claim for Jeff Mullins. In the last two years, Mullins is 6 for 23. First start off the claim, 26% with a 361 ROI. Like the number 8, Coast of Roan, 5 to 1 on the morning line. Anything around 7 to 2 will make a win wager there. Let's move to the sixth race. It's the grade two yellow ribbon mile in a 16th. Going global is going to be very, very tough. Going global is always tough whenever she shows up. But I'm a little intrigued by the four rocking redhead who's 12 to one on the morning line. She was a winner back in May and then she was off for a couple months. She shows up in July in the Osanitas. She was tracking in fifth. And what she did that day was show that she can come from off the pace, which I like. She showed different dimensions. She got a nice split. She moved really well. Avenue de France just ran her down. She finished third. She missed second by a nose. And now Hector Berrios jumps aboard, and he has been really riding well. Papa Pedromo continues to clip along nicely. Berrios is four, has won four of his 11 turf races so far this meet. The number four, Rocking Redhead, has some speed. But in this race, there are, you know, with, with Park Avenue flashing speed, Maybe Javonica. I'm hoping Rockin' Redhead could sit maybe third in here. I think she's a great price in this field where she doesn't seem like she's too far behind a horse like Avenue de France. 12 to 1 on the morning line. Anything around 8 feels fair. Let's move to race number 8. Taking a look at the number 7 in here. That's Sydney Street. Now... On July the 23rd, she came to the U.S. for the first time. She had been transferred over to the John Sadler barn for uh, Faronis Racing. And she settled 7th in a field of 12. She was about 4 lengths off. She was in the 2 path. And then she backed up. She was about 8 lengths off at one point. And she was being asked for some runs. She got forced out wide going into the turn. I don't think she was going to win that race. But she did have to completely stop at the top of the lane because she got forced out and then she was kind of bumping around. She came to a complete stop and then started back up again and she ended up passing a few horses. I was impressed that she did that. Now it's her second start in the U.S., second time off the six-month layoff. And again, it's Hector Berrios jumping aboard for John Sadler. Perhaps he can navigate a trip through for Sydney Street, who's 8-1 to on the morning line. If we can get anything over five, we'll make a win wager there. In the Gray 2 Sorrento, that's race number nine. I really didn't have the strongest opinion there in the world. Procrastination was impressive at Los Alamitos. Satin Doll was a, a nice winner on July the 23rd right here at the meeting. Vegas Magic has been impressive in two, went up to Northern California. Towards the outside, uh, absolute zero as a, as a multiple winner. So, you know, I could see um, any of a few Getting the job done in there, I just really didn't have the uh, strongest opinion in the world. So, that is race number 9. That's the Sorrento. That is Saturday for Del Mar. Let's finish up Saturday racing with some Louisiana Downs. Get the past performances out so we can go through the 7 race card for Saturday. Louisiana Downs, Saturday, August the 13th. Let's take a run through the card. In race number 1, I thought the 4 was interesting. And here's South Al Sparky. Can he sit a little bit between the behind the one and the two who might be battling it out from the inside? If you key off his races with Louisiana Breds, three times in his 10-race career, he's been in races with just Louisiana Bread runners. He has a win 
in a second. One race where he was well beaten, but that was right before a layoff, so maybe something went wrong in that race and we can make an excuse for it. This barn is pretty good off the bench, 7 for 33 off a 61 to 180 day layoff, that's 19%. They've had some winners, including one recently, at the meet at 14 to 1. South Al Sparky, I'll use the 4 on top of the Logicals, the 2, Tripper John, and the 1, just plain Mad, who will be flashing some inside speed. In race number 2, it's a Louisiana bred maiden, $5,000 claimer. I like the 6 in here, Chief Weave, second start for Broberg. He was part of a four-wide battle for the lead. He was three deep. He was in between horses, and he was always in a tough spot. Now he moves to the outside, second off the little bit of a break, and he's a five-year-old with just three starts. He's had some issues, so with more racing, he's going to continue to get better. The number five, Thunder Jam. He's a total wild card in here. He tried tougher and longer in his debut on the turf, now cuts back to a dirt sprint, but this barn has done really well at the meet with limited numbers, and Thunder Jam has nine siblings that have won, a couple stakes winners, eight of them won on the dirt. The race that he comes out of has already come back live with Lou's Arrow winning in their next start. 6-5-4 in race number two with a four, Shankenstein, the one to beat who just missed last time out, a super logical player there. Third race, we've got Maiden Special Weights, Louisiana Breds, five and a half furlongs. I thought the seven, Henny's tune, a first-timer for Joe Foster was interesting. The dam of this guy was a six-time winner, was a multiple stakes winner. Now, her best did come long on the turf, uh, but she has produced two multiple winning siblings, and they did seem to be best going longer and on the turf. The barn has done really well at the meet with first-time starters, two winner and a second with first-time starters at this meeting. The five, Clint Boy Eastwood had a fast start was quickest, but three others went for the lead. Then he got pushed to the inside. Might be a little bit better than his last race looks on paper. It was against Open Company, and now he moves in with Louisiana Breds. Both the four and the one fit in here. The one, uh, the four blinded by the G's gets off the rail, got the lead, and opened up last out. He's proven speed. The one, My Glory B, he veered in and bumped rivals when he, uh, when he started on July the 23rd for the first time. He was a little slow to get into stride. He was 8 or 9 lengths off, but he really closed well when he tipped to the outside. Closed a ton late, just missed second. Was a little green, but loads of upside for him. The concern I have is if he's a little quirky and still a little green, now he draws the rail. He had a bad start in his debut. The rail might not be the place to be. 7-5-4-1. Let's move to the fourth race. $5,000 claimers. Three-year-olds and up who have never won four or which have not won two in 2022. The number five, Kasilov, should sit a great trip in here. He completely missed the break. He had a brutal start. He got bumped on both sides and he got squeezed back. It wasn't his fault. He was about ten lengths off last of five in that field. But he moved to the outside and he closed very well to get up for third. Now, you look at Raven's Reflection, Let It Be. You look at Horses... Uh, even a horse like Mr. Shapur, but Invincibility will definitely be flashing speed. There could be three, maybe four horses in here all pushing it. Kasilov could get a great trip from off the pace. Let It Be is really tough at this level, fits in this spot nicely. Let It Be is a five-time winner in ten starts. Let It Be crushed on the turf back in June of 2021 and then came back off of a year layoff in one at a tougher level, 
but he will have to deal with some other speed in here. He fits the conditions in this race pretty well. The number seven invincibility is kind of a wild card. Not exactly what should uh, what to do with him because he's quick and he's faced better. Boating party got a good trip last time out, and if he can sit something like that. He could work out a nice trip for trainer Greg Tracy Who's hitting at 43% with 54 runners He's won 23 times in his 54 starts so far at the meet Let's move to the 5th race We've got Louisiana bred Maiden specials 2 year olds The one JB Gray goes out for Justin Johnson The last 9 first time starters They have 4 wins, 3 seconds and a 3rd And in one of the races they finished 1st and 2nd On Sunday Naughty Lottie, Mr. Sharpie, Rap Artist, Can Attack Arch. All nice ones so far. JB Gray lures Carlos Lozada. The dam of this guy was a winner and produced six winning sibs. The number five, Run Carlos, debuted on July the 23rd and just didn't have the best of starts, was slow, then had to rush up into traffic inside, was in contention at the top of the lane before fading. Thought the effort wasn't bad and he could. Gain a little out of that and perhaps some fitness The number 4 Bates Court Is an interesting firster for Joe Foster Mentioned that earlier on He's been good at the at the meet With 2 wins and a second with uh, 2 year olds This year uh, at this meeting Bates Court is a daughter of Is a son of sibling war That dam was 7 for 29 She was a stakes winner who earned 257,000 She won her second start A million stars Has experience she ran into a couple prior Jean Son runners in Rap Artist and Mr. Sharpie. One, five, four, two. Moving to race number six. I like the two in here a little bit. Melody Rose. She was a winner in a pretty tough race on July the 5th. And for her, what's nice is that you sort of know what you're going to get from her. She's going to sit back and make one late run. She needs some pace to run at. With Hurricane Tisway in here. I think she'll get the pace. Katie's Carrot always wants to be forwardly placed. And a horse like Zydeco Music could be close with Guerrero. Now all of a sudden, if we get one more horse that's aggressive or if they end up battling, it can set up well for Melody Rose. Katie's Carrot is so tough to completely dismiss. She has won five in a row. Three on the turf, two on the dirt. She's stretched them out from six furlongs all the way to a mile. And she's drawn pretty well. Because she can sit off a little bit The number 4 Zydeco Music If she can show a little speed And maybe sit behind the speeds She I would imagine Will be forwardly placed first off the claim For Shane Wilson With the main man Jose Guerrero Jumping aboard Wilson 18% the last 5 years With a 254 ROI So that's a positive ROI First off the claim 2847 with Hurricane Tisway being one of the quicker wouldn't want to completely dismiss him because you know she may be going a little farther than where she's at her absolute best but she's proven at six and a half a few starts back and if she can clear this field I'm gonna make sure she's in some of my exotics let's finish up Louisiana Saturday five furlongs on the turf maiden claimers about the seven golden hammer damn one on the turf Lazada jumps aboard. Her races at Lone Star against Texas Breds are not bad. They're on the dirt. They're competitive. She has a little bit of speed. Now she cuts back. She can also pass some horses. I like Golden Hammer. Along with the 6 Cadillac Lady underneath, her turf race on June the 13th against Maiden Special Weights would 
beat this group handily. Then you have the two inside horses. The two, Here Comes No Mercy. The dam of this filly won twice on the turf, and she's produced two winning turf siblings. The one A priority, Magic, her dam produced a winning turf sib. That's the Louisiana Downs for Saturday. Come hang out. I'll be there providing, not there live, but on the broadcast providing analysis before and after each race at Louisiana Downs every day they're running. Let's talk a little bit about Cindy Carava. Full service realtor, one of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said. Now you need to head to her website, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com, CindyCarava.com. As a full service realtor, she can help you out with buying, with selling, with leasing. She can help you with home improvement, like connecting you with the right type of vendors, gardeners, painters, landscapers, all sorts of different folks that she's worked with, she has experience with, using in her homes, working with in her own personal home. She can help connect you with the right type of lenders that can get you pre-approved for a home loan. And maybe you're in an area where Cindy doesn't focus. She focuses in San Gabriel Valley, right around Santa Anita, North San Diego County. But if you're out of state or you're somewhere where you just have been struggling to get help, let her know. Contact her. She will put you in touch with someone that knows that area that, tr- that, she, that you can trust, that she trusts. She is one of the kindest and most genuine people you will ever meet. Cindy Carava, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A dot com. We dive on into NFL previews team by team. Up next, it's the NFC South with Eric. We get to Tampa, we get to New Orleans, we get to Carolina, and we get to Atlanta. Eric joins for a team by team deep dive of the NFC South. Continuing on with our NFL team-by-team previews, Eric, who helps us out with everything NFL, NBA, a lot of the gambling content that we have here back with us again. Eric, we're on to the second of the NFC divisions to discuss. We've already got all of the AFC teams in the books. We've already got the NFC East in the books. Now we dive in to the NFC South, and we're going to go through Tampa, New Orleans, Carolina, and we'll finish up with the Atlanta Falcons. Let's start out with the Tampa Bay Bucks. Tampa got the news that Tom Brady was going to be returning for them. It's going to be Todd Bowles at the uh, the helm. I believe their over-under is in the 11.5 range. And for them, some changes. They bring in Shaq Mason, but they do lose uh, some on the offensive line, no doubt about it. They're wide receivers. They bring in Gage. Godwin's a little banged up. Gronk's not going to be around to start. Defense should be a little bit different. They bring in Akeem Hicks, which should be a positive for them. But overall, they're a team that's, you know, a little more veteran, kind of a little bit older, led by Brady. We know that Brady's going to be absent from training camp for a little while. As we're recording this, Brady's gone now uh, for a little while. This was a planned absence. I don't know if they're the type of team I would want to invest in in any sort of season long stuff, because I don't know if they're the type of team that even cares about winning 13 games or anything like that. They may just want to be good and peaking towards the end of the year, healthy with Tom Brady and all of their weapons going into playoff time. So I don't know if I want to play them definitely not to win the division. I don't know if I want to lock in an over under of 11 and a half for them. That's a pretty high number. One or two things go wrong a pretty tough start to their schedule with, you know, week weeks one through four. Um, I don't know if they're going to be a team vying for the most wins in the league. 
So let's talk about Tampa. Uh, well, first thing is you mentioned their schedule. You know, I was looking at it last night. We don't want to lock in a Super Bowl future. We kind of want to look at some spots where we could see some value. Yep. After week four, there could be a little bit of value. Locked that's in. when you That's when you may want to play them. Because if they're yeah. one and three, maybe, or two and two, they haven't looked good. Hell, at Dallas, at New Orleans, Green Bay, at Kansas City, you could lose all four of those games. Yep. And they're in kind of a weaker division, a lot of question marks. Or even after the Baltimore game. So there's just a couple spots before the bye we can kind of look and you know, that's, I think that's one of the things you and I started doing really good at during the season is just kind of finding these little like futures to make the playoffs, futures to win it all, just because that's kind of the name of the game now. Like four or five years ago, it was like you had to get everything pre-flop. Now with the way sports betting is, you can bet. Week to week. The, yeah. So it's after every game. So it's great, you know, that, you know, Gino and I are here every Friday, like telling you guys what to lock in. So be on the lookout for that. Um, in terms of the offensive line, I'll start there. They did lose Alex Capaba and Ali Marpet. They brought in Sha- Shaq Mason. The bigger news is Ryan Jensen is still on a cart watching practice. He suffered yeah. an injury on the 28th, which isn't good. Is Brady, who's in his 40, you know, mid 40s now, is he going to be able to make up for the weakness in the interior? Because that's how you beat him, right? With yep. a great offensive line, if he can sit back and make his throws, he's still pretty tough. He's accurate. He's smart. He knows what to do. But And they've got good weapons. But yep. if there's a hole or two that you can attack and you force him to have – you know, he just throws it away because he doesn't want to get hit. He knows one more hit, and he and that may be it for him. Yep. Yep. He doesn't want to get hit at all. Plus, they don't have Gronk. Who's a good – excuse me. A good uh, blocking – Tight end, you know, he did throw the ball 719 times. Todd Bowles and Brian Leftwich have come out and stated that they don't want to throw that much. They were 31st in running last year. I feel their defense is going to kind of take a step back. So by milking the clock a little bit more on the offense, being able to run the ball, I think is pretty big. Um, and Fournette's coming off a good year last year. Yeah. It was his best year based on like pro football focus grade. He ran the ball well, and it's, that you don't want to continue to put so much pressure on an aging Tom Brady, right? You, it's not, it's one thing come playoff time, everything changes, mm-hmm. but you got to get there through now an 18 game, you know, an 18 week season with 17 games. Like you don't just show up in the playoffs healthy. If this team does and they show up come playoff time and they're there and they have their full complement, they'll be a team that's probably pretty tough, but can they make it there along the way? with some holes now and as they get a little bit older. Yeah, like that's the thing. You need to be able to make stuff as simple as Brady as you can because if you get him there, he will take you over it. But getting him there is the big thing. Um, I'm not putting much stock into Fournette showing up to camp overweight. I mean, it is – here's the thing. Like, A, I was in New Orleans for a weekend. I probably gained 20 pounds. That's where he lives. (laughs) B – Eating a lot of food, you know, but be like, you know, now you're working out twice a day. You know, you have a meal prep. It's like it, a, it wasn't fighter. week one of the yeah. of the season. Yeah, like, a fighter that goes to camp, like absolutely put too much too much stock in that. I'm a little bit concerned, you know, left which I don't want to use the term like holding his hand because I, I hate that term. But Arians was kind of there, like supporting him, kind of guiding him with the play calling. With him not there, is Leftwich really re- – you know what I mean? Is he ready for this opportunity? Yeah. Um, if he is, you know, he's going to be a coach next year. If he's not, he's going to be stuck at the OC for a, 
for longer. Uh, and if he's not, he may, Brady's not always been the easiest guy to deal with, right? Like Brady will tell you, I don't like this. This is that he'll get stubborn. He throws the ball away. If he doesn't like the play sometimes. Right. And he just kind of will show it on the field with his body language. Yeah. Uh, you know, the D line with Sue and my boy Vita Vera has always been the strength. No Sue. They replace Sue with the forward we mentioned, Akeem Hicks. Hicks is a little bit more versatile than Sue. He can line up on the inside, line up in the outside. Very good against the run. He does have an injury history the last two years. That is a worry point. But I think the bigger area of concern is they're losing Pierre Paul. I, I say it every week. If you're able, if, as long as you have that person that can get to the quarterback and disrupt the play, it help, makes it easier for the secondary. And the secondary is a weak part of the defense. And the Saints have shown the blueprint. They don't necessarily run the ball as much as they normally do. They just give the ball to their wide receivers over the middle or outside in space to make plays. And if they don't have somebody that can get to the quarterback, this secondary is going to be up against it this this year in the uh, for the season. Yeah, I've been. I think I'm a little higher on their secondary than yours because they're young. They this. What's nice about their secondary is that that since they're young and they have players that can give them like starting minutes and start and like starting snaps, they've been able to spend up at other spots. So it's given them a little bit of wiggle room, a little bit of leeway in other places. But some of these guys now are going to be, they're all there. Three of them are on contract years. Um, Dean Murphy bunting and Edwards, all free agents after this year. So those guys are probably going to go elsewhere, get probably bigger deals. They won't be able to do this type of thing next year so i'm curious what what kind of production do we get from them on contract years maybe they can step up a little bit we'll uh we'll see but i just kind of feel that you know with it being such a um such a pass passing league and the wide receivers always getting the benefit of the doubt you just have that pass rusher that forces the the quarterback to go through his progression more makes it easier for them right it's going to put a little bit more pressure on that secondary now to really be good I, i know those guys like you know, that's in the contract year. And I'm always from the philosophy, no, nothing motivates people more than money, but just having that guy that can get to the quarterback just makes on the outside, life, right. You need that edge just so much easier. And that's kind of like my worry point for them. Tampa has a schedule that opens up with a tough four games that we mentioned at Dallas, at New Orleans, and New Orleans has given them a lot of trouble over the last couple of years since Brady's been there. Then they come home, they play Green Bay and Kansas City. It's not an easy four to start. Weeks five through seven, those are winnable games. You have Atlanta, then at Pittsburgh, at Carolina. The one thing with Carolina, though, and we'll get into them, and we talked about it a lot last night, defense is sneaky. Like yeah. if, if their secondary can figure it out. They're young and they're yeah. talented. Those guys can have a big – like they can take big steps forward. Yeah, their secondary could, their defense could kind of carry because their front seven's so good. Um, I mean, I think kind of like that stretch between the Baltimore and the um, the Germany game. Yeah, against Seattle because they go to Germany, yeah. which will be fun to, to watch. Well, I mean, I'm just saying, like you you play Baltimore, which is going to be one of the best rushing teams, if not the best rushing team. It's either going to be that it's going to be them. Cleveland or the Chargers, one of those three is going to have the best rushing attack in the league. The strength of the defense last year was defending the run. So, you know, that's going to kind of be a bar to see where the defense is. Yep. And if it's going to be the defense that it was last year, 
So that's going to kind of be like and that's a, a short week. You yeah. play them on a short week at home. And then I them. feel like you got to beat the Rams. I feel you have to beat the Rams that day. Revenge spot from last year in the playoffs. You have 10 yeah. games off. You have to win that game. If they don't win that game, there's going to be some serious red flags for this team. Um, earlier, the week four game, I know it's the beginning of the season, but I, re- I like looking for these times where teams have to be on the road three times in four weeks. And I look brutal. Yeah. Stuff. That's a lot for KC. Kind of situation with the Chiefs. Chiefs have a lot of issues going on in the defense that I think someone like Brady is going to be able to take advantage of. Um, week 15, Saints have a really, 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 no, sorry, excuse me, week 13. Saints have a real late bye, and they play the Saints right after the bye, right after they play at Cleveland. Cleveland has a great offensive line, and I always kind of like, I, I use the first six weeks, I have like my, offensive line rate ratings and i like to see like how a team does the week after against the spread defense like they're beat up playing after they play cleveland after they play philadelphia the teams i think have a good offensive line how those defenses look so that's something to kind of keep an eye on but overall i think i'm just going to kind of wait back and kind of try to get a future on them after some yeah. losses, after, after losses. back two or like, three losses. Like, oh, I really feel there's like absolutely zero value on them. Yeah, it's, it's just tough to play them in any way, shape, or form. Four games at the end of the year that are winnable. They'll have Cincy, uh, the Bengals at home. Then they play at Arizona versus Carolina and at Atlanta. But we'll look for some of those spots. They're not a team I'd want to try to be forced to get to 12 wins in playing their uh, their win total. And the, sked- the division's easy. I mean, uh, easy in that there's not another big team or two that are proven. So on paper, they should be able to probably still be okay. If they won around 10 games, uh, maybe 11 games as far as winning the division. So I just imagine their schedule based on winning percentage from last year, fourth highest. Yeah. So, I mean, and that doesn't even factor. You play a team like Baltimore, they should have been better than they were. They're going to be a lot better. Cleveland will be with Watson at that point. Yep. You know, so, week 12, you know, and, uh, you know, and last, Carolina might be a lot better. Yeah. And I feel I like I think that Atlanta, who will get to shortly, is going to get better as the season progresses. I'm a little bit higher on then compared to the market. But, um, yeah, I think like I said, I think this is a team like we just kind of pick and choose weeks to play and then pick that right spot to play a future when their value is going to be a little bit higher than it is on the market right now. Okay, let's uh let's move over to the Saints. And we talk about a New Orleans team that's going to be led by Jameis. Michael Tom uh, Michael Thomas looks like he's going to be back. Um Alvin Kamara shouldn't have to deal with his legal issues through a lot of this year. I think it may be something that he he should be fine with playing throughout a lot of this year. And defensively, they're a really, really talented defense all over the place. Like they don't have a lot of weaknesses on their defense. Their defensive front is really good. Davenport and Jordan, a couple excellent edges. The defensive interior is good. The linebackers, Pete Werner, had a very good year last year. And the secondary is solid. You, I'm not as high on uh, Honey Badger anymore at this point as some are. I still, I think he's kind of a little overrated based on name. But if they can get him motivated to lock in, he he still has some ability and they've got a lot of strengths on defense. I think their question marks will come sort of on the offensive end. What can we expect from Michael Thomas? Can he go back to being, you know, a top five receiver in the league? If he is, this team could be pretty good. 
especially if they're not doing the back and forth Taysom Hill stuff. If they just let Jameis be a quarterback, I don't know if he can win a Super Bowl, but it may be better for their team overall. My only issue with them, and we'll get into it, is I think their schedule is kind of tough. What do we have them at? Eight and a half wins? Yep, that's what the market has them on, eight and a half. Okay, go ahead, Eric. Talk, talk to us about the Saints. So, you know, I love, I just absolutely go on with these like crazy ass theories and I get these weird things in my head. So this is my weird theory, my conspiracy theory. Carmichael, who's the offensive coordinator, is Sean Payton's Bill Belichick. He's the guy, he did all the play designing. Um, He was the guy that came up with the concepts. He did a lot of the stuff. And then Sean Payton was just kind of there using his stuff to run it. I went back in 2011 at the beginning of the year, um, Jimmy Graham rolled up on Sean Payton. Sean Payton missed time, hurt his knee. After that game, the Saints had 62 points, 557 lot yards, which led to Carmichael taking over offensive play calling the rest of the season. And the Saints had the most points in franchise history and fourth most yards in franchise history. The next season when Payton was suspended, offense finished third in points, sorry, third in yards, second in points. 2016 went back to calling plays, led the NFL in yards, second in points scored. This guy can call plays. He can design plays. He's been there. He's done that. I don't think the offense is going to miss the beat. Um, now, what show, is their offensive line good Good enough? Do you think they're – are they – the, where the, do you have them sort of ranked? You do the rankings, right? I have them 10. And okay, I mean, so you have them a little higher than some of the other places yeah, that I've looked at. The thing, the thing is this, is looking – they. Armstead was hurt last year, and that was their big thing. They drafted the kid Penny, who's gonna who Trevor Penny, Penny who I think is legit. He's gonna stay go, take over from left, left tackle, and Artisan Pert was hurt too. When you're missing two guys that are all pros, your offensive line is gonna take a beating. Yep. So I think Penny's gonna be able. He's gonna be able to fill in for Armstead. I think Artisan Pert's gonna be able to um, stay Pete. healthy. Yeah, and I think those guys aren't gonna miss a beat. Um, you know, someone you, like Ruiz who has been a first rounder, but he hasn't been very good, but he can still continue to get better, right? If he gets a little bit better then this offensive line can be better, if he struggles. That may be a, a little bit of a hole, but yeah, that that's one of the spots on their team that I think will can, that can show us what their ceiling is. If their offensive line can be pretty good. And like you're, you're thinking in t- maybe even in higher than how you project it with, you know, some of their upside, getting some uh, depth back from last year, if they can be inside of the top 10, well, now all of a sudden with an offensive mind that you think could be pretty good here, calling the plays. And now you have a couple playmakers back held their wide receivers compared to last year. Yeah, wide receivers are great. And something Carmichael did and Peyton didn't like it for whatever reason is he would always line up when breeze was in the gun Kamara and Thomas on the same side, you know, so you have two it's guys to defend on the same side. So a, that's going to open up stuff for Landry and Ove on the opposite side, you know, and then you have to cover those two guys who are still electric playmakers. I think he's good looking at it. And then Jameis Winston, like I'm doing a fantasy football show later tonight. He's my fantasy football sleeper, you know, just kind of looking at it. When Carmichael was calling plays, and I'm not saying he's going to put up these numbers, um, Drew Brees scored 472 fantasy points, 437 fantasy points, 422 fantasy points 
with Carmichael calling plays. I'm not going to say Winston's going to be anywhere near that, but if he scores over 300 points, it's value. That's top 10. He's yeah. top. Ten, he's a top 10 quarterback. I think that's really feasible. He's going to have a lot better weapons this year. Yeah, I and- think that's really reasonable. Um, and I think Carmichael is going to put him in a position to succeed. You mentioned the defense. They started to switch to more of a four, six front, which was a, excuse me, confusing opposing quarterbacks. They blitz at the lowest rate in the NFL. The reason they're able to do that is they have Cameron Jordan and Marcus Davenport who are able to get to the quarterback without blitzing, which is absolutely huge. Both those guys are insanely good against the run. They did lose Williams in the back. Williams is now with the Ravens, but they did add Bradley Robe, um, Taylor, and Honey Badger. So I think this group is good. I think it's a little bit underrated because people are you know, valuing the loss of Williams. But when you look at it, you know, you have an aging Tom Brady. Really don't know what you're going to get from him. Mayfield's at his best when it's a play action game and he can lean on the run. And Mariota. And you got Mariota. So it's not really like it's like the NFC West elite it's not quarterback. Mahomes play. and, you know, yeah, absolutely. You're so, right. I, mean, I, I think with the defense and the offense, I think there's value. I locked him in at plus 130 to make the playoffs. I really like him to make the playoffs. Um, I'm kind of flirting around. I haven't locked it in yet for them to win the South at plus uh, 400. I want a plus 500. That's my buying point on them. The Saints open up at Atlanta, which I think is a little sneaky. We both talked about it because they, they'll they probably win the game. But what's the line in that game right now? Um, I think the, I believe four? the line. Did you say like yeah. four? Yeah, um, like at four, four and a half, depending Saints, on the book. And um, anything over three over the field goal feels like something to lean Atlanta's way um, just based on – the fact that in week two, New Orleans plays Tampa, and that's probably a game they've got circled early on in the season as a really big game for them, where Tampa with Brady, who knows how seriously they're taking training camp. They may come into the season starting a little slow. You can catch them early on in the year, and that puts you in a good spot in the division. So maybe they come out, I don't want to say sleepy in the first game of the year, but you're not necessarily coming out with all of your best stuff yet when Tampa's next week you maybe you know you're saving some things for them and maybe you don't look quite as good so that's a spot where I, i'm gonna look to play atlanta um well i mean like i you know i've said it before home divisional dogs week one are 71 percent ats and are 65 percent straight up i mean i already know i'm gonna have the colts money line parlayed with the falcons money line i already know in my head that's when i have the lines actually up to five right now and it's they're getting uh, the money line is 180 on DraftKings, so I'm definitely going to be invested on the Falcons. I'm just going to kind of lurk around and try to get the best line that I can. Now, as the schedule continues on, they do go to London, and then they have to play six more weeks after. So they go, they come back, Seattle. Uh, then they get a couple more home games though when they return, and it's the end of the the stretch right before the bye where things could start to get really tough for them mm-hmm. from even, you know, week six on the teams you're playing are not all doormats. You've got the Bengals showing up, you get them at home. Then you have to go travel to Arizona. You play a Raiders team who we don't know how great the Raiders are going to be offensively. They might be okay. They might be able to score some points and move the ball a little bit. Then you have to play Baltimore 
and then at Pittsburgh on a short week, which will not be easy. Following that, you get the Rams at the 49ers and at Tampa all before a late bye. So if they can start out the season nice, I mean, they might be able to go four and one yeah. in their first five games, you know, three and two or four and one. But towards the end of the year, that little stretch of games from week six to 13, that is where things could get a little difficult for them. They may lose, they could lose like three or four games in a row towards the end of that stretch. Yeah, it's a brutal little stretch. And um, I mean, I'm looking at it right now. A flight from New Orleans to London is eight hours and 40 minutes. That is two hours and that's two and a half hours longer than it is to fly to Seattle. Then flying so, like cross country. Yeah, yeah. From, flying from New Orleans to Seattle. Just just for a reference point. It's a good point. I like yeah, for, good for info. people. Um, so, I mean, it is a little bit longer um they do play seattle after that you know i really yeah i don't think much of seattle and they get back to back home games which is nice so following that you come home and you can sort of for a few weeks seattle's third row game in four weeks Um, yeah you know week seven i'll definitely be fading at the cardinals i love fading teams when they're on these little short short weeks weeks. yeah on the short weeks on the road then week eight they come back they have extended rest against the raiders uh week nine no excuse me um what is it week um Week nine, they play the they play the Ravens. Okay, Ravens have eleven days rest for that game. A couple extra days. Game the before week ten, the Steelers are coming off a bye. Week thirteen, when they play the Bucks, that is the Bucks's fourth road game in three weeks. So you know, just kind of like a couple situational spots. I'm looking on their strength of schedule right now. Again, this is pure from the website, eat, drink, and sleep football. It just kind of looks at the strength of schedule based on last year's um, win-loss, seventh. But, I mean, like, again, there's, like, some deficiencies in this because the Ravens should have been better than last year. The Browns should have been better than last year. So you can kind of take it what what it's worth, but they do have a little bit of a harder schedule. Yeah. Last four weeks after the bye, um, like, you, you know, a couple winnable games with Atlanta, with Carolina at Cleveland. Not sure exactly how that'll be at Philly. That might be tough by the end of the year. I like them as a team overall a little bit better than I like their schedule because I don't know how fantastic Tampa will be. Like we said, I don't think they're going to be a 14 or 15 win team. The other two teams behind them, they should be better, but I don't know if they're legitimate double digit win candidates or, you know, like Super Bowl contending teams, this team feels like they're pretty talented and they have a lot of positive things and some positive energy right now. I, there's just a couple spots in the schedule that I think might be tough for them. The schedule's I, a little a little different, you know, a little hard. Um, I've got them at nine, like right around and, there. And I mean, the, the my big worry part of the schedule is you play Cleveland, physical offensive line, physical defensive line. Same you thing with Philly is top yeah. 10 of bo- yeah, both. You play Philly. Physical, physical, and then you play Carolina. Physical up front on the defensive side, offensive line. I don't think not as much. So that could, that's kind of like three heavyweight, two and a half heavyweight fights to end the season. Yeah. So I'm a little worried about that, but I I think this team with the South and their schedule, I think they should make the playoffs. That's why I locked them in at plus one thirty. And then you're just sort of hoping they steal a win or two out somewhere else, right? Because when mm-hmm. we look at these schedules right now things change a whole lot, right? Injuries. We're, we're talking right. about rest days and everything. They changed it now where they can 
shift games out of Monday Night Football, shift games into Monday Night Flex Football. Flex stuff all over the place. Yeah, so I mean, like, these situational spots are just could be a little different. Situational spots. They could be insanely a lot different in a couple of weeks. But, um, you know, I like their defense. I'm a big defensive guy. I think their offensive line takes a step up. And I just kind of think that sometimes we think somebody does a lot of stuff like in Sean Payton. And we were talking about how he got too cute a lot of times. I mean, like, what's the first thing Carmichael did? He put Taysom Hill in the tight end room. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like to me right there, that speaks a lot to what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. You just established right away. Just say, Hey, look, this is what's going to happen. We're not going to get cute and go back and forth. We're going to have like some consistency here because now we've the saints. I felt like I've said on your show before, there was like two years. They had the best team in football. And Sean Payton got too cute. Let's go back to that when the Rams won the Super Bowl. No, lost it to the Patriots in the Super Bowl. There is that play, and he's running like some out to some fourth string, no name yeah. wide receiver. Why? Why? Where's Kamara? Where's Michael Top? You know what I mean? Why aren't? Why are you running a play for him? You know what I mean? Like he just got too cute, or the fake punt with Taysom Hill. You know what I mean? Payne just got too cute. It was his time to go. I think they take a step up offensively with Carmichael there just because the cuteness is just out of the room. The Saints, perhaps a little feisty if you're looking to play against Tampa. Let's move on to the Carolina Panthers. Eric's favorite, Baker Mayfield. Going to be cooking some stuff up here. Now, for uh, all all that we've talked about Baker, it's going to be better quarterback play than they would have had before Baker, right? He's an upgrade. He is. He's an upgrade, and... You know, I was kind of thinking about it last night after we did our BTV thing, and I'm going to be betting Carolina. I'm going to be betting Baker. A lot this year. A lot more. And I'm going to tell you guys right now, like, the line's at one for week one. Carolina's getting one. If you think – I don't think Watson plays. No way. I don't either. So I would lock – I'd lock that in right now yeah. just because, you know, I don't think he's going to play. I'd lock that in right now. And if it goes the other way, that might move up a couple points. Yep. And for then sure. If- um, so they're over under six and a half. Yep. Six and a half okay. plus three fifty, I think to make the playoffs. Uh, yeah. So they bring in Baker McCaffrey should be healthy yep. wide receivers, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, Terrence Marshall, the offensive line. They're going to still need a little bit of help. They, they drafted, in, they drafted Bradley, the kid, right? They brought in Bradley Bowes, Chris, the, yeah. the center for the Ravens. They brought in your boy, Austin Corbett, the right guard from the Rams. Yeah. And they drafted the guy from NC State, who at one point was projected to be the top pick. They should be be better than they were last year, but still not great, but better. You're you're right in that. You're right around ceiling. You're 17. Yep. You're in the bottom third that you can maybe get to like the, the, you can maybe get to like the half point of the league. Yeah. Um, Interesting thing. Like I'm a big blocking scheme guy. Like that's just kind of my thing. I don't know how I became this point in my life. But uh, you know what I mean. But just your kind of, passion in life is blocking. Scheme my music. passion in life is blocking <laughs> by NFL teams. Um, when the Panthers ran a zone blocking scheme, McCaffrey averaged over five yards per carry. So he's better in a blocking scheme versus a power scheme. You know, back to back season ending injuries, body's obviously breaking down. He can't touch the ball twenty times a game. But this is the scheme he does the best in. So just kind of, I'm never going to draft him in fantasy after, after him being out for the year last year. And and it just in an overall football sense with Hubbard and Dante Foreman, 
Yeah. That, that Those aren't bad backups other guys to hand the ball to a few times. Maybe you want McCaffrey to run a couple routes, right? Maybe you line him up a few times in the slot or in other places so he doesn't have to get banged up in between the tackles all that much and you can get the ball in his hands a little bit. Um, I can understand that. And they have a little bit of depth there also in the backfield. So, like, I, I think I mentioned this yesterday. It feels like every unit should be a little bit better than they were last year. Almost every unit on their team. Their offensive line is not going to be fantastic, but last year they were miserable. They should be better. If McCaffrey's just playing, their running backs will be better. If it's Baker, their quarterback play should be better. Baker was hurt last year. What we've seen from him when he's played well, he's capable of putting together really good stretches, and he should be at least better than what they were getting. On the defensive side, that's where we're kind of high on them because they have a lot of upside on the defensive side. They have a high ceiling with a lot of young talent because they've had a lot of high draft picks on the defensive side over the last couple of years. Um, yeah, you mentioned the defense. I mean, Jesus. Second fewest yards, fourth fewest path passing yards. Uh, front seven, absolutely loaded. The thing is, can J.C. Horn, who was looking good before he got hurt, before he got hurt, come back and play at the level he was. They drafted C.J. Henderson, who I was very high on when he came out of LSU. But the thing was, him and Urban Meyer butted heads. So he got traded. So you have two guys, former top 10 picks. They need to be right. Because if you're relying on Dante Johnson, it's going to be hard. He gave up the 11th worst catch radius last season. So counting on him is going to be hard. Defense is so talented up front. They just need the secondary to cover. That's all they need to do, and the secondary is going to be legit. But it's important to remember, you mentioned their offense. They brought in Ben McAdoo, not a really big fan of him. He likes to play slow. So that's going to also factor – that's going to favor the defense. Unders. You know what I mean? Thinking. Slow, limited, the imposing team's time of possession. Uh we mentioned their offense. You know, they got Robbie Anderson. It's going to be interesting to see how much he gets targeted from Baker after what he said about Sam Darnold. Um, you know, I think Terrence Marshall. The one thing about Terrence Marshall is this. I looked at all his game logs from LSU. If it was a 12 noon game against blah, you know what, at four or five catches, nothing too big. Yeah. Alabama primetime, 12 catches, you know, mm-hmm. two TDs. So in primetime games, this guy's going to be sneaky <laughs> stuff. DJ Moore, you know, has the second most targets in the last three seasons combined, 12th in fantasy points and second in yards with no quarterback play. With he, he's better than you think, than you, you know, than you look Mayfield down and you go, wow. coming in, this is the best quarter, as crazy as it sounds, this is the best quarterback he has ever played with. So, you know, I think he's going to be in line for a good year, but – it is kind of worrisome having McAdoo as the OC. Uh, rule, right? Because like, what the, the jury's still out on rule too. Like, where do you stand with him? I think he's a used car salesman. Yeah, I don't think much of him. I, I was, was higher on him coming out, right? But I just haven't seen enough from him. Some of his decision making, some of his play calling, some of the situations that he's put some of his players in. I'm not going to act like he's had the greatest roster to deal with, but I haven't been impressed with how he's operated with what he's had. Well, this feels like it's it for him this year, right? He's yeah, got to show some improvement. They have to win like eight God. games for him to get, keep his job, right? They yeah. have to be around 500 or sneak into the playoffs. Winning record or winning record. That's the thing. If they don't have a nine winning wins, record, nine and eight, yeah. right? Um, he came in. He was supposed to be this analytic coach. Far from it. The one thing, and I'm big on Pythagorean win totals. That's another thing I'm big at. Um, 
they underachieved it by 1.43. So that means Pythagorean Women is basically points scored over points scored um, plus points against times games played. So that comes up with your Pythagorean win total for the year. They underachieved it by 1.43. Teams that tend to underachieve by one or greater tend to go over their win total the and next year because stuff kind of regresses. Some of the things that are built into that, like what some of the things that hurt them last year was like Sam Darnold and pick sixes and interceptions that instantly flip the game because yeah, those are the things that are like really, they like you're in these games and you're right there. And then all of a sudden you're driving and he throws a pick six that goes the other way. And all of a sudden you're down six in a game where you're driving. You probably have, the mo- like more total yards or as many total yards as the other team, yards per play, all of the metrics, but all of a sudden you're down by 14 because the guy just gave a ball away. Yeah. Like those those are things that you know you look at and now if they can just get a competent version of Baker, I feel like they'll be a lot feistier all over the place. I think they can win 7 or 8 games. I think they can go over one of of all of the things that we're talking about in this division, I actually don't mind their win total over because I think they have a pretty good start to the year with catching Cleveland in the Baker Bowl. So you're going to get a really pumped up, excited Baker and all these guys that are Baker's new teammates are going to want to be like playing well for their quarterback and doing great. I'm going to hit this guy for you, Baker. You know, like they're going to be stepping up. Baker's going to be slapping guys on the ass all over the place. and And then... Week two, they play at the Giants, who may be better this year, but that's that's if a winnable we, game. If they beat the Browns, they're going to lose to the Giants. You're right, because they're going to get up. Yeah, they're going to be the, so. They're going to be so. It's going to be a total letdown game. But then you come back and you may catch New Orleans on their letdown spot because yeah. that's you play New Orleans in a very similar spot. I think they played New Orleans last week or last year, the week after New Orleans played Green Bay and crushed Green Bay. And Carolina kind of caught them in a down spot. Yeah. So, you know, then they get Arizona at home, San Francisco at home, at home. Weeks one through five, they could be three and two in that stretch. Yep. And you mentioned last year, like to piggyback what you're saying, you know, there was that funky game against the Eagles where they lost because of a late INT 21-18. Yep. You know, then the following week they went, you know, could have beat Minnesota, lost an OT to Minnesota 34-28. Um you know, then they had that weird game where they just got boat raced by the Giants 25 to three. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, it's just, you know, they beat the Cardinals 34 to 10, then lose to Washington 21. They're just 21 17. They're just so inconsistent. And like they, it's weird when you lose it. Weeks 11 through 18s are complete losses. Your closest game is against the football team. And that game against the Patriots yeah. was a weird game too. That was one of those games where it was close. I think they were down by like six. They were driving in and Sam threw one of those big pick sixes that flipped the whole thing. And then all of a sudden, instead of being a tie game, you're down by 14. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it, Darnold's gone, which is a plus. Mayfield, he's going to be able, how can I say this? Mayfield should fire his agent because his arm wasn't anywhere near where he should have been playing last year. No, it was a terrible decision for him for a business decision. He's a pro athlete. He's a competitor. I respect him for it. You know, hell, I would probably, if I was in this situation, I'd probably want to be out there playing. You'd probably want to be out there playing. But, you know, him going out there and struggling like he did with his- That might've changed his entire life. 
Yep. That um, decision might have because if he plays well last year and they make the playoffs again, they sign him. They don't make the trade stuff for Watson. And maybe Baker's just set up there for a while with a nice offensive line and a good back, you know, and a good backfield and some pieces. But and he kind of strikes me as somebody I like if I'm trying to he doesn't strike me as a front runner. He strikes no, me as best. And he likes adversity. People, he rallies. People, yeah, when people think he's down, he has a chip on his I shoulder. I agree. He kind of gets the me against the world. When he's supposed to be the top tier dude, oh, you're you're great. I think like there's that, a weird pressure on him. I know. I don't yeah. think that's his role, right? No, he's the feistier underdog. He likes the kind of like me against the world thing. Everyone's down me. Absolutely, totally um, agree. And that's probably what why I hate him so much because him and I are exactly the same way. Um, <laughs> You know, you mentioned that 49ers game. I'm telling you guys, like, the 49ers the week before play the Rams on Monday Night Football on the West Coast. And you have to travel all the way east. I know it's a 3, a three o'clock central. I'm in the central time zone, so a 4 o'clock start. But still, that's just a tough turnaround. Yeah, you know, that's, easy. Just a, that's just a tough turnaround because, you know, you get back late, late Monday night into Tuesday morning. You have Tuesday off, Wednesday practice, Thursday practice leave on Friday or leave on Friday to go out, out East. So that's a tough little turnaround uh, for them. That's a pretty good spot. You know, they're hosting the Falcons on Thursday night football, though they're at the Falcons on Thursday night football kind of fade them there. Um, but then they get 10 days off after that game. After before that they go game. at Baltimore, then Denver yep. before the buy. So they haven't, this whole division has late buys. Yeah. Um, week 12. Great spot. I mean, they play the Broncos. And it's sandwiched between the Raiders and the Ravens. Phenomenal spot. Really like that spot a lot for them to fade to fade the, the Broncos. Denver. Yeah, total letdown spot for Denver. Where you know, week 15, you know, they're kind of fresh off the just having their bye. Steelers third road game in four weeks. So I definitely think that is kind of a uh good spot for Carolina. But I will say this, like I'm higher in Detroit. Call me a homer. No, I, think- I am too, though. Dude, did you see? I I bet you did. You, you got a Woody when you I, watched that video the I'll other day. Not, I have not watched Hard Knocks yet. I'm going home this weekend. My dad wants to watch it with me, so I'm waiting to this weekend to watch Hard Knocks with my old man. So okay, cool. Because the, the only I haven't seen it either, and I was going to watch it tonight after I put the uh, you and I recording on Thursday after I, I put the pot up for Friday. But I. Uh, there was a great video where the one one of the guys was dancing and the whole they were all clapping and it just it was a vibe it was a good vibe like you like to see that they seem like last year they like to play for the coach and there's a good energy moving forward so yeah I, I'm not gonna say Detroit's gonna be a playoff team or have a winning record I will be playing them in a lot of spots this year though yeah. I think they're feisty and, and they're I, not gonna be just a walkover for mo- yeah. for a lot of teams like you can't just look at them on the schedule and go oh Lions automatic win yeah. And for for the Panthers, they play Detroit, Tampa, New Orleans. You know, those are some pretty physical teams to end the season, too. You know what I mean? On the road, at Tampa, at New Orleans. They're going to kind of need to be in a good position to make the playoffs. Um, I do think plus three defensive guy definitely has some value. Um, What do you have him as? Seven to eight. I think I can get him. I think I can get them to eight. It's just sort of like a back and forth. Like it depends on what they come out of those first five games. If they're two and three or three and two, I think I can get them to eight wins. Yeah. So they need a good start, but. Yeah, I would play the NFC so down. Like I was talking about it on, on Tuesday with, uh, with Dave, the NFC is just so down this year. Yeah. 
there's going to be, there could possibly, there's going to be those fringe teams that get in. Carolina could fit in that. Absolutely. I agree with you. If they're a team that could be battling for a, a wild card fight, a spot at five, around 500, no yeah. doubt about it. One or two wins, one or two good spots that may look like a loss that they turn into a win. One or two teams on their schedule that's a, that are a little bit more injured. They, them over is one of the bets that I wouldn't talk people off if they liked it in this division. They're over win total. I have no problem with that. I may play that myself, like, because it's plus money too, right? Yep. So plus money on their over six and a half, you need them to get to seven. I think that's, you know, that's reasonable. I think that's very doable. Yeah. Let's finish up, Eric, with uh, with the Atlanta Falcons who have a win total of four and a half. So one of the lower win totals in overall, individually, they don't have a whole lot of parts that you're going to say, this is a great unit or this is a great unit. I think there are two spots that I really like on their roster, but you're a big fan of their coaching staff and how they were able to really overachieve last year with a banged up roster and get a lot and win, win a lot more games than they should have. Um, the spots that I really like for them are their cornerbacks, uh, AJ Terrell and Casey Hayward Jr. They are two of the absolute best. I believe last year, those two, uh, have the number here, but it's it's a little bit, it's not a perfect stat because Casey Hayward was playing in Va- with the Raiders and AJ AJ Terrell was playing here with the Falcons, but those two gave up fewer yards combined than any cornerback duo, so that could be a spot where they're good. They could have some shutdown corners there, and that could be a tough place to pick on them. They under another team that have had a lot of recent high draft picks, so they could get better as the season moves on for them to be a good team or a team that approaches 500. They are going to need big years out of their wide receiver, Drake London and their tight end, Kyle Pitts, two young studs that have a lot of ability, but we haven't seen it from Drake yet in the NFL Pitts had a better year than people probably would think based on yeah. He was good. He just didn't have a whole lot. He didn't score a whole lot of touchdowns early, so he didn't have a whole lot of think, fantasy production. People think he had a bad year. Yeah, he didn't have the touchdowns. Yep, so. you're right. So if those two can end up being really big playmakers, all of a sudden this team is a little bit more fun. Matt Ryan won't be around, and it's not as if Marcus Mariota is a great thrower of the ball, but he can move his feet a little bit. And on a team like this that's got a bad offensive line, that might help them to have a guy that can move around a little bit more than someone like Matt Ryan. So he may not be the type of guy who can go win a Super Bowl, but he may able he may be able to help this team be a little bit more competitive and not get sacked over and over and over again by just getting out of the pocket using his legs a little bit. So they could be kind of feisty. Yeah, I I like this team a lot more than I should to be honest with you the more and more I just kind of look into it. Um Let's start with their quarterback's positions. Uh, Casey Hayward, great addition. Also, let's just look at A.J. Terrell. Generally, week year three is when quarterbacks kind of figure it out and kind of get to like, like you know what I mean? Kind of like not really peak, but have that big jump. Yep. Second year, he had the 11th lowest catch rate in the NFC's NFL. So if he's able to like have that, you know, facade as a lockdown corner, quarterbacks aren't looking to that side. Other side, you got Casey Hayward. Okay, that's pretty good. Falcons blitzed only 25% of the time last season. That's one of the lowest in defensive coordinator Dean Pease's career. 
in the draft, they made two sneaky picks. I'm going to totally butcher this guy's name. Arnold Adepke and Troy Anderson. Both guys are good pass rushers, and they're kind of like specialists. That's all they can really do. You know, just kind of – yeah. That, that They're not there to stop the run. They're there to come in and get to the quarterback. I really like that. I'm looking – you mentioned their coaching staff. Five former players. I really like that, especially with this young team. That way they can teach them what to expect, what to do, and everything like that. Um, you mentioned Arthur Smith. Now, I don't know how you feel about this. I feel that the NFL's um, it's what's the term? Good old boy league. You get a coaching job because of your daddy. Scott, P example, Scott Turner. I don't think Scott Turner should be an offensive coordinator. Offensive coordinator because his dad is North Turner. Arthur Smith. It basically came out of nowhere, worked his way up, and got this job. And I think he's one of the best play callers, if not the best play caller in the NFL, just because he understands when to play fast, when to play slow, and when to play medium. He understands the pace of the game. This team won seven games last year, and they are outscored by 148 points. You're not doing that unless as a – Coach, you understand what you're doing calling plays. And I how think- to get the best out of what, what yeah. you have. This was a team that was built around Cordero Patterson as a major offensive weapon last year. Oh, because Mike Davis was just awful. awful. We liked, and Mike Davis had a great spot to be in, uh, but he was so bad. They bring in a couple other pieces that should help. A more, have, give them a more war, a more well-balanced backfield, right? They got the rookie. Important. Yeah, that's important because when Smith was with Tennessee, his he, offensive coordinator, two years, first in play-action passing year one, third last year, third his second year. You last have to be year, able to run a little bit or else that's not going to work. Last year with Cordell Patterson, eighth most. Now you have yeah. two good running backs. You have a mobile quarterback in Mariota that can do the RPOs. That's going to jump up. That's going to open stuff up for the um, for the play action game. Uh, Matt Hennessy nine PFF center in terms of run blocking. Chris Lindstrom six PFF guard in terms of run blocking. Unit is a very good run blocking unit, and having a mobile quarterback like Mariota or Desmond Ritter, if he gets some run toward the back end of the season, that's just going to help hide the deficiencies that it can't block. Um, you talked about the wide receivers. They have a they, they definitely have a wide receiver they're going for. A like type. They wise. have a type. They Drake like blondes. Young. They like size, right? Great <laughs> yeah, young, big guy. Braylon Edwards, big guy. We talked about Auden Tate, big guy. Kyle Pitts, big guy. They're getting big guys to go up and they can high point a ball. Um, one of the staples of the Smiths offense we mentioned earlier is, is Kyle Pitts. One of the staples is the tight end curl. I think he's in line for a good season. He's definitely due for some for some TD um, regression, some positive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cordell Patterson, he was just there. Like he, he was just there. Like that, that's what they were doing just because Davis was such a buster. He was and, a very good receiver, but he still was awful when running, not awful. Yeah. He wasn't great running the ball. He's not great running the ball between the tackles. He's good out in space. Cause the guy's really fast and creative. He was a kick returner. So when you can get him space and you can get him in situations where he's one-on-one and he can beat people, he's going to beat most people. And that's what ended up happening. But the touchdowns that he was getting and the efficiency that he had last year was so unsustainable. He's just not that type of player. And plus his strides, like the way he runs, he like runs like a sprinter. Yeah. With my hands right now. Um, He just can't do like those quick cuts. So I'm really not a big 
big fan of him. Um, they got Grady Jarrett, who's probably the best player no one has ever heard of. Um, really good stop in the run. I really feel that this team is headed in the right direction. And I feel like next year is the year when they kind of have that big splash and kind of sneak up on somebody. Be maybe a 500 team and maybe a team that can battle for the playoffs. I think they can make the playoffs next year. Yeah, I really, yeah. I really think that's a rea- reality with them just because I think, you know, London's going to be a playmaker. Pitts is a playmaker. So what about for their future for their quarterback? I'm a huge Desmond Ritter guy. I thought. But Ritter, you think he'll be? I thought Ritter was the best quarterback coming out of the class. Okay. Far. Cool. I think. So he, what do you think for him? Do you think we see him this year? Do you think? I think we see him this year. Middle I, of the year point, maybe after the bye. When I, they, they have a late bye, so that's not till week fifteen. They have a late but, bye, but I yeah. mean, like realistically, like you'd want like week eleven. They have sort of an extended bye there. Like you know, that they, would be the spot to put him in week eleven. Home against Chicago. Home against Chicago. Yeah, that would that would kind of be the spot to put him in there. So where do you have them? Let's talk their schedule a little bit now. Weeks one and two won't be easy. You play New Orleans, but like we said, it might be a little bit of a sneaky spot to kind of uh, play feisty against New Orleans. You go at the Rams, then you go at Seattle. Not really sure what to expect of Seattle. I don't think they're going to be great. And then Cleveland shouldn't have Watson in week four. So weeks one through four, you know, the, the at Rams is probably a loss. New Orleans might be a loss, but there might be two winnable games in there. They could come out of there with a couple victories. And if they, if they're two and two, all of a sudden a win total of four and a half, you're in really nice shape. Yeah. Um, and they just have like good spots. If that makes sense. They have, um, you know, week one, they play the saints, you know, 71% ATS, 65% straight up. That's a great spot. Um, you know, week, uh, week seven, Bengals week before of the Saints week after of the Browns weeks one through nine all Sunday games no short weeks either yeah which is nice it's just a routine you can get a nice routine for the first nine weeks of the year you know that's that's cool against a young team is good uh week 11 they have extended rest against the Bears you mentioned that week 13 they play uh Pitt Pitt the week before as the Colts the week after as the Ravens week 16 they play the Ravens week before as the Browns week after plays the plays pit. They just have like really good situational spots where they can kind of like sneak up on people. And yeah, cover. I'm not saying they're going to win, but I think this team's going to be a good covering machine. I think they have weapons on the outside of the offense because of that. I think they're a good DFS team to play good certain spots, good DFS guys or, you know, if you're in a two quarterback league, like I'm in a two quarterback league, I took Desmond Ritter as my last pick, you know, yeah. just because like I need, I think he's going to be in a good situation. And I have, Mariota might be okay in yeah. that kind of a situation because he can run the ball a little bit. Yep. Right. You yep. might pick up some extra running, rushing yards, a rushing touchdown from him here or there. Um, that will also help their offensively just give them a little bit more of a wrinkle too, you know, overall and give them some more options for their play calling. Yeah, they could. You know, winnable games, Seattle, like we said, Cleveland, the Carolina game when you're playing them at home. Then you get Chicago and Pittsburgh, both at home. Those are winnable games. Last two games of the year, you know, you have Arizona at home and then Tampa might be in a situation where they're resting players. So that could be a winnable game. I could see them getting to like six victories, you know, six wins, maybe like six and 11 here. I have them five, five to six wins. I think they'll be a little bit better. I don't know if I want to bet they're over, but I agree with you. They're a team that I won't 
if they're in spots where they're like double digit dogs or, you know, where they're getting like no respect at all, I'm going to, I'm going to be backing them a good amount of the time. I think they're going to be live in a lot of spots. I think they're going to get better as the year goes on. I think they have one of the most underrated coaches in the league. And like I said, I think, I think next year they make the playoffs like next year they can make the playoffs and who knows, like we remember last year, like talking about the Bengals, no one saw no was doing what they're doing. And I don't know, maybe, you know, they're in a weaker division. Let's say Brady gets hurt. Let's say maker Baker Mayfield struggles. And let's say and new Orleans isn't really yeah. right. Yeah. Like, who knows? I mean, Michael Thomas isn't quite back to him. Jameis gets banged up a little bit. And then all of a sudden now they're in a situation where they don't really have a quarterback, you know, like, yeah. So, I mean, it's, yeah. You know, I have a played out in my head where they could, I think they go over. I love their over. I'm probably going to wait a little bit because it kind of seems to me like everyone's just dogging them. I think I'm going to get a better line as it goes on. Um, in terms of, preseason preseason is kicking off right now like you said we're recording thursday night a couple preseason plays i like we actually talked about the two teams preseason i bet on backup quarterbacks so with that being said betting on the falcons because it's a quarterback competition those guys need to look well so that's on friday right they play friday and they play the lions yeah pick them against detroit and then um at carolina i mean carolina's got three guys they have um Cordell, the rookie. Corral, Baker, and and Darnold. Yeah, you know all those guys need to look good, so all those guys are going to be playing. Like those, like that's what I'm. I'm looking to play teams with quarterback, quarterback competitions. They're on Saturday. They play Saturday morning. Yeah, there's four teams that have quarterback competitions this week, and they're going to be the one this preseason. So weeks one and two, those are going to be the four teams I bet. Seattle, Pittsburgh, who are playing each other, so they cancel each other out. Atlanta and Carolina. So every week, those are going to be kind of the teams like I look to bet just because the quarterback's the most important. They have the most incentive. They have the most they need to prove. They have the most reason to to actually show up and play. And that's Whereas- why like, these coaching staffs, they need, how can I say this? They need a guy that can run the sets. Yeah. So they're going to be running more sets than, um, than a team like Detroit. Detroit knows golf's the guy. You know what I mean? They, yeah. know, gol- they know golf's the guy. My guy, my guy that is in there is there all the time he says the offense is looking great and he he thinks this isn't confirmed they're going to go really generic friday night or saturday whenever they play friday or saturday so i don't know like i those are that's just kind of how i look at betting the preseason everyone's got their different different things they do but eric tell us what uh what's going on this week for you earlier in the week i uh it's part of your show again, continuing on with my uh, my giving out losing horse selections. But Dave, my old buddy from TVG, joined you to uh, preview one of the divisions. What other content did you have coming up this week? And then what can we look forward to this weekend? Um, my podcast comes out Thursday night, hopefully. Um, I've been having a lot of Wi-Fi issues at my house. Um, should come out. Um, XFL Jim is going to be talking, getting out some CFL bets. My boy Brandon and I are going to be talking NASCAR. He had a 25 to one winner uh, last week. Um, fantasy Flojo, who was in the league with us last year, him and I are going to be breaking down the fantasy football quarterback position. We're going to be giving out our top 10 rankings and um, the ga- gambling God. He never told me what his first name was. He reached out to me. He's like, Hey man, can I come on your podcast? you know, talk a little NFL with you. So he came on him and I talked to NFL for like 15 minutes. So, uh, yeah. Lord. Uh, what name? Maybe his name is Lord. I have no gambling. G- God. G- Jesus. 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 I'll tell you, I'll tell 
tell you what, it was kind of, I'll tell you, I'll give him credit though. You know what? Anytime someone reaches out to me to come on the podcast, I'm always a little apprehensive just because I, it really takes a lot for me to trust you. Yeah. You never know. And especially if it's someone who you haven't seen yeah. their content and or heard their stuff. Never, him and I have never really talked, but you know what? He came on and he did a lights out job. I mean, awesome. he was like, you know, he really knew his stuff. You know, we disagreed on a couple things, but you know, That's you and I great. both agree. It's better to disagree than have someone that constantly agrees. So absolutely, uh, you need a little dissension here and there, especially when yeah. it's someone that you respect and you know that they put in the uh, yeah. so put in I, the time. We had a good like 30, 20 minute chat about the NFL and everything. You know, a couple cool, couple teams that like we like and a couple spots we like for week one. So yeah, good stuff. And then um, you know Tuesday, you know that the live shows back. That's been going pretty good chat rooms been pretty live you know we've had some people in there ask some good questions you know props you know thank you for the dave weaver connection you know my uh my internet gave out midstream with uh when dave was on and dave just kind of took it over and just kind of ran with it till i was oh that's so out. great that is so great so, uh, yeah you know it was uh it was really cool talking to him and everything so um yeah you know him and i have a what do we have we have a miller light bet on how the san francisco 49ers do this year so cool Awesome. Yeah, Dave, yeah, Dave's a great guy. He was one of my favorites to work with, and he's a lot of fun. So he told me, he said, man, uh, Eric knows his stuff there. I, I I prepped more to come on his show than I did for a lot of the work that I do. It's last year, he said, so at least I'll be ready for NFL stuff because I wanted to make sure I was ready to go. So I uh, love Dave, and I'm uh, glad right. that you guys linked up uh, there. So Eric, we'll, uh, we'll continue on. You and I will have uh, – where are we going to go next week? What are we going to do? NFC – the north. Or the north. Yeah, we're going to the north. NFC North yeah. next us, week. Us locals call it the Norse. The Norse. Okay. King of the North. We'll go talk about Aaron Rodgers and the uh, the Vikings and the Bears and your boys, the Lions. So yeah, the next Lions, week. And I'll tell you what, I have an insane hot Delvin Cook cake. So be ready oh, for that. I love it. Make sure to give Eric a follow. Etoff21 on Twitter. Check out all of the great stuff, his podcast. Um, all of the different shows that he's doing for Better Than Vegas and on social media, everything that Eric um, handicaps talks about. He's always prepped. He's one of the best out there. So thank you, buddy. Good luck with everything this weekend. And uh, we'll talk some North next week. Looking forward to it. Folks, don't go anywhere. We still have a lot more to come on this episode of That's What G Said. Stay tuned. Make sure to give Eric a follow and uh, check out all of his great work. Big thanks to Eric for hanging out with us, talking some NFC South. Let's jump from the NFC South and football on into wrestling. We're going to dive into this week in wrestling with Chad Cooper. We'll get to everything going on in the world of SmackDown in Raw for WWE. Then we get into NXT. Then AEW, CM Punk made his return. Triple H is in charge now on the WWE side with Creative. Chad Cooper joins to talk about everything going on in the world of wrestling. Here it is, folks. Fight of the night. And trying to claim that belt once and for all. It's this week's wrestling recap. All right, calm down. And here he is, your hometown hero, your reigning champ, the one and only Chad Cooper. It's that time of the week again. It's time to talk wrestling on That's What G Said podcast. This week in wrestling with Chad Cooper. Loop joins us. Coop, my man, I feel like this week, in the last couple weeks in general, 
But there was a good night for AEW They had a big return last night It was a pretty decent show They had ratings that were up a little bit And WWE, ever since Triple H took over creative There have been some noticeable changes Some great energy and a good buzz Feels like it was a really good week to couple weeks For wrestling coming into this uh, this episode Yeah, I, I think WWE continues to just keep rolling it, 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 It's You know, it started Let's officially say it started at SummerSlam Yep, I agree uh, Even though Triple H uh, had taken over the night before on SmackDown But uh, they've just been on a roll with a lot of surprises A lot of a lot of callbacks um, AEW was an improvement And, and I'll tell you what, man um, And I kind of briefly mentioned this last week I thought the show that that uh, of of WWE shows I was concerned with NXT 2.0 with Triple H now being so heavily involved on Mondays and Fridays I thought this week for NXT 2.0 was a little down and it felt really kind of AEW-ish to me there was a lot of people involved in a lot of things the show was still okay but it just didn't have that same feel to me for for NXT there were a couple things I liked. There were a couple wonky things. Apollo Cruz, like seeing <laughs> the future. Yeah. Where you could see he had that little vision of what was happening. But then he had a great match with Roderick Strong. That was Truth awesome. It. That was a lot of fun. Uh, we'll get into NXT in just a little bit. We'll start with SmackDown. We'll get to uh, Raw. We'll get to NXT. And then we'll finish up with AEW. So uh, heading back to Raw last week, the August 5th edition, a couple things that made me feel. Really good coming out of the episode. We had Ricochet versus Happy Corbin. Ricochet gets a win. He looks impressive. The announcers are putting him over. And Ricochet is someone, one of the people that we mentioned, who would love to, we'd love to see get a bigger push. And now with Triple H in, maybe he can just get treated a little bit different. He can have some longer matches. He could get to show his talent, get actual builds and some storylines and be someone who contends. His in-ring ability, there is no reason why this guy can't be in the main event based on no. what he could do in the no. in-ring with just yeah. push building him like it. Yeah, and it felt like kind of a a showcase again for him. Not that yep. hey, uh we don't know how good he is, but it it's we need to be reminded in this wrestling world because if you're off TV for a couple of weeks, it doesn't take long for someone else to come in and, and steal your thunder and take your place and we're on to the next one. I thought this was a showcase builder again for him, and I thought it was a good job for Triple H to do that, to put him in a very meaningful match on uh, on Raw. We uh, we had Sammy all throughout the night kind of asking to talk to Roman Reigns. He was asking where Heyman is. Why hasn't anybody been answering his text? He's part of the bloodline. And the Usos kind of snapped on him a little bit and sort of told him, hey, look, you know, we've all got titles. We've all got stuff. And you've got nothing. So the storyline with Sammy and the stuff with him just makes makes me laugh. It all, it all comes off really entertaining uh, what Sammy's doing. And we saw him pop up a few times throughout the night. At one point, when he can eventually... Turn back and become a baby face He might be able To be the baby face that they Wanted him to be like or The guy that he was in NXT you know Just a baby face that people Love because now he's Become entertaining as a heel When he turns baby face Again I think he'll people will get Behind him and just be more interested in him Than they were before 
you know, and I've kind of liked what they've done with him and not get him involved uh, in SummerSlam because sometimes when you put too many pieces of the puzzle together and, and it just seems like you're trying to just squeeze everything in. Well, this is our um, complaint about AEW a bit and, and what you were just saying about NXT. So we yeah. would also complain about it when they do it for any wrestling, right? It's not like we're picking and choosing our spots. It's something that when you do too much yeah, and you have to like, Start doing the math in your head of like what's going on there, here, and this and that. And once it it becomes too much, Simple yeah. And a lot better. of people, yeah. And a lot of people were going, Where's Sammy? Where's Sammy? Well, he, he's always kind of been there, but he he wasn't really being taken seriously in the bloodline. Yeah, they they let him be an honorary member, whatever it was, but for him to come back, um, and, and do what he does and have that puzzled look on his face, he's knocking on the door. They're not letting him in. Hey, you better hold your watch. You know, they kind of threatened him. They said, oh, we're just joking. Then we're not. I, I think we're ready for a massive hill turn here. And I think it's going to be a massive, I think it's going to be a massive pop. Uh, a, a lot of good. There's going to be some good pop when he finally does turn. And you know what? You know, if, if, if we're ready, not ready for someone to be that guy on SmackDown yet to take the titles away from Roman. How fun would it be Sammy as a massive baby face going one-on-one with Roman Reigns for the title? Oh, guy, it, it, it will sell. People, really will, good. people will get behind him again, too. They they really will. Oh, he got a, you know, KO got a nice little sort of freshening this weekend, too. We'll talk about Kevin yeah. Owens. You know, they were treating him again like how he was right when he came into NXT, then right when he came up into uh, WWE. So I like the little tweaks that they've done with a lot of characters and – Nakamura is going to be facing Gunther next week. He beat uh, Ludwig again, and this is this is definitely a complaint. We've seen this now a yes. bunch of times, right? Yeah. We yeah. didn't need to see this again for him to get there, have him beat someone else or do something else. The match sh- should be good, should be fine. I have no problem with the Nakamura IC title match for Gunther. If you want to continue to build him, it doesn't feel like Nakamura should be winning that thing, but it. This was we didn't need another one of these matches no, along. I was just about to say, I don't think we needed this long to get there with Shinsuke. No, this should have been at SummerSlam. Because, yeah, uh, that match should have been at Slum- SummerSlam, and maybe there was a reason why Guther hasn't been wrestling. Don't know, but I, it, you know, look, it was a fine match. We've just seen it again. There's not really thing, really anything new we're going to get out of it. The match is going to be excellent. It should be fantastic, and. Uh, you know where I stand with Guther. I, you know it's good to see Shinsuke back in it. Uh, maybe after this, uh, this kind of elevates Guthor a little more, and then maybe we get something fresh and new with Shinsuke because it just seems like he's been involved in this in this U.S. title picture for what ten years now. Yeah, for the IC to, title. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, excuse me, IC title. He needs to get out of. He needs to get out of this title picture somehow, some way. But I am looking forward to the match. It's just kind of a kind of a. You know, a lull there having to sit through this match again on TV after we've seen it here recently. And no, yeah, knowing where we were going, we then got Liv Morgan. And this is this is sort of interesting because I don't know what they're doing with Liv, and I in a good and bad way. Meaning, do they have a plan with her? Are they were they trying to have her turn a little more heelish and be that way? 
or was this something that sort of backfired? Did they not, did they send her out there and not realize she was going to get the response that she did? She comes out and the crowd kind of turns on her a little bit, and she says, "Hey, look, I was I tapped out like after I thought I I thought I had the pin, and and I want this more than her." And she kind of was like sniping back at the fans a little bit, and this was. What led, and this was right before the gauntlet match that was going to determine who the number one contender is. And Rhonda is now suspended because of what she did at SummerSlam with the officials. <laughs> or, um, so I, I'm not exactly sure what they're doing. If they're trying to turn her into a heel, then okay, it's working. If they're not, and this was sort of just like a backfire thing, then then this just didn't then this didn't go well. If it's a backfire, um. There, there's 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 an issue. Um, we we were concerned about this heading into SummerSlam with Liv Morgan. I did not like the finish to that match at SummerSlam. It was awful. It was I, awful. I it did nothing for either one of them. No, I don't. They think keep trying face. to protect everybody, and you, you just can't do that at big matches and big shows like that. No, and I, I think in large it has to do more with prob- probably Ronda Rousey than it does with Liv Morgan. That's not Liv's fault. But a babyface who's the champion should not be tapping afterwards. This this is kind of like a heel finish, you know. The face winning, I, I I just I don't like that the way this was going. Um, I thought the gauntlet match was absolutely fantastic. Just don't think, you know, uh, I I just don't think this is the right opponent for Liv. I know this is probably just something to. Be creative here. We Rhonda, it seems like she's suspended all the time. And I know that's a way to get her off TV, get her out of a out of a storyline here. But Shayna Baszler and Liv Morgan, I'm gonna be honest with you. I would have rather seen Raquel Gonzalez. She was the one that was most impressive in that match at all. And I know that she's a she's a baby face, so we probably weren't gonna get it. So that's why I thought if you're gonna turn Liv, you know, somewhat heel, um, I thought Raquel would have been the perfect opponent. I, I just don't, I don't, I don't it, think Shayna Baszler and, and Liv Morgan it, does anything for, for either one of them. Or, well, you know, Coop, it seems like it seems like you're going to get whenever we have Shayna around, you sort of think about Ronda. Sure, that's a good so point. You, so good you point. wonder if it's going to bring Ronda in or have some involvement with Ronda. It just seems again seems like a weird pairing for Liv. And that was my problem with with I guess my only problem so far is that okay, they don't want a whole lot of people to be beating Ronda. I can understand. They probably want to save that for someone like Becky now that Becky's a baby face when Becky can come back and that could be a WrestleMania match next year. I get that. But if you wanted Liv to win the money in the it's it's you book this stuff. You know what I mean? Like you pick who you wanted to win the money in the bank and how they did it. Nobody forced, there wasn't an injury on this side that forced you into doing it. You could have had live win the money in the bank and just wait a little while. And now all of a sudden Rhea Ripley's back live doing something with rip with Ripley all of a sudden would make a little bit more sense. You know, um, I just don't know if now like live with Sheena and live with Rhonda. It was the greatest pairings for live right off the bat. For someone, I, I'm going to take. I'm going to take your words. I, I think they've they've booked themselves into a corner with Liv Morgan here. I, I don't know how many options they really have. Um, I, I, you know, I, I know you think it's kind of like AEW. 
Um, I don't know if the Russians see a punk back, back or not. I don't know if, oh, hey, it's not as bad as we want, you know, we thought it was. And, and you just never know with injuries. Uh, you know, these these athletes are are just so much differently bred now uh, as is technology and medicine as it was 10, 15 years ago. So you don't know how long really someone's going to be out. I, I, I just I think it would have just been better served. I know you want to make that moment with Liv Morgan cashing it in, but since winning the title you look at the champions in wwe every time the they win the, the title list. and then every time these baby faces win the title they can't do anything with them to nope. think about Big E. think of even back to brian danielson daniel bryan and then when he he got hurt unfortunately but they have the big moment they win the title and then bianca for a little while was getting stale she was unlucky with what happened with Rhea, but then you know, you get Becky back in, and, and that was better. Her and Becky always have good stuff, and now at least Bailey's making Bailey and them coming back. Is Bianca feels like she's in a better spot now? But absolutely, you know, a lot of these baby faces they struggle right after they win. Um, we uh, so we'll, do, do you see after this feud? Don't you see Charlotte Flair coming in and, and winning this title again? Yeah, it's got to be. Yeah. And then I think. I think eventually, however we'll get there, we're going to get to Becky versus Ronda at WrestleMania. Sure. But I think Charlotte should, Charlotte's starting to pop up a little bit more on social media, so I think she'll be back pretty soon, sort of feels like yeah, that. Yeah, and I think she's ready, too. I think all, mm-hmm. from all, you know, I think she was banged up a little bit. I think she's ready. But, hey, you and I both said, you know, and, and, the, and the entire WWE universe have, have said it for a while now, we wish they would push Liv. They wish... It just seems like now that she's got the title, I, it's it's not as easy, man. We say it all the time. It's just not as easy when you win the title. She plays the underdog role so well. And I'm saying she needs to be the lonesome loser forever because look at Becky. Becky was the same. She, she, she was in this exact, exact same situation. She, she was a baby face. She was losing all the time. I, I just don't know if this if Shayna Baszler helps live out at all. Now it's intriguing that you bring up Ronda Rousey Because Shane is involved Maybe we see something in a direction like that And we can go, ah, okay It makes better sense now But, oh man, you know Maybe we see some improvement uh, This this Friday night on SmackDown with Liv But really tough for her right now As a champion booking her Viking Raiders got a squash And then it was kind of interesting We had a promo from Kofi earlier He mentioned that Xavier's out for a little while Big E's still out And that he's by himself And so I don't know if this is going to lead to anything, but I thought it was kind of interesting and maybe gave Kofi a little bit of a direction. He picked up a win afterwards over Eric, and that was uh, I just I wasn't anything huge, but I sort of just liked the fact that Kofi t- Kofi mentioned it. He talked like he had a little purpose, and we forget like, oh yeah, this guy was a world champ, you know? Yeah, yeah. And you bring up you know again some valid points, and and what I'd like to interject is is some. Sometimes these good, talented wrestlers get just so uh, kind of you kind of get stuck in a tag team or or, 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 or a certain spot on the card, right? You know, like a level card. on the card. Yep. Right, and, and then you, you're the new day. You're the new day. You're the new day, right? Or you're street profits. You're street street profits. And then these guys get in and do their solo thing without anyone else at ringside, especially Kobe, because people are hurt. You forget how really good they can be by like likable. Kofi's really likable. He's one of the few people. Yes, man. When you think about baby faces, and we're talking about people that you don't want to cheer for, people love cheering for Kofi and Montez Ford. 
right? And the and that's we don't get that quite as much. So I I, I like this a little bit here, and we finished up with Roman Reigns talking uh, with Drew McIntyre and Karrion Cross shows Man, up what with Scarlet and immediately no and let me say no idea we've seen Karrion Cross one time. I have no idea what their plans are with him, how important, how big of a deal he is going to be moving forward. But if you bring in someone, you have to make them feel important right away. Because if you don't make them feel like a big deal right away, then it's going to be really hard to make them get there. You got to try to aim for the biggest right off the bat. And if it dies down, okay, and maybe he get he loses to Drew or what Roman or whatever it's going to be. But right now, compared to when he came up six months ago, a year ago, whenever it was, and he was doing the gladiator thing and he had the weird headgear on, there was no Scarlet there with him. He didn't have the entrance. This guy with the package around him, even if you don't love his in-ring stuff and don't think it's fantastic, he still had some pretty good big matches in NXT, and the the presentation of him is really good. He felt like a big deal. It felt important, and I'm very curious what they're gonna what they're gonna do with him. So let's. I, I don't know how long this segment was Friday night to end SmackDown. His portion. Let's say it was two minutes or less, and it could have been one minute or less. I don't know. Which it, it felt like it. Compare this, what happened last Friday night, let's say two minutes, and put his entire WWE career, not just the gimmicky stuff you talked about with the gladiator and the headgear. The Jeff Hardy stuff. Go back to even further, the NXT where he was champion. How much more important did he feel in two minutes Friday night than has he in his previous WWE career, which included NXT? You're right. Just standing out there with those two guys, just just standing with Roman and Drew, and to, and and put a cherry on top. Scarlet's with him. That's all and we wanted, dude. She looked That's great. What we wanted. She they put the great. hourglass up there this on the was, ring. Hey, dude, this was a hot crowd too. So this was a great time to bring him back into this. You know, because you never know what you're gonna get. But there, you know, there are just so many other rumors out right now with WWE. Yeah, you. you I think we saw who we saw on Monday Night Raw with Dexter Loomis. I've been told that Johnny Gargano has already re-signed with the WWE. And you don't want to do it. And and here's where they're doing it smart. Yes. Because one, you can't do it all at once because these are still shows that are getting like 2 million viewers. Right. There are still things on these shows that were good. That were going well, that were stories being built, and they're talented people. You can't just go and say, okay, we're gonna, everybody that was getting pushed before is not gonna get pushed anymore. You can't do that. But what you can do is what they are doing is start to rehab people the way that they've been treated. Do the best job right now with all of the people that have been out there, make them all look a little bit better, and then start bringing in people little by little. We saw with the women. Oh my gosh, what they're doing, um, you know, as we're making the transition over, but it's sort of in the same thing as what you're talking about with how good they made Cross look. It's with the women on Monday night. In one night, this tag team championship feels incredibly important. Incredibly. They've got the tournament set up. They've got the bracket ready. They've made a big focus of it on Monday. They've let the women be a big part of the show. Opening segments. 
closing segments, multiple segments throughout. And when you see them and they stack in the ring, Bailey, EO, and Dakota standing across from Bianca, Alexa, and Asuka, and you don't even have Becky, Sasha, Charlotte, Rhonda, like all the <laughs> all of them. We're we're not even talking about them. Like think think about that in comparing to other women's divisions and organizations and stuff. Like think about that depth where that feels like such a big deal with those six women standing against each other on Raw. They are going to have a tag match at the Clash of the Titles, six woman tag. That is going to be a blast. That match will be oh, fun. Gosh. Those those oh, ladies yeah. are going to go crazy and they're going to like have some really fun spots. And it all of a sudden compare this to like the Queen of the Ring tournament they did, you know. Not that long ago where every match was like a two or three minute squash and there wasn't sure. a big deal. This feels like a big deal now. They're they're doing it really well and really smart. And you can just feel like every wrestler seems to have a little bit more of a bounce in their step right now. Yeah, and I think a lot of them have a lot. Of, I think a lot of them have chips on their shoulders. Look, look at Alexa Bliss, the way she's been booked since last WrestleMania, not this year, 2021. Horrific. Okay, the silly doll thing. Um, so, so she now has the opportunity. Bailey was injured. I, she's been chomping at the bits. Uh, you just, you just look at the different faces in this women's division, particularly uh, four or five of these, and take Bianca out because she's the she's the Raw Women's Champion. But Dakota, look what they did with her. She was supposed to come up. Everything happens for a reason. She got released and immediately she's in a better spot right now than she ever would have been been. if she would have come up six months ago or a year ago. Oh, she would have been a Leah 2.0. And I hate to say that. 100%. She might have been Tony Storm right now again. She might have come up for a little bit, gotten like one match or something, didn't like the way she was getting treated, and then just said, screw it, I'm out. Who, by the way, is the new. The new number one contender again for the AEW women's title. We'll get to that in just a second. Um, I just think these ladies have a chip on their shoulder, and I, it, it, even EO. Um, I I think this this is a main event. People type. are forgetting how good she is and yeah. what she can do in the ring. She's awesome. And she's like incredible. Said, without, without these big faces and these big names, and now you're hearing there's rumors that Sasha's coming back, Naomi's coming back. And look, I'm not saying that that hey, um, I, I wouldn't take them on their roster. But it's kind of refreshing when you get bad attitudes, bad apples out of the locker room. And I, look, I don't know even one of those ladies personally at all. I saw a lot of people complaining that they spent five hundred dollars trying, you know, and wanted to take a picture with Sasha. And yeah, the sta- they were the sta- those away. pictures were so funny because <laughs> I think were, uh, she was pointing at them. Those are yeah. funny because you know, if it was a in the, if it was like a COVID thing, it's one thing. But <laughs> Sasha has pr- been like the opposite of that, so it was more yeah. of just like I just don't want to stand next to you thing. Yeah, I just don't like you. So <laughs> which, it, which was but, funny. Yeah, but does but uh, seriously, I, look, I, uh, of course they want them back, and they don't want them in in a uh, your rival company. But hasn't it been kind of refreshing without some people in the locker room? And, sh- and Charlotte, like I love Charlotte. Yeah. I do. I I'm super higher like on Charlotte than almost everyone. People get annoyed and bothered yeah, by Charlotte. I, I think <laughs> I think Charlotte is so good and like the best ever that I always think she should be involved and in the mix towards the top of the card because she really should. But it is nice to see how deep and how talented they are. And I think 
So they set up the women's um, bracket. They had a first round match. Dakota and EO beat Dana Brooke and Tamina. So it looks like they on the other side are going to be facing. I'm I'm assuming it's probably going to be the combination of Oscar um, and Alexa because that will sort of lead to their match at Class of Champions. And they, something funky can happen in that match. Maybe we could even see one of these weird double count out. I don't know. So I could just see that's got to be where they're going. On the other side of the bracket, we have uh, Nikita and Zoe Stark teaming up together, which yeah, is that's, interesting. That's, that's interesting. That's really interesting there. So they released those uh, those brackets, and they gave the women a lot of time throughout the car throughout the night. Lots of segments. You know, the women opened up the show. They made their match for Clash. They talked all about the uh, the brackets and everything. So really good stuff there. And look, let's be honest, Gino. Uh, everybody thinks we 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 bow down to WWE booking. I'm going to tell you from day one. These, I, I think in the beginning, well, I thought the idea was fantastic, and I thought in the beginning it was booked well. But for the longest time, these WWE women's tag team titles have been a Joke. They've been an afterthought. Whoever wins it, you can tell immediately because they're instantly put together as a team, and then they ha- they win the titles, and then they do nothing with them afterwards. Terrible. Right now, it at least feels like there are some teams being formed, and that yeah, and that leads to my point. I don't. I think titles are being made to be relevant again, and yep. it is and not just being made to be a title. Not just not just not just passed around, and and who knows? I don't know if it will. I don't know if Triple H enjoys this 24-7 title, but I think he's going to be bring some respect back to these titles instead of just, hey, get him past. Hey, you're the new champ. Hey, it, it, it's an honor in professional sports, not not just wrestling, but every sport to win a championship. And, and the way some of it's been booked, I don't think some of these some of these athletes in in some of these wrestling organizations have respected the title enough. And I think Triple H is old school enough to bring some of that respect back. And I'm getting the sense of that in this tournament, this women's tag team tournament. I mean, you got the fingerprints of of Triple H all over this show. If you just sure. look at the things that stand out, Seth Rollins wins. It's been kind of a oh, fun yeah. little TV feud for Rollins sort of against the Street Profits. Sure. You know, you need things sometimes in between pay-per-views and to, to pass along the time and Seth was probably supposed to be doing stuff with Riddle and for whatever reason they've they've pushed that down the line so and Riddle's you know, off TV or something's wrong now I, I don't know what's going on there me I neither really- this was sort of weird because it didn't seem like he was really injured it was supposed to be sort of storyline but now we're not hearing much from him so I don't know maybe they're figuring something out with Triple H now in charge and maybe they're uh, changing things altering things a little bit but you got almost in a row Seth Rollins get with with a win. Kevin Owens, who just basically power bombs Ezekiel on the side of the apron, and the match is over. And KO just walks out and cuts a promo. Says, "I know there are a lot of people watching, and I just wanted to remind everybody you know, <laughs> who I really am." I, I think. Let me stop you right there because this was an interesting little segment. I, I, this was definitely. To show exactly what Kevin O said, because I think Triple H is a massive, big time Kevin Owens fan. Oh yeah, just like the majority of us. I, I think this Ezekiel things ran its course. Um, I, well, I, for whatever reason, when KO went away, it, it was funny and it was doing well, but they didn't have. They were getting ready to to start to 
you know, have some of the reveals and some of the fun part. And then KO just wasn't there for a while. And it was like they just forgot about it. So well, I think, it's fine. I think we're going, yeah, I think we're going in a direction where Elias comes back. Yeah. I, so it's I fine. The, don't yeah. don't worry about that stuff anymore. If you can't yep. you can't recreate what was there, it was kind of naturally funny. And if you go back and try to do it again or it won't be as good. And hey, look, they tried. They put Elias in a match with Seth Rollins. They put Elias in a match with, uh, or excuse me, Ezekiel, Ezekiel. Uh, in a tag team. Didn't work. Didn't work yeah. at all. Because you needed you needed KO, and they they kept they they couldn't really do. He was dependent on Elias and on Elron or yeah, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, kind of dragging on with some of these segments, which were funny. But at the end of the day, we got to get a payoff. Quicker than not in these type of feuds And I think this opens the door to get rid Of this character and definitely bring Elias back and let him and KO Go at it on a pay-per-view match So we also Then get uh, Damian Priest challenging Edge in two weeks in Toronto Just like we had been hoping We want to see Edge in some singles matches Against these guys And following that We get Finn Balor picking up a win over Rey Mysterio Following the match Rhea yep. comes out with Dominic And this So think about this Think about Triple H's guys You've got Seth, KO, and Finn Right? <laughs> like some of his boys from NXT All looking really strong Going over on Monday all the, all the women Right? He was focusing a ton on the women Because that The one thing That A lot of companies can have really good wrestling MLW Impact, you know, independent promotions, Hurricane Pro that you're at, they have good wrestling. Sure. They have good in-ring work. The one thing though, what that WWE can do that like nobody else can do is what we were talking about with the women. Like the depth of their women and the star power of their women, no one else anywhere can compete with that. You just can't. And when they focus no. on them and make the women feel like a big deal, it's Make it's everything cool. else feel better too. Yeah. You know? yeah. And, and you know what I've noticed over these last couple of Fridays and Mondays, and maybe it's just me, how much younger WWE has gotten. You're right. It just feels like, a, and look, I, I read a thing. I watched a 10 minute uh, video yesterday on WWE's YouTube page. They signed 37, you know, college athletes who were trying out at WWE SummerSlam. They're going to put all this branding and all this mer- and people are saying, why are they doing this? They're going after a new young demographic. Okay, look, yeah, look, Gino, we wish we were going to be around on this. Well, maybe not uh, around a hundred more years because who knows if the dinosaurs comes back or the way it's going now. Who you just never know. But you've got to bring in new fans, and they're going after that college athletic crowd. So by signing like thirty-seven. Athletes who have never been in the ring before for that Nashville SummerSlam tryout, and you're going to start putting merchandise on college uh, college campuses and putting WWE. They're going after a new fan, and the yeah. last couple of, of television episodes of SmackDown and Raw, man, it looks very, very young, and that's and promising. a very good sign for WWE in the future, man. I like it. How Another guy who had a great night, he didn't win. But damn, did Ciampa look good? Oh, yeah. He and, cut and an awesome promo. Shouldn't that have been the main event? It should have. It should have. Like that should have. I agree. I was wondering why. He cut an awesome promo, and then they had a really good match. Lashley wins, but Ciampa looked really strong oh, yes, throughout. Yeah. 
that was a win. That was great. And so again, another one of Triple H's guys who <laughs> didn't win. But Champa, Balor, KO, Seth, all of these guys that had these great runs from NXT that Triple H loves that he he thinks highly of. A couple of them. And think about it. Seth is the most prototypical as far as the, his look. The other sure. three guys are a couple. Two of them are smaller, and KO Baller. isn't is a bigger dude. KO isn't like you're a guy who you know is. He's not your, your prototypical WWE superstar. Not at all. He's a big chunky dude, right? Yeah. He's got a big belly, but dude, he's he can go, and that's the kind of stuff that Triple H looks for and likes. Um, Omos picked up a squash, which. It's fine. You know what? You don't have anything for this guy. He's still learning. He's figuring it out. Don't put him in spots where he may not be ready. You want to put him in some squashes here and there? That's fine. Have him squash. This is what helped Braun at the beginning. This helped Naya for a while to get, you know, a little bit over and to just have people see what they can do impressively and still needs to learn a little bit. So I, I was fine with that. Oh, they, what we said, we said we're going to get the uh, uh, interview with Riddle next week. That's right. And, and, yeah. and the Omos deal, he had been taken off TV, and I think he had been working some of those main event shows that you watch on the Peacock app. I think they show him maybe after SmackDown, or, or maybe they're taped uh, during or, or, or before. I think after before Smackdown. or after, yeah, you're right. And, and, I, and I've always said this. If you don't have something for a guy, if he's green, no matter how big he is or small he is, don't put him in a main event type picture. You're going to ruin him, and that's what really hurt Omos. Okay, it's the con- and the confidence gets hurt just because watch people, just remind yeah. people he's still a giant, and then when he gets in, it, it, you can take him more seriously. It was just really odd the pairing from from day one, him and AJ. I, I thought that did no service to him. Yeah, him or AJ, Bobby, honestly, it didn't do no, anything for didn't. either one of them. No, and, and you know what? He had a couple of little interesting uh, matches and segments with, with Bobby Lashley, but for the most part, no one took this guy serious. They just didn't. So let him squash some people and, and then start interjecting him in, in some of these mid-card views, and we'll take him more seriously. We got a Ziggler versus Gable match. If we need to, it, hey, we it, need to kill some time. Worth, it was fun. Right? It wasn't long enough for me, but it was really Me fun. neither. We need to, but if we're looking for time to fill on the TV, throw these couple guys, guys like this out there, right? We saw Mustafa last week, guys like this that can go. And we finished up with AJ versus The Miz, no DQ. This match was really good. These guys went at it. And we saw Dexter Loomis in the audience. They were kind of, they were, at one point, we got a couple looks at, at the parking lot and there were some security guards running and it was all, in the background of some of the women that were talking and that led to a little a little flurry outside ringside in the audience and it was Dexter Loomis out there so i thought a good match completely agree with you though you just should have flipped the the placement the placement of this match and the Bobby Lashley US title match because this match didn't really have any stakes but i guess maybe they were Having they wanted to do the Loomis thing maybe at the end of the show, so that's why they did it. But yeah, and, and look, the camera work wasn't the best. I think one of the announcers said, you know, said his name. I thought it could be done a little bit better. So I, I agree. I think they wanted I think they wanted that effect, but for the most part, a majority of things that happening on Raw and SmackDown right now are, are pretty spectacular. And, and I'm telling you, uh, there's one man that that gets most of the credit. Um, it's Triple H. You put these yep. these guys and girls in these positions. Uh, you want your shot? Here it is. And uh, these superstars, you know, they're delivering. They are. 
It's there's a good energy right now. Well done so far, Triple H. Let's move over to NXT. We opened up with Kiana versus Nikita, and Nikita gets the win after the match. Uh, she gets attacked, and then Ariana, or as she gets attacked, it was it was a little clunky. You know, I didn't know if it wasn't fantastic, but Nikita stands out still like a star. I saw somebody mention. Her gear looked a little weird. It did. It's sort of the color of the thing she was wearing because it's white. It kind of looks like a bra. You <laughs> like it? It just sort of looks like Seinfeld. Like I keep thinking of like the woman that wears the bra. You know, around oh, all the yeah, time. Yeah, that's you know? episode where Kramer got into a wreck and then he had yeah. Jackie Childs along. <laughs> and it was like Elaine's Elaine and her were enemies and then they became friends and she goes. But it, anyways, that was that was oh, what it reminded me of. Great but, episode. Uh, but Nikita, we, we mentioned a little earlier, she's going to be in the tag team tournament on uh, for the main roster. So that's sort of intriguing that they're going to have her and Zoe team up when they kind of feel like two of the top contenders right now. Because Zoe's going to be facing Mandy for the um, for the title in a couple weeks, and Zoe was in the main wait, event. Yeah, yeah, she beat Cora in the main event, so we can kind of hit on all that stuff since it's sort of related. And that was a good match, Zoe. My complaints. With Zoe and my critiques on her have been some of the stuff outside of the ring. Inside of the ring, she's really good. Yeah, it, it's it's uh, she's really really good, and uh, you know the the in, the the promos are just so bad. I think that's and look, I, I'm sure that there's ways to overcome this uh, eventually, but man, it just would be hard to see her on the main roster. Or not being able to cut a promo and wrestle I, I just don't think main TV And I say main TV because I, You know NXT's on the USA Network It's not on a chump channel I, it, You know It's just going to be I, I have that feeling she's going to be the next women's champion And I'm just going to be It's. I know she's the the working the, the working man's type wrestler You know what I'm saying And she can go in the ring but I'm old school. I love a good promo, man. I she love. She doesn't really have, yeah. Her, she doesn't really have much of like a, like a character quite yet. And it kind of came out of point. nowhere. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. she was hurt. She came back. She got the win, and it was sort of, sort of been out of nowhere for her. So, but I, I agree. It kind of feels like they're heading that way. We had Ariana Grace complaining to Andre Chase about the, uh, the black eye. She wants to sue. And uh, Chase goes crazy, um, and uh, you know, love love us some Chase. You, I, I will say, I'm a little intrigued by. Uh, for a few weeks, we were talking about Apollo. It didn't feel like much. This week, Apollo felt like a, a lot more interesting, just overall. And he, you know, he he's never been someone that had a whole lot of personality with his character as the babyface. It was just. Here's Apollo Crews. He's really athletic and he's good in the ring and he's kind of a smiling baby face. But we're actually seeing a little bit more from Apollo as far as personality has been. I think it it hasn't been what maybe people expected, sort of like Ziggler, where he's going to come in, he's going to win the title, he's going to have a little run and then move back up. For him, it sort of feels like he really is still learning a lot of things and improving with his character and some of his like. Work outside of the ring I didn't mind the stuff with the diamond mind I thought this stuff like I said is like a Disney channel thing He has this vision of him Like beating up the diamond mind Guys in the ring and it's like super Slow motion of them And and then he kind of shakes his head And he walks to the ring Has an awesome match with Roddy 
overall uh, talk to us about the uh, uh, the Diamond Mind and Apollo stuff. Yeah, you know, uh, poor Apollo um, had a great uh, beginning, and let's go back to his original NXT. Um, just fantastic. Got moved up to the main roster. I uh, just nothing, nothing really blossomed there. Uh, didn't they take him back to the Nigerian roots? Uh, then he had an accent and uh, they gave him uh, what? Didn't he get the U.S. title? Yeah, he got the U.S. title for a bit. And then yep. he was never on TV defending it. Uh, he was doing silly promos and that went away. Then he shows up on NXT and cuts a good babyface promo. And then they kind of fumbled the ball a little bit with him. Uh, I thought here in his second uh, appearance here at NXT when he came back at 2.0, but now it seems like they've reset him. This guy can go. He can be a star. Um, the, the problem is that there's a lot of good, really good young stars in, in NXT, but I feel like this is kind of a reset for him. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think he can get the ball back in his court going again show what he can do, put it all together, and then make another, uh, you know, uh, another main run. Because, look, things are different now on SmackDown and Raw. Yeah, we're going to have some walkie silly, you know, type segments. But for the most part, with Triple H, unless they run him off, which I think all systems and indications are that they're in love with what's happening here. Plus, the numbers are improving. Um, I think everybody's fighting for a spot. I, I, like you said, Chip, you know, chips are on shoulders. There's new motivation now to get better. Um, and hey, if you don't, you know, there's somebody else waiting for you. But back to the to Apollo crew, I think I think there's a reset for him. There's a chance for him to uh, get his feet back into the water and him to to be that guy that he once was before he left NXT and he got sent up to the main roster. I, I just want to see him have a purpose. I'd like to see him in the main event here. I'd like to see Braun lose his title to McDonough and I'll like to see Apollo and McDonough go at it. I, I, would, I think that I would agree. be the match to make, man. I agree. I would love that direction. Hey, we got Wesley picking up a win in the rounds match. I usually don't like some of these boxing gimmick things what they did. I thought this one was okay. I didn't I mean it wasn't fantastic, but it wasn't it was fine. It wasn't completely awful. And Wesley won't go down. He ends up pinning Williams with three seconds and he ends up uh winning two to one. So he picks up the victory. There and uh, and afterwards, Carmelo cut a promo, and that led to Giovanni Vinci coming out. So we have uh, a couple feuds that seem like they're intertwined. Nathan Frazier's kind of in the mix there too. Uh, what'd you think about the uh, the rounds match that led to Carmelo? I didn't like it. I just I've never been. You know, this is what bummed me out. I know a lot of people. They're, these like things it. are better on paper than and in execution. They right? are. It's just they're and hard gotta, to pull off well. With young people and not not as experienced, was it different? Sure, I just think it didn't fit, and I didn't think it served. Uh, I don't think it it fit the or served the purpose of what we were going here. Um, this was this was a this is what made me think that NXT was just this. This finally put the topping on me to say this NXT show wasn't as good. As it has been in, in weeks past And you know what, the ratings were down a little bit I think it showed, but this was a big part Of me not liking uh, start to finish Here this show, this just didn't do Anything for me, I don't know what purpose it serves I don't like to see gloves being put on I don't want to see, oh this is, now we're doing Greco-Roman in round two And we're doing that, I, I just never Have been a fan of this in professional wrestling Ariana Grace picked up a win Using Wasteland, Wade Barrett 
uh, <laughs> move, uh, which was just kind of a, a funny little nod. And uh, that was right before the Roderick Strong Apollo match. We talked about that. We had so the Tony D Santos Escobar stuff. Santos is awesome, man. He looks like a star. And, you know, Tony's great, but Santos just like he carries himself like a star. When he's sitting there and he's talking and his mannerisms I liked a lot of the stuff on the phone The way they were were kind of Had a couple segments throughout the night The only thing I, I saw in a complaint Somewhere else and I agree They they had such a shoddy Looking table out there For like <laughs> it was just like your fold up Table with a little black apron over it That you know they have they would have Anywhere You know they've got they're at a nice place And like a nice yard You know and everything they've done has been you know, they're trying to make it seem like, you know, the, the families are going at it. Give me a nicer table that they're sitting at, a big round table or something. <laughs> but this has definitely felt a lot better with Santos coming back over the last couple of weeks. And with the stipulation now and the match yeah. set up, you wonder if Santos maybe headed up to the main roster. Yeah, we've been calling this main roster for him and Cameron Grimes, it seems like, for the past three years. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he's 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 really good. I, there's nothing left for him to accomplish on, on Tuesday nights. There's just really not. It, and it just shows you how important uh, it, it makes Tony D look a lot more important. And they're going to have a banger of a match now with stipulations, and it makes that match more meaningful. But Santos coming back, hopefully everything's all held up and ready to go. And I think it's going to be a fantastic match with him and Tony D. And uh, we we hit on most of it. Pretty Deadly had a, a match. They picked up a, a quick win over um, Anofe and Blade. And then in the main event, it was the uh, the women's match that we spoke about between Cora and Zoe. So that was NXT. I agree with you. It wasn't it wasn't fantastic. There were a few things on the show that were a eh, um, couple positive things. Moving forward, guys like Apollo and Roderick probably feel a little bit better about their prospects moving forward in the main roster now with Triple H, you know, in charge. Someone like Roderick Strong could come up and be like, just like we're talking about with Gable, he's not quite as as entertaining on the mic, but Roderick could be a great person to have wrestling 10-minute matches on Raw and SmackDown a lot and just giving you good ring work on TV if that's what you're looking for. Yeah, let's I, I, go ahead. Yeah, you know, yeah, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want him to go. They've seen a lot of these type of guys go to AEW, and a majority of them really haven't worked out. They get kind of lost in the shuffle, they, and they end up they on get, YouTube. But yeah, because look, man, I, I mean, they kind of all resemble each other, and I think after you've seen Choppa and as you mentioned, Balor, I think the, I think the, the little guy moniker now status is is being removed by Triple H, and I think Roderick Strong hopefully is here to stay because he is super super good in the ring, and man, he has some good quality matches uh, on TV. Anytime he he's in the ring facing any type of opponent, it's a match I always watch. So we uh, head to AEW last week on Rampage. Just going to re- mention what they had. Moxley defended the world title against Mance Warner. Madison Rain w- showed up. She had her first match. Uh, Takeshita got a win over Nemeth. And then Swerve in Our Glory defeated uh, Woods and Tony Nese. It was a Friday night street fight. So it looks like they might be back to uh, Friday nights again because I don't, I don't, did we see them this week? Uh, Swerve no. in Our Glory? On yeah. uh, on on Dynamite, so no, um, yeah, back, back to back to Friday nights, man. This week's show on Dynamite, we were three minutes into the show and there was blood. 
three minutes into the episode. And if you're someone who likes it, you were probably loving it right away. It was a hot start, a fast start. Some of the times stuff's a little too much for me. I think we had said, I felt like this felt like a really big kind of blow off big match. The match was good. The co- the coffin matches are crazy with Darby, but it felt like it was, I don't know, maybe three or four weeks early. This like this could have been something that you did it at all out. And I thought it would have been really, really well received there and maybe have another week or two more of build along the way because all out for them is only three weeks away, Coop. Three more dynamites, I think, between now and all out, which is September the 4th. Yeah, Labor Day weekend, which is a massive show by them. Yeah, this probably could have been better built, but it just seems like they're content on just not really building every match for their pay-per-view for uh, uh, have a storyline attached to it. Now your main does uh, your, your, your title match. It looks like the trios is, is, is being, is felt more important than some of these other stuff, these matches. But I thought this probably could have been built and put on the pay-per-view instead of used on a Wednesday night. Yep. The Lucha brothers versus the, Oh, we had a Andrade and Roosh in the Tornado tag match. So let me a positive. At least they called this a Tornado tag match because when <laughs> AEW has their tag matches, they don't ever pay attention to the rules. They let people come in and out. The refs look kind of silly. They so when you're having a Tornado tag, at least I know. Okay, it's going to be crazy. I'm not expecting any tags. Everybody's in. That's what they're going to do. And these guys all went at it. And I believe both of these. Are going to be sets in Andrade and Roosh get the win I believe they're both going to be part Of the trios tournament Which the uh, the final will be At all out and It should be a lot of really fun In ring stuff and they're doing some Some storyline build to Some of these teams in the trios tournament But it's just another Title where we already have All these AEW titles And the ring of honor titles You got the FTW title now you're going to throw in these trios titles. You have heck this weekend. You've got Sammy and Ty defending AAA mixed tag titles on the show, all over the place. It just becomes so much. None of the in ring stuff will, will. It'll all be awesome. It'll sure. all be awesome. And this was pretty good. Like Andrade and Roosh are a good pairing, but Andrade is someone that has been rumored to possibly be <laughs> someone who may want to come back to WWE. And, I, and I'm laughing because he got the pin, right? Yep. <laughs> you you got to keep him happy. You got to keep these people happy. Um, and look, I know you got to make these new titles the shining star because they're new. But holy moly, I, I mean, we're just inundated with championships. And that's what I just said 15 minutes ago. Make these things feel special. And I'm not saying that they, you know, maybe they don't or they do at the end of the day. But man, well, we're just handing out titles to hand them out to keep people happy and to say, hey, we've got 13, 14, now 15 champions on our roster. Maybe they do need a trios title. There's a lot, there's a lot of teams, but you know, the interesting part of it is, is, and we'll get to it in a second, some of these teams don't have a third member yet. No. We don't know who's gonna show up with the young bucks, and we'll get to that, but we have a lot of TBAs in, in some of these teams. And the matches will be fine. I, I just with, with all the talent there, I just don't know if we're at the end of the day, we're really doing what's good for AEW, if you know what I mean. This next segment, it, it may, you know, I've seen people split on it. It made me laugh 
because it was so awkwardly bad. And I think that that's what they were going for, right? The really awkward, bad acting sort of like it's almost as like I'm breaking up and I'm getting back together with a girl, boy stuff, relationship. And we have the young bucks approach the Dark Order and Hangman. And they thank Hangman for saving them last week. They say they're not they're sorry for how they treated him. And uh, he says that the, they say that the best time in the career was when the three of them were together. They said they, you know, helped create AEW together. And when he won, when when Paige won the world title, he they wanted to go congratulate him, but they couldn't. And they'll never get those years back. They might be bad people, but Paige, you bring out the good in us. I thought I was like, ah, oh, it was kind of, it was corny. It was a little off, awkward. I didn't mind it. Um, I did think it was weird because everybody was expecting Paige to give them the big hug and like the mega powers, you know, you know, just like the the handshake moment. And he was Hogan. like, <laughs> and he said, um, "Yeah, sorry guys, you know, uh, you, you weren't the there. Order. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hey guys, you know, you weren't there for me when I won the title, but these guys were. So I'm not going to be in the tournament. I'm just going to root for them and be in their corner." You know, go find someone who's who's been by you all along. And I love that the cameraman, Brandon Cutler, who they always just kick and throw around. Yeah. He goes, hey, guys, I think he means me. Right. <laughs> so do we think Brandon Cutler is going to be the TBD or the TBA? Absolutely not. If, it, if, if he is the only person that can remotely make sense is Kenny, if he's ready. It's got to be Kenny Omega, it's right? It's got to be Kenny Omega. If it's not Kenny Omega... It's a total letdown that they didn't have it via Hangman Page because yeah, otherwise you, bring, you just have yeah, a V Page, right? And you can't bring a WWE name in that that's out there because it wouldn't make sense. Nothing fits. Work with, nothing fits with the Young Bucks. With what he said too, it's got to be someone who's never turned their back on you, right? So it's got to be him. If it can't be Kenny, it, I don't know. It, it can be someone stupid, but it's got to be Kenny or someone that sort of fits that story. You know, or okay, what give what me a wrong. I, I know we play this. I, I know we play this all the time. Give me a wrong answer only. Who it would be? I would say uh, Mister Kennedy. Right. Kennedy. Um, give, give, give me a wrong answer only. Um, I'm thinking, uh, you know, like Don Callis. <laughs> you know, okay. Kenny okay. can't do yeah. it, so Don's got to sub in. You know, and like, and Don <laughs> gets in, just gets his ass kicked, and they keep tagging him out. And the young bucks do the work. You know. Oh, that's funny, yeah. Uh, so there's at least some story in a couple of these matches. So some of the Dark Order is in the trios tournament, and the Bucks and their mystery opponent, maybe it's Kenny, they're going to be in the mix. The next thing was kind of weird. It was just a like a Luchasaurus squash. They've got him looking so much like Kane with the music and the yeah. fire when yeah. he comes out now and the, the evil mask. He... Takes care of Anthony Henry really quick in a, in a, a squash. I don't, I don't mind that. It's just his involvement in all of this has seemed just kind of weird. The story he was with Christian that was fine, but then he quickly turned right back to Jungle Boy. But now they're sort of playing that he's kind of crazy and he was going after security. It doesn't make sense a whole lot to me. Now I will say, if you start to think about all out and how some of the matches are coming together and taking shape. Christian Jungle Boy should be a good match in a few weeks at All Out. 
maybe lost a little bit of steam from where it was a couple weeks ago when Christian was cutting those brutal promos. But if they can build it in the weeks in, you know, the next couple weeks leading up a little bit more, that should be a solid match for those two. And it should be a match that Jungle Boy gets a very big win for him and Christian puts him over. Yeah, and here's here's my con- concern uh, with AEW pay-per-views. We're, we're probably going to get 11, 12, 13 matches. In order for this match to feel really important, it needs to be early because it's going to get lost in the mix somewhere. Um, You're right. Because AEW is, is not like WWE and can have a 7-8 match pay-per-view card. Um because so much is going on, so well, and because WWE really, has more TV and more shows, right? So they can. It, and now they're AEW, big with WrestleMania. They you squeeze know, so much onto their pay per views that sometimes it doesn't breathe quite enough. And like you said, a few things get lost in the shuffle. If this yeah. match got gets proper build, it should be a good, fun match. Give it a, another week or two. We'll see. I want it uh-huh. early. I want it early in the paper. I agree. Though. I want it early. Miro popped up, and then a girl comes out and touches him on the face, and it was Julia Hart from the House of Black. He says, only one woman can touch him. Um, I like these little things that Miro does, but it's just not enough. It's, it's not like, enough. You know, it's, it's not enough from him. Right? I, I, if he's hurt, he's hurt. Then at I, least I just, we're getting something. Yeah. But, man, he... It, it just doesn't feel quite enough um, We had Powerhouse Hobbs And that uh, He t- uh, was approached By the factory So a couple little small things Powerhouse Hobbs And then we had Ricky Starks get a squash So we'll probably get Starks If if we can get Starks Hobbs on the pay-per-view Which like you're saying It's going to be jammed But that'll be good for those guys to get a pay-per-view match Because that's like the next step for them Something that we really haven't seen a whole lot for them If they could get a singles pay-per-view match That could be a big deal Yeah, and here's a positive uh, I'm not a big Powerhouse Hobbs fan But I'm a massive Ricky Starks fan And what's interesting uh, with that match Ricky and uh, uh, the guy Squash They were Aaron they Solo. Were, they, they were tag team partners on the indie scene Yeah, and, and they're in like two minutes <laughs> Yeah, they're really popular um, the, the positive here is we've been asking for Ricky to be on TV each and every week, get that FT, FTW title off of him. And we did. So we're two for two now. And that's a good sign because Ricky Starks needs to be on TV. And I, I don't know what to expect out of this match with, with him and powerhouse Hobbs, but it's a big positive for AEW because, uh, because Ricky Starks is the man. He, he needs to be on the upper echelon here in this company. And what they're doing right now with him is beautiful. This is and really I, good programming for Ricky Starks. I agree on, on Hobbs in that personally, he's never been one of my personal favorites. I don't really have any problem with him. What I like about recently, he seems like someone who's been improving, just improving. Like putting a lot of work in his body looks great Like he's in really good shape physically He's slimmed down a little bit He's toned up He looks like he's a guy who's putting in the work To try to get better and better These guys are I think he's pretty young too So just positives for both of them Uh, I like seeing them getting a little opportunity Especially Starks Like we said we both really like him We we got Oh FTR popped back up They hadn't been around for a while I was just wondering where they had been Because they were one of the most over acts And now they come out to help sort of defend Wardlow. 
it was kind of weird. They come out lethal, Dud and and Sing back up, and you know Wardlow catches um, lethal. FTR hits a big rig, so it was it was good to see them. But these guys were super over on a lot of having a lot of great matches, and they we haven't. I feel like we haven't seen a whole lot of them recently, and now you kind of wonder going into All Out. They're not going to have the match against the Bucks because the Bucks seem like they've got stuff going on. So, what is a team like them going to be, you know, ha- going to have going on for All Out? Yeah, here's here's the negative, another negative for AEW. I, I, FTR and, and Wardlow. Wardlow's on top of the world, and and now he's you know being put together with maybe FTR. I don't know. Maybe they just came out to save him. You can't tell me. For as good as the tag team FTR is, you don't have something for them. So they're coming out to save Wardlow. I, I just don't get that. I, I just didn't get it. Just didn't get it. No. And yeah, Wardlow, he's definitely lost a little some a lot of something without MJF there to build off of. A, so much of him, I think, was MJF. It's not that he's been bad. He just doesn't feel all that special. The Madison Rain, Jade Cargill for the TBS title. There were a couple bad spots in here. Uh, in this match, it's ugly. ugly. It, it, and there isn't were a couple. She over the women's division now. Yeah, now, now we had uh, after the match, Athena attacks disguised as a baddie. So <laughs> it's it's kind of weird because Chris Statlander was supposed to be the number one contender, I guess, for both titles because yeah, she was the number again? one women's title contender, and she and now she's hurt. So, but she was supposed to face Jade. But then they said that later in the night when they had the little backstage with Thunderstorm, they said because Chris Statlander's not there now that now Tony Storm is the number one contender. So this is really weird because with the two women's titles, I don't it's starting to get a little bit clunky because they're trying so hard to separate Jade and some of her contenders from the other women's title, but they don't really have the depth to do that. And why, why does she need the baddies anyway? She's she's so I understand putting a mouthpiece with her, but the baddies and it just is it's so it's so convoluted and just so confusing and it's just here, here we go again and then poor Chris Statlander I I don't know apparently another knee injury I mean that poor girl just stays hurt she's you know she was the hot name on the indie scene signs with AEW. And just has not been able to stay healthy. And it's just confusing. The match was bad. No offense. Madison Rain has no business being in the ring in AEW. She just doesn't. She doesn't fit. She's small. If she wants to run that locker room or that division, okay. That, that, I, I she was good on. She was fine on commentary too. She would do commentary yes, and is. stuff. And, and she was great on impact and what she did. But for AEW, it just seems like we're. And look, I know this sounds bad. But it just seems like we're recycling old names and just. Well, oh, what what happened they, to the Ruby? Is Ruby hurt? Ruby's hurt, right? She might I think be, she's got to be hurt. Because what happened to her? What happened to a lot? Like a lot of these other women. I know. Okay, Ty just had, um, you know, uh, her wedding. We have. <laughs> what the hell is going on with, um, the woman chick? Jericho Appreciation Society wants to choke everyone out now. I mean, <laughs> yeah. where did that come from? From Anna J. Yeah. That just came out of absolute nowhere. She's just crazy and wants to choke people. And now we're supposed to believe that Thunder Rosa, who just got put together a few weeks ago and they already had a couple matches, that now 
They were acting. They, they, them and the Young Bucks looked like they went to the same acting school. You know, they were talking yeah. about. But but for the Young Bucks, I actually felt like they were being sad. It was like, oh, so who cares? Like, you two were just tagged up for a few matches. You're not, like, best friends. Tony, they had to act like it was a big deal that they're going to probably have to wrestle each other. And maybe, I don't know, do you think that do we get them at All Out again at a pay-per-view? Yeah. I mean, Thunderstorm's probably the quiet storm now. It's over. Um, I, I, I think they feel like they've probably got enough of, or the, uh, uh, not enough, but all they could probably get out of Thunder Rosa. I, she's been booked poorly. Um, she's had a couple of matches on television, but uh, one against a Japanese uh, unknown for the most part for a television audience. Um, here's the thing. Let's say they do book Tony Storm. Do you think her beating Thunder Rosa now, winning the title, is going to feel anything to you? No, because like we no, said, she's there. Shorty tapped out. Shorty lost. I know a couple of times and, and, we've and, and, and set the world on fire. It just man, but I'll tell you this much though: Tony Storm, her OnlyFans must be rocking because some of the photos she posts on Instagram and Twitter. <laughs> holy cow! <laughs> Let's get to <laughs> makes the makes me want to give up the salary I make here on the uh, this. That's what I know. <laughs> I'm gonna just pay you in Tony in uh, in Tony's in, uh, in, in accounts. Tokens. Yeah, in credit for the that. <laughs> Just I'll just sign up for your uh, your funny. monthly uh, your just monthly payment. There, just put it in there. <laughs> the um, million event. I will say, it was good. I thought these guys worked hard, and Jericho was doing a really good job of trying to do different things, like he would have when he was the Lionheart when he was young. His submissions looked a little different. He was I'm gonna stretch you like Stu Hart. You know he kept saying that, and these guys worked hard. Moxley ever since returning from the. Uh, when he left to go to rehab and he came back and he stopped drinking, he's been really focused and his ring work has been really good. We've been kind of talking about how they're like using him all the time is like, um, like the, you know, the workhorse type guy, but this was good. I thought it was pretty fun. And it is just hilarious to think about AEW, the company that wanted to be so different. And the way they show they end this show is with a Jericho Moxley main event, you know, Jericho Dean Ambrose, and the guy that comes out afterwards is CM Punk. You know, people who really made their name other places before. It wasn't a whole bunch of AEW homegrown talent. Now, here's what I will say this version of Moxley is probably as good of a version as he's ever been or can be. He's at the top of his game, right? He can do things. A little bit differently here than he could in WWE and the, the character they wanted him to play. But for the most part, you you I think you'd enjoy this if for those of you who listen to the wrestling podcast and stuff too. Wade Keller went on a really good little tangent and just said, "Who?" And it, he wasn't he wasn't like negate or um, being negative towards AEW. He was sort of just asking, "Who are their homegrown talents that are people that they've really established or changed or?" Made a big star And there were a few that people Came up with like uh, Britt Baker I thought was a good one You know she was a big star Um, Then someone said Moxley gets to be different And we also heard MJF but where is he But for a lot of these people when they came in If you think about when, when the company started Some of the people who came in at the beginning I don't know how much bigger stars They are now than they were Then So Ending the show with this was sort of weird to me Because damn the crowd was hot For punk he comes in like a house Of fire 
looked a little hobbly still And as you said, you wonder if they maybe rushed him back or not But, hey, they were missing some star power And him, he helped And it'll be CM Punk versus Moxley For the title At the All Out I love how JR said earlier in the show I mean, I'm not really a fan of this interim title crap You know, I mean, he's the champ He's here, he's wrestling, he's the champ and he's right. He is. I mean, we don't have any room for an interim champion in in the UFC nor professional wrestling. It, it's just, I, it's just, it's just silly. Um, yeah, you know, I sent you, uh, you know, a tweet. I know there are a lot of people making a, you know, a lot more uh, bigger situation. You know, oh, this is the Rock, and 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 it just. I hope it de- it's not a move of desperation and CM Punk is 100% and is cleared. Because if we go into this pay-per-view in, in less than a month um, on Labor Day weekend and CM Punk is hobbled and doesn't look like him so old self, he won't recover. And AEW may not recover from this. It's going to be hard. They spent a lot of money on this guy. He's yeah. been a, And it's been one year and he's done a, he's done a good job. For a lot of it, you and I were very high on a lot of his segments, a lot of his matches. Absolutely. Once he knocked the rust off a little bit, once he started getting involved in actual storylines, we were very high on a lot of what he was doing. So they've, they've been hurting without him and MJF because those were two of the most entertaining parts of their show. Now Punk is back. Is he 100%? Can he carry the banner? What What's going on with MJF? But it looks like it'll be Punk Moxley in the main event, and I mean, I'd imagine Punk's going to win that match. I just I don't think they're going to have Moxley beat him. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. If I just if they do some kind of injury gimmick, uh, you know, leading up to the matches where Moxley goes after the knee, or somebody comes in and and attacks CM Punk, um, maybe maybe this is where MJF returns, you know, uh, and gets involved to, to end the show. Um, it definitely helps with Punk coming back, but I just hope it's not a sign of desperation and he we, we still see signs of him not 100% in this main event because if it's not, it's not going to work. Um, but like I said, maybe he's cleared and he's 100%, uh, but again, he's not 28, um, but it is, a, it, it is a positive move because I think they've been hurting without CM Punk, without MJF, and without some of these names. I think they've been hurting, and they got a little bump in the ratings. It wasn't a million, but it was up, and that's anytime you can be more than you were the previous week. It's a good sign. Koopa Loop, my man, thank you so much again for uh, chiming in on everything going on in the world of wrestling. We will be back next week to talk about everything happening in WWE with Raw, with SmackDown. We'll get to NXT, and then with AEW on their road to All Out. Make sure to give Coop a follow at the Chad Cooper on Twitter and on Instagram. Check out all the fantastic work he does over uh, with the photography and different events all over the place. Coop Loop was firing away at Louisiana Downs last week, giving some of that excellent analysis. Oh, man, that was so that fun. I, that I so missed good. it. was fun. Yeah, it was, was cool uh, talking races with you again throughout the day. And uh, look uh, look forward to chatting with, uh, with you again. Some football coming up soon. As we said, man, preseason games are already started and underway. We got college in, I think, oh, two man. weeks and NFL in uh, in four. Yeah, man, we've got two weeks, what, to, to – to the unofficial start of the college football season, and then Labor Day weekend, Sunday night primetime, LSU and Florida State. Oh, man, we're going to have some fun this season. Love it, buddy. You have a great weekend. Let's talk soon. All right, Gino. Koopa Loop will be back here with us next week. Don't go anywhere, folks. Still a lot more to discuss on this episode of That's What G Said. 
We finish up with even more wrestling. It's the old wrestling rewatch. Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali join me to talk about Halloween Havoc 1997 from WCW. Rey Mysterio, Eddie Guerrero, the match that stands out and really stands the test of time. One of the all-time best, a true five-star match. You have uh, a pretty fun card in, in some spots and then some absolute Awful matches like Hulk Hogan at this point against Rowdy Roddy Piper. You have a Scott Hall Lex Luger match that I just really disliked. But uh, a couple other fun spots. Uh, the Hennig, Kurt Hennig, Ric Flair match is not bad. These guys have some intensity added, just a bad finish. But you could start to see some of the issues that WCW had. Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali join for the old wrestling rewatch. We go match by match and the deep dive. Oh. Yeah. Oh, wrestling rewatch with Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. <laughs> Old wrestling rewatch is back this week at full strength, so we'll uh, be challenging for the trio's title. We were pulling the Freebird rule uh, the last few weeks with DZ traveling around, but happy to have Darren Zocali back uh, along with Andrew Champagne in a show. Uh, where we head to WCW and we head to 1997 for Halloween Havoc. We've talked about Halloween Havocs before, uh, but on this particular show, Andrew picked this one. We have a very, very good match between Rey Mysterio Jr. and Eddie Guerrero. Uh, Legit five-star match if you want to go that high, and I think it is. I really do. Um, Awesome match, and this was a match that was referenced recently on Monday Night Raw, so I think it probably got the wheels flowing for Andrew. So, um, Andrew, talk a little bit about your pick here. So, this was a show that we had to get to at some point because of the Eddie Guerrero-Rey Mysterio match. It's a five-star match, not just for the ring work, but I would argue this is the high watermark of Mike Tanay as a commentator because he pushed this match over the top with all of the psychology talking about Rey Mysterio putting his mask on the line and what that means. Also, though, there's some other good matches on this show. We get, and Darren, you're going to want to sit down for this one if you haven't already done so, a last man standing match that I liked with Diamond Dallas Page and Randy Savage. That's a very good match. The opener with Yuji Nagata and Ultimo Dragon, that's a really good match with a lot of stuff nobody was doing 25 years ago. And we get some other stuff that at a minimum is a good historical curiosity. We get Chris Jericho dart near breaking his neck. Uh, We get Kurt Hennig and Ric Flair working reasonably hard. There's some segments that we'll talk about There's some WCW quirks that we'll talk about. I like this show more than I thought that I would, and that's even with that five-star match that I knew was there. There's some stuff in there that, even if it's not great, is a fun rewatch. DZ, some fun stuff. Um, Then on the flip side, you could already see here, with just about a year in, the NWO... Was was wearing on some people The last three matches in this show I guess really four Are all impacted All main event matches By NWO Some way shape or form And it gets to the point in some of them where The work in a couple of them are fine I thought Henning, Ric Flair worked pretty well For a lot of it and that match was 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 fine, you know um, the, the ending was more about the story They had a long a long term feud thing going on 
Luger, Scott Hall had a lot of NWO stuff with, with Bischoff getting in the mix Even DDP, Randy Savage You know, you have Randy getting the win there Because of weird stuff happening That match was was very good, I agree with Andrew A lot of it was good, it was one of the better matches on the card And then Piper Hogan is obviously Just a, a load of crap But you could <laughs> you could just see Some of the things that were going to Be the demise of this company Even years before It was just, a lot of this show was just too much, overdone, wonky Not great for the kind of talent that you had on a card Yeah, the, the note that I wrote down with some of this stuff is The path to ridiculousness has begun mm-hmm. um, And it's because they, the NWO has become convoluted It's getting to the point or starting to get to the point of Who's in this week, who's not in this week How many people are in, what, who's in Wolfpack, who's in regular NWO so we, you know, a year in and we've started to head down, you know, that road. There are, um, how many stings are on this show? Well, yeah, that's part of the ridiculousness. I couldn't stand the fake sting gimmick that was going on now. The once I, or twice where you do it with Nash, when Nash is like huge and you can sort of tell that it's not sting as soon as he right. gets out because he's big and he right. steps over the top rope. But when you're at this point and it's literally like, who is sting? Right. I mean, you're, yeah. you don't, you don't know. And he, he's not the type of guy that. Has the reveal where he takes off the mask And goes oh hey look it's me So you don't even really get the moment where you're like Oh look that's the real sting Yep no for sure for sure Um, And that's part of the stuff that really paves the way To what eventually becomes the undoing uh, Of WCW Um, I'll take it a step further And we'll talk about the match You, You can make the argument That the Mysterio Guerrero match Might be the best match In the history of WCW Um, And I'm not it's talking up there. about Yeah, I'm not talking about I'm talking about WCW, not NWA WCW, it's yeah. It's that, it's that damn good It is um, So I really appreciate um, Andrew picking this So we can get back to watch that I also really appreciate Andrew picking this So that I could shit all over a Hulk Hogan match You're yeah. welcome Now you I got actually got, I got one more thing here Please. Before we move on Because Please. I was weighing this in my mind We've talked about how they extended the Sting Hogan stuff in 97 long past its best buy date. There are people who say, oh, they should have blown it off in June at the Great American Bash or in July at Bash at the Beach. I think that's a little soon. However, here's the hypothetical that I'm going to pose to you guys. If they do it here, if they do Sting versus Hogan for all the marbles at Halloween Havoc 1997, and the NWO all of a sudden has to regroup and do all of that stuff. Guys, what's coming a couple weeks after this? Then Bret Hart. There's this, yeah, yeah, there's this guy in pink that is really over and falls into WCW's lap. Try to imagine Starcade without the, you know, the albatross around the neck of Hogan being Hogan count. and using creative control. And you wind up with Brett actually getting a chance to be Brett, however you want to use him. Even How if it's not in, a ma- even if you're show. just having a Hogan sting rematch and you have Brett in a big match second from the top well, or let me, something, let me right? This to you here, this works. Have Brett team with Piper against maybe Hall and Nash. Do sure. something like that. Tell Absolutely, me that wouldn't work. Absolutely, that would be great, and then that sets him up as a, a top contender moving forward. A lot better than being a referee when you had a guy, you know, with so much buzz. Yeah, and, yeah. I, my my issues also with this show, and look, 
top to bottom, honestly, even though the main event is the drizzling shits, this is a fun show. But I, I like, like I like about half of it. I do. Yeah. I, and I, yeah. I've got an issue right away, though, and we'll jump into the opening video here. So the opening video, which is pure WCW, low production values, whatever, it hypes Hogan and Piper in a cage. Uh, Andrew, Andrew, about, before you start, I just had one question. I wasn't sure. Sure, it, sure. Is it is it possible that this show was sponsored by Slim Jim? Uh, yeah, it was. <laughs> uh, I think so. Yeah, they said something about that. And I think one of the repos had something there. Yeah. Um, if you're not sure, my... if you're not sure, just, you know, look at anywhere in the building at any point in time. Yeah, that's for sure. So here's my issue. They talk in the opening promo video and Hogan goes to Great Lens to call Roddy Piper a fossil. This is something Chris Jericho talked about in his book as a lesson he learned in his first couple of years in the business when you're doing promos. So you call this guy a fossil. That means if you lose, you lost to a fossil. Who does that help? Yeah. Yeah. Good point. No one. Absolutely no one. And look, Roddy Piper at this point could still sell tickets. He, could he was still, in pretty good shape in this match yeah, too. Like was, physically, he looked yeah. physically he looked good. Like he hadn't he gotten. He was still a star. The problem is, you look back. Name me one thing he did that mattered. Nothing. And yeah. and you and they kept doing this crap where you you knew that he was in matches where it wasn't for the title, and they kept they would they would sort of like sneak it in and not really tell you. You would you would you would just assume it was going to be some of these matches were going to be for the title. And I remember when he won this, even thinking I remember live being 10 years old and thinking he won the title and then being like, no, he doesn't have the title. And they would they would kind of make little small references here and there. And it it, it just was it didn't feel like the right spot if yep. after Hogan lost the title to Sting, this could have been a fine feud after that. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. And look. This is actually a really, really good segue into the rest of the show because much like the announcers on this show, we are talking way too much about the main event as opposed to the action right in front of us that is happening live. By the way, one more thing on on the fossil note. Uh, The other ironic thing is that if you're keeping score at home, uh, Hulk Hogan is nine months older than Roddy Roddy Piper. Indeed, but see, Hogan is Hollywood Hogan, so he's got all the plastic surgeons. <laughs> that's that's true. That's true. Well, let's jump into Halloween Havoc, nineteen ninety seven. Andrew had mentioned the uh, the opening video package with a lot of Piper and Hogan talking about the steel cage match, and we open things up. It's Tony Schiavone, Bobby the Brain Heenan, and Dusty Rhodes as our commentary team. So we'll have a little fun with Dusty once or twice throughout the show. They set up. The big matches throughout the card They talk about Piper And last year he made his WCW So he's been around for a year now And uh, they talk a little bit more About the the, uh, Steel Cage main event We kick things off With Yuji Nagata Versus Ultimo Dragon Uh, With Yuji is Sonny Ono Dave Penzer, ring announcer These guys Were Kicking the crap out of each other in this match. I actually, there were three or four matches on this card that I really enjoyed. This was one of them. It's not a match when you, you know, when you look through WCW, the, the highest build matches were always matches with older stars who had a lot of notoriety and name. 
And the best matches on the card were a lot of times in the first four or five matches on the card where you'd get the best workers. This was a very good match. A little back and forth, and then uh, some strong kicks from Dragon. He uh, he did a headstand on the top rope, which was always fun. Nagata starts throwing him around a little bit, and then uh, some ki- more kicks to the chest. Uh, all of these strikes are really hard. We get a sleeper here, Nagata, um, and everything's very intense, quick. Um, Nagata stomps away on the back And then Dragon counters a headlock And uh, both men are down Nagata's back uh, with more kicks He locks in a submission It, it almost looks like a camel clutch here And uh, just I kept My notes kept saying over and over Another brutal kick, brutal kick We, uh, we got a, a pile driver for two uh, A big suplex and Then Nagata had the uh, advantage For a little while, more stiff kicks And then he kept trying to do the same thing over and over, uh, but Dragon finally caught him, hit a Dragon screw, um, tossed Nagata outside over the top, and Nagata with a boot to the midsection. We kept seeing Raven and the flock pop up down uh, ringside. Uh, they were out in the crowd. We Complete a- with Stevie Richards in the five minutes he was in WCW. Yeah, I think there was a group of uh, you know three or four of them out there, but those were the two yep. headliners there. Um, Nagata, they get back in the ring. Big elbow from Nagata, uh, Dragon power bomb. Then Dragon climbs up, hits a big moon salt for two. We get chops. Um, then a, a then a drop on the rope throat first, which looked pretty brutal. Um, an over the top overhead suplex, which was fun. There's a lot of good work in this match. We get the Nagata lock. Dragon's able to get to the ropes. Then he goes. For, uh, Nagata goes for a power bomb. The dragon slags out, puts him in the dragon sleeper. They get to the ropes, break the hold. Uh, both men are fighting for their from their knees at one point. They're exhausted. It's really fun. It's not as if this match goes 15 or 20, but it's just under 10, and they don't really stop. There's not a whole lot of slowing down throughout this match. We get a big Inzaguri. Uh, dragon uh, puts Nagata up top. He hits a Frankensteiner, but he can't go for the cover, so he tries to go for the dragon sleeper, but Nagata reverses it And then Dragon taps out in the arm bar This is a pretty solid opener DZ, the finish kind of a little Abrupt, but I I was, I surprisingly enjoyed This match, I was, I was expecting The Mysterio Guerrero to be the standout Match, and, and that match is very, very good But this is a solid match and a nice opener Really good opener um, A really solid wrestling match A lot of moves, power bombs Counters, uh, pile, pile drivers Counters into submission moves um, you know, the dragon screw, um, Frankensteiner, you know, a lot of different things in the match that really make it kind of come off as just a really solid wrestling match. Um, you know, and it really did highlight some of the talent that WCW had at the time from a sheer wrestling standpoint. And, and it's kind of interesting how it's at this point, it's a, it's a tale of two companies because, you know, the, the major draw for them and their major push is the old quote unquote fossils of WWE WWF who are involved in just about everything NWO either for or against. And meanwhile, you have this other part of the company that is probably underutilized, underbooked talent like Yugi Nagata, like Ultimo Dragon, like the Mysterio, Guerrero, Chris Jericho. You know, these are all guys that could have a, a wrestling match with a broomstick. And yet they're in matches one and two on, on the program, the, the most of them. 
because of what the back end of this card has to be. Um, and I do think a part of that played into some of the long-term problems that WCW was going to face. Yep, that's absolutely true. I'm going to make a big statement right here, and I firmly believe it. At this point, Ultimo Dragon is every bit the worker that Eddie Guerrero, Rey Mysterio, uh, Dean Malenko are. They are so smooth. And Dragon, everything he does, there's super no underrated motion. He yeah, makes he everything count. And it is a real shame that after he came back from surgery that he had the next year, where a lot of people thought his career was over, he had a very short run with the WWE. And it's a shame the one thing people remember is him slipping and falling at the top of the ramp at WrestleMania because he came to WWE basically to work that one WrestleMania so that he could say he did it. He comes out and he falls flat on his butt. And my God, that's a horrible way to remember somebody who was so, so, so good. And if you don't believe me, watch some of his stuff with Jericho in the mid-90s in Japan. It is mind-blowing. Nobody was doing the stuff they were doing at that point, except for those guys. It was so much fun. And this match was so much fun, too, because let's not forget, Yuji Nagata is a heck of a worker in his own right. He would go on to become a two-time IWGP heavyweight champion and a guy that when All Elite Wrestling brought him across the pond, it was a big freaking deal, and justifiably so. Now, the ending does come from out of nowhere, but my guess is somebody you know, said something to the referee through the headset saying, these guys are coming up. Go home, go home, go home. You got go about home. 15, 10 or 15 to go. And you know, we got to get out of here under yep. 10. And they got there. It was abrupt, but it wasn't horrifying. It wasn't like bad, a bad spot. Yep. It just sort of, it didn't have a build, like a normal buildup for the ending. There, there could have been another tier to this match, an extra couple minutes. I had it like three and a half ish. That's that what range. I've got too. Now, if you if you put this match on, say, an AEW Dynamite now, it's probably three. But I grade on a little bit of a curve because, again, it's 1997. People were not doing this. This was a really good opener. And Mike Tanay came in with a whole bunch of really cool information. Remember, he was out there for the first three matches of the evening. And honestly, once he leaves, the rest of the show, with the exception of one match, is a really big ski slope straight downhill. But this match was really good. It's a great opener. And if you haven't seen it, you should. Yep. No doubt about it. Good start to the show here as we uh, get a post-match beat down. Nagata continues to uh, to work on the arm. And Ono takes a few kicks in. Tony Schiavone's talking about how he broke his arm. Uh, we check in backstage with Mark Madden. He's uh, doing the, the internet stuff here. And Disco Inferno is talking backstage. He's got his match coming up with Jacqueline, an intergender match a little later on tonight. Next up, Gato versus Chris Jericho. Gato has been a, I don't, is he still Andrew? He's been the New, and Japan, New Japan booker for a while. Yes, I believe he still is the head booker of New Japan. So, you know, yeah. kind of funny to see everything come in full circle. In fact, mm -hmm. years before this match, Chris Jericho, Gato, and Jado were part of a faction called Fuyuki Goon, which if you listen to Chris Jericho and believe him, and on this I take it with a grain of salt, but apparently, according to Jericho, 
that stable was a driving force for some of Eric Bischoff's ideas with the NWO. I don't necessarily believe all of that. I don't think Bischoff was that dialed into what Japan was doing at the time, but these guys, you could tell, had some chemistry together, which is what makes what happens about six minutes oh. into this match all the more jarring. Yeah, this this was a match they said was an unadvertised bonus match. It kind of felt like it with, um, it felt like a good TV match. What you would have for what you would have seen at the time, it was only a seven minute match, and I you wonder if maybe after that spot they decided to trim some off. If they were just a little worried, maybe they wanted to just go home a little quicker because they're. There's the work for a lot of this match is fine. It's really solid. Gato's a fine worker. Jericho's a really good worker at the time. But there is a really, really scary spot we'll get to in just a minute. Mike Tanay is on the uh, the call for this match, and he says that Gato is like a 1970s Southern style brawler. So Dusty and Bobby are excited. They're like, "Oh, I know this kind of a. I know this kind of stuff. I know that. I know this." So that was just kind of a, a little funny to hear. And Early on, Gato is uh, in control. A little back and forth, Jericho with some kicks, and he hits a big elbow, a vertical suplex. Crowd really into Jericho. Um, Jericho's in uh, with the advantage early on. We get some chops, uh, shoulder tackle. Um, Jericho skins the cat, and then Gato comes back and clotheslines him anyways, sends him into the ropes, power slam for two, and. Gato hits a, a sleeper hold. Jericho breaks the hold and he hits a clothesline. Power bomb covers him for two. Then they go up top and Jericho smacks Gato and he sets him up to hit a Frankensteiner. Oh, DZ, you texted me us right when when you saw this spot the other day again, just to probably see it for the first time, maybe in a long time. Or I can't, I didn't even remember it. And Jericho, he he does like a half of a loop, and he lands on on his face on the front. It almost looks like he's gonna land on the back of his neck, but but he does continue to rotate a little more. And I don't even know if it would have been better or worse to land on the front of your face like that and get kind of pinched back, or land on the back. But it was it was a spot where. I was expecting everything to stop after this. I could not believe that he continued to work a couple more minutes after this in the match. Yeah. And the other thing, if you, I mean, if you go back and you watch it and you actually stop it, if you stop it at the right time, it's, it's literally his, his body is making a perfect right angle with the ring as his head is just going into the, into the canvas. It is, it is a, a scary, scary sight. Uh, and you know it's bad because as soon as he hits, Gato looks up and looks over to him, like, to see if he's okay. And the announcers um, don't even try to, like, they're like, oh, my God, that was bad. Like, they, they're shocked that he's up and moving around. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is one of the worst spots that didn't, in uh, you know, chair shots to the head aside. Um it is one of the worst spots I've ever seen. It's Lesnar-like, right? It's like the Lesnar spot almost. Yes, but that's a perfect you, comparison. Yeah. I, and I think I think the Lesnar is probably more impactful because 
just because of how far he jumped and, and how big Brock is. Yeah, it but, looks a little. Yeah, but but this is a guy literally just landing straight on his head. Uh, and it is it is ugly. And yeah, um, I, I, I went back and I, I, I actually forgot about it. And when I saw it, I went, oh, my God, it was this match that that happened. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to see him continue, you have to imagine the match, the match went only seven minutes. Uh, you have to imagine that they probably cut a few minutes off here just to make sure that everything was okay and get out of Dodge. Yeah. Now, if you don't know it's coming, you can see it coming if you watch closely, because about 30, 45 seconds before that, Jericho does that double power bomb spot that he enjoys doing. And generally speaking, if you're on the receiving end of that, you want to go up as light as you possibly can use whatever aerodynamics you can to make things easier on the guy that's lifting you up. Gato is going up slightly easier than a loaded refrigerator on those power bombs. This is not something he's programmed to do. And when you see that you're going, Oh no, this is not going to end well. And then they go up top and you're thinking, oh no, oh no, oh no. And they didn't chant this at the time, but in my head, knowing that this spot is coming, I'm going, please don't die. Please don't die. Please don't die. Thankfully, they didn't. For the fact that Jericho came away from this largely unscathed is a freaking miracle. And also, by the way, the fact that that happened and those two guys years later have somehow managed to patch everything up. I mean, look, Gino, Darren, I love you guys. If I almost broke my neck because you didn't protect me, we'd have a freaking problem. <laughs> it, there is, you know, a little later in this match too, with, there's a couple minutes that go after this. So somehow Jericho, comes over the ropes with a splash you can kind of see he's like trying to shake it off a little bit i'm sure he felt it but he 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 didn't look like he wasn't moving horribly or anything and gato hit a chop uh he misses he hits a missile drop kick jericho pushes him down before that there was this pretty tough spot too where gato slams him onto his knee it was a cool spot. It looked pretty brutal too. I was like, "Oh gosh!" Right after that, but uh, Jericho wins with the Lion Tamer. And shout out to anyone who recently saw Jericho against Yuta uh, Wheeler on AEW. He pulled back. Uh, he pulled out the Lion Tamer because Moxley was sort of teasing him, and it looked brutal. He had a knee right in the back of Wheeler Yuta's head. They did a really great professional job of finishing this match up. As DZ mentioned, I'm sure maybe this was supposed to be 10 or 11 minutes and they cut off a couple towards the end just to make sure Jericho was safe and didn't have to do anything more and they could just get out of there. But the work was fine. DZ, it wasn't bad. You know, that spot is what you can't talk about this match and watch this match without talking about that spot. And you can't really remove the spot. But if you did, the rest of the work was fine. It just wasn't anything spectacular, but it, it sure wasn't bad. And it was better than a lot of the main event stuff on the show. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. There's no no question about it. Um, it it's not it's not bad. Uh, I'm sure that this this tough spot probably took something away from it, and probably took some moves and some time out of the match, like we said. But it, it was it was a fine match, other than this. Um, 
Give a shout out to Jericho on one thing. Can you guys tell me what happened 23 years ago today? Rise Jericho. That is correct. That wow. is correct. 23 years ago today, Chris Jericho debuted on Monday Night Raw and what was probably uh, to this day, I would still say the best WWE debut that I think we've probably ever seen. It was it- one of them for sure, especially when you consider that that was the time when you could tell WCW had a bunch of young guys that they just weren't doing anything with. And Jericho fit that mold. Yes, he was the cruiserweight champ a couple of times. He, I think, won the TV title there once too. But you sort of knew that he was never going to rise above a certain level there because of all the stuff that was going on in the main event scene and all the politics that were going on and everything that happened with Goldberg when they had that mini feud that Jericho did that tremendous job of building up that just everybody else dropped the ball on. When he came over, you could sense, oh, they're going to let him be a big deal now. And in honesty, isn't that sort of the same thing we think about with some of those WWE releases that we all thought Vince is never going to give these guys time? Oh, look, they're in AEW and they're having 20 minute matches their first couple of weeks in the company. Oh, they're actually going to be big deals now. Jericho was one of the first guys to give us that sort of reaction. And the fact that he's still doing this stuff 20 some odd years later, it's exceptional. This is good. Yeah, this was good. That that spot is one that everyone will talk about with the with this match. We move along to Mean Gene. He's backstage and he's with Deborah McMichael. She says she won't let Mongo steal the spotlight. She was so bad on promos. She was just awful. She just. A couple of the ladies tonight that we'll see on here, they just didn't have a good flow. They never really seemed comfortable with their words. Everything seemed like they were trying to find the words to say. It just didn't flow like some of the best that when they cut promos. She talked about how she's going to have a mystery opponent to face Mongo. If Mongo wins, Deborah's fired. Mongo walks in and he starts yelling at her, telling her that she owes him everything. Giving back the credit cards She said she's not giving every, anything back She earned it Mean Gene says this should be settled in a court of law This was bad This well, entire storyline was death This was but, awful And but, the match but, later but on the, the crazy, card The crazy thing is Is that it's not really a storyline No Because was, they're going through a divorce at this time This is real stuff So yeah. Like when you, when you factor in that They were divorced in 1998 and here we are at the end of 97 and they're basically talking about a divorce and it needs to get settled in front of a judge. And I'm not giving up my credit cards. And this is the lifestyle I'm used to because I've been married to you. It's art imitating life, you know, or life imitating art or whatever you want to call it. Uh, art imitating life, I guess. But uh, yeah, this, this is like macho man, Elizabeth stuff, except it's the opposite. Instead of them getting married on television, they're actually taking their real life divorce and it's a storyline in WCW. Yeah, they were di- they would wind up divorced a year after this, October 12th, 1998. I just looked that up. And and by the way, look, was 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 Mongo the world's greatest wrestler? Heck no, but he gave us a lot of entertainment and we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that he's going through a heck of a battle right now with ALS and that's just Horrible to see one of those things you don't wish on anybody. So it's one of those things where you hope he's comfortable as long as he can be with something like that. 
We'll talk more about Mongo uh, in a bit. Up next, it's the match of the night. The title versus the mask match. Eddie Guerrero versus Rey Mysterio Jr. Eddie is the champ here. And we get a lot of talk from Mike Tanay about the importance of the mask here. Gosh, Eddie looks great. See, he he looks great, but I got to tell you, it's clear he's on roids here. Well, see, I don't know what he was. Well, knowing what he died from less than 10 years later with how those affected his heart when he was on them, maybe not quite as heavy, but he is jacked here. And it certainly looks like there's just a little too much muscle for a guy who I don't even want to say that small, but for a guy with a frame his size. It, it, it certainly looks like there's something going on Knowing what we know It didn't stand out to me as much as he later in his life Where he was really top heavy And the shoulders got really big up there to, for him And where he was just a like So I, I thought he looked pretty solid I mean, I thought this was maybe As you said, maybe he wasn't too much getting into it here But his intensity in this match was unbelievable And the announcers are putting him over As perhaps the best pound for pound Wrestler in the world at the time So they're definitely talking About how good Eddie Guerrero is We get loud Eddie sucks chance Right off the bat If Ray loses he loses his mask And we get a little back and forth Arm drag drop kick Cross body by Ray So he gets a, a quick start He sets up for a splash But then Eddie pulls his feet out Uh, Tosses Mysterio into the steps And then he throws him back in the ring And everything they're doing here is really intense There's a minute or two in the middle Where Eddie will slow things down a little bit But the the submissions that he's using Are not the slow it down rest holds He's actually got serious looking submissions Locked in that look painful It's not like later on When we're going to see some hand holding In some of these other matches Where you have these awful, awful looking rest holds This this match just did not stop, and it was so good. Big uppercut. Uh, first, we get the uh, Guerrero sent uh, Santon, uh, the Centon, and then a big uppercut, big drop kick. Um, Eddie with the belly to back suplex, then another sort of a delayed suplex here. The crowd hates Eddie. Announcers keep putting him over though, and with his in ring ability, uh, tilt a whirl backbreaker. That was clean. Everything Eddie does is so smooth, and Ray is just flying around for him. Making these moves look fantastic He locks in an abdominal stretch And when he's putting in the abdominal stretch In some of these submissions He's pulling on Ray's mask And ripping it while he's doing it So it's the submission There's a lot happening While he has him in the submission He puts in a, a backbreaker And he he's, he does like a couple different pins Holding Ray's hands just making, forcing him to exert more energy He's got his hands locked, he's sort of sitting on top of him And he keeps uh, attempting to pin Ray gets back up He hits this unbelievable springboard DDT That was, it was like rolling out of a pin And he hits this springboard DDT And wow, what a spot Big drop kick Then Eddie slides back in Eddie hits a drop kick Mysterio's back outside he tosses Ray into the uh, the railing. Now they're back in the ring, and Eddie continues to rip at the mask. He's got him in a chin lock here, a gory special. But Ray gets out of it with an arm drag, and then uh, Eddie with a big drop kick, backbreaker. Ray gets to his feet, but again, 
you know, Eddie keeps getting in control so much intensity. And Tony's starting to talk now about how this is feeling like a real special match. Eddie's got uh, Ray in the corner, hung upside down in the tree of woe. And when he charges at Ray for a drop kick, Ray does a sit up. And Eddie ends up crotching himself on the post. It was a so really cool good. So spot. good. So cool. A uh, huge um, air on a big cross body from Ray after that. Just unbelievable air. And Eddie's back in the ring. Ray hits a her and Kinrana for two. Eddie gets up though, and he nails a big clothesline. Just the bounce from Ray all throughout the Eddie sucks chance happening. A big head scissors, and Eddie's now back outside. Uh, Hurricane Rana on the floor Which was incredible it, And Dusty's making up words now Like athleticisms And like he's just making up all these Like he doesn't know That's what he's really when you know he's into it you know, He's not really sure what's happening And he's going crazy here um, We get a big power bomb though from Eddie Because Eddie has a spot where he gets his knees up On a big moonsault That looked like it might have been able to finish the the, the job for Ray um, now there's a, another few minutes left here a Big drop kick off the top rope But Eddie counters it into a backbreaker Eddie goes for this frog splash And then he's able to Like mid-air Roll through It was unbelievably <laughs> like athleticism Just to see what he's able to do here He goes up top and he sets up Ray For uh, the razor's edge But Ray counters it into Hurricane Rana And he's able to pick up the win this thing almost went 14 minutes. It is one of the all-time greats. As Darren said, if you think this is the best WCW match ever as far as in-ring quality, and it's not just a random match on a Monday Nitro, this match actually had a story. These two knew each other. Eddie was starting to get over more and more as a legitimate, legitimate wrestler. Ray was awesome. He was a, a at this time he had good support, and the story was about the mask. DZ, this was a, a a real treat to get to to see, and it's cool to hear Tony, who is always full of hyperbole, said that this is one of the greatest matches in WCW history. Yeah, I mean, you you went through all the details. I don't I don't have to rehash the moves. Um, the thing that I made a note of is that this match, it, it, it's just fourteen minutes. Of, it just doesn't stop, like. You know, it's not like, yeah, this move, th- this match had three unbelievable spots. It's just one thing after the other, and it just flows beautifully. And the counters are fantastic, and it's clean, and there's no botches. And it's just like, from start to finish, just a fun ride to go on. And, um, you know, I, I, I actually, I wanted to um, go back and look to see if I could find anything that either of these two guys said uh, about the match after the fact. And I did find some stuff uh, in an interview that Mysterio did where he talked about that, um, that they knew each other so well that despite this match looking so good and having so many spots that just go from one to the other, uh, the majority of the match was called on the fly, which is, which is pretty amazing. Um, Wow. But that, and that's just how well they knew each other and yeah. were comfortable with each other. Yeah, and that's that's what he said. Um, but uh, and and he went so far as to say that uh, he said this was probably the most important match of his career. Uh, and he said that there probably wouldn't been uh, a WrestleMania 
22 moment for Ray if this match did not happen. Um, and he even admitted that after they had this match, that they tried several times to recreate it. And um, it, nothing that they did in his mind ever came close to this particular match. Now, he might be being a little hard on himself, and I, and I don't recall all of the Mysterio-Guerrero matches after this. But uh, Mysterio notes that this is one of, if not the most important match of his career, um, and said that, you know, without this match, he doesn't think that his career gets to the heights that it actually got to. And, and he puts that much, um, that much importance and credence into this specific match. Yeah. And look, even if this match was not five stars, bell to bell, even if there were a couple imperfections and there aren't Mike Tanay setting the stage brilliantly and the announcers doing something they would not do for any other match on the card, which is get out of the freaking way, set this up perfectly. We hear Mike Tanay saying Rey Mysterio is 8-0 and in mask versus mask matches in his career. You think WWF was going to do that if this match takes place on the WWF banner at this time? Absolutely no. not. We talk about Eddie disowning the mask and voluntarily removing it when he was a heel in Mexico. You think any other promotion or any other commentator was going to cite that? Absolutely not. That they was good stuff. Point. That was good make, stuff. Yeah. They make a point of talking about how Ray has the mask built into his outfit so that Eddie can't rip it off. So freaking good. And then you have the match itself where they just go a thousand miles an hour and it's so smooth and everything makes sense and it's so good. And you get Eddie Guerrero trying to slow the pace down because he realizes that for one of the few times in his career, he's going to be the bigger guy in the ring and he can do all of the intense power stuff that nobody else would let him do. And who's the opponent? The guy that gets thrown into the sides of trailers and bumps like a man possessed. Yeah, this was always going to work. This was always going to be great. It's a five-star match. It never gets old. And if you want to shut the show off after this point, you've more than gotten your money's <laughs> worth already with the first three matches on this show and how good slash notable they wound up being to wrestling historians. I mean, my goodness, Mike Tenay probably got to leave after the third match. He probably got to beat the traffic. And two of the next six matches, I'm fine with. The other four, you can absolutely take and just, <laughs> no thank you. I don't need to watch those again. So for me, it's three, and we're going to have some fun because there's one match that I liked far more than I remembered. Let's uh, continue along as G Mean Gene, uh, or post-match, Eddie attacks him. Tosses him out, but we quickly get to Mean Gene, who's talking about the hotline, talking about a big name jumping ship to WCW in the near future. Who is that, Andrew? Well, I don't know because the hotline number is dead, and also I can't afford the <laughs> $1.59 a minute. We can maybe assume that it was the hitman, but uh, yeah, Andrew doesn't know for sure. That's just an assumption. We get yeah, a black you know, and just an assumption, and I don't want to impede on Mean Gene's business. I mean, dollar fifty nine a minute. They hook you for ten minutes. That's sixteen bucks. We get the black and white NWO video with the NWO music. Hogan and Bischoff in front of the banner. He said he feels bad for the fans that came to see Piper win the title tonight because it isn't going to happen. Which is weird, you know that that's the kind of thing I'm talking about, right? Where they were so vague about this because 
Why even mention something like that Where Piper would have a chance to win the title You know um, Bischoff says It's not safe for a worker like Hogan And said Sting could come down From the rafters at any point He said he's not going to wrestle tonight Unless WCW will provide a contract That says Sting is not allowed in the building And Hogan said he's the god of wrestling And everything goes through him And that Sting isn't man enough to face him After he beats a Piper He'll prove it So Tony reiterates this That Hogan will not wrestle Unless WCW will promise that Sting won't be there So there's one thing I want to make sure we notice here Because this is one of those differences Between WWF and WCW With the NWO stuff And the black and white stuff Yeah, that's fine If you go back and watch this There's a couple seconds Where Bischoff and Hogan are just standing there And they're clearly waiting to just get cued If this is Vince's WWF at the time those things pre-taped. don't happen. It's not production it's stuff. It's yep. so smooth. This yep. though, not smooth at all whatsoever. And you can tell they're just standing there, not even really in character yet. They're just sort of standing there. You can tell someone cues them and they start puffing up and getting all heelish and whatnot. That was clearly not supposed to happen. This next match, Mongo versus Alex Wright. We talked about uh, the interview a little earlier with Deborah and with Mongo. The crowd you can't was, see it, but I'm doing the Alex Wright dance right The now. dance, the, the Das Wunder Kid, the crowd das was, was very loud before these two ever lock up. But m- the note that I really had was this match just didn't have any flow to it. M- Mongo, we've got, we can pick out one or two times when with some dance partners in tag situations and stuff. His very first match was a four-star match. And then everything downhill from there. And just, he just wasn't a great worker. He's, he's someone who's good as your, you know, the muscle and is maybe someone who can stand outside the ring and help you. But he got a, a, a pretty sizable singles push and he was actually in a feud with Goldberg here and also interacting with Deborah. There just wasn't much in here. We get some slams. Alex Wright is a fine worker, but he can't really do much in here. He's trying, um, but anytime Mongo has to sell, it just it doesn't look great. Little back and forths. We have this wrist lock that looks like they're holding hands. Honestly, <laughs> it's so weak as far as the intensity and the pressure compared to some of the submissions that we saw in you know maybe the Gato Jericho stuff or definitely in uh, Ray Eddie stuff. At one point, Alex comes off the ropes. Then we get an arm drag, a big slam from 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 Mongo. Alex Wright starts to climb the top rope, which was the weirdest spot in the world. He was like trying to get away from Mongo, and then he just starts to climb the top rope, like he was climbing a cage to get out. Where were you going? You were just going to jump off the top rope to the outside? It was it was bizarre. Um, We get a boot to the face and a clothesline. Wright goes for a pile driver. And they try a counter and that spot Is just eek It's not great Mongo ends up hitting a tombstone himself Then Goldberg runs in Believe this was the first ever pay-per-view Appearance for Goldberg here. If not it was close Because we've seen him on TV in it's, the, it's, it's the first pay-per-view For him Okay so and yeah. he's yeah he's not even in an actual match But he comes in He spears Mongo He jackhammers him and then he picks up Alex, Alex Wright And walks him over to cover him for the pin Now, this match was awful A lot of the work in the match wasn't good There was no flow 
But the the stuff at the end bothered me more than how bad the match even was. When was was it Charles Robinson? I don't know if you guys right. I think it might have been. It, it Charles. was Charles Robinson. Yeah, little Nate. And the, thing, the thing was with that. Look, if you're gonna tell that story, that's fine. But this took thirty to forty five seconds when it should have been Goldberg hops in, spear, get out of the ring, right rolls over, pinfall, boom. That's it. Five Instead, seconds tops. Instead, we get Charles Robinson trying to stall while Goldberg, who is not experienced at all, is trying to get everything in position. And he's the guy that's playing ring general because Alex Wright can't because he's supposed to be out cold. He spears Mongo and Mongo, the back of Mongo's head actually like hits the legs of Charles Robinson, the referee who's in the corner and he's trying to you know, get Deborah down off the apron, and then Deborah just gets down because the same thing. Deborah's not really experienced, so she's not one that's just gonna stand up there and keep pointing her finger and pretend to talk. She probably is just like, oh, okay, now I get down, and she doesn't realize that about the timing in the ring, so she can't really help out. Someone like a Sherry, if she's around right there, she probably stays up there longer, understands the timing, and doesn't make it seem as bad. But the referee has to pretend. That he doesn't feel somebody just bump into him. He doesn't hear or sense Goldberg come into the ring, spear Mongo, then pick Mongo up, jackhammer him, pick up Alex Wright. All of this happening right behind him. I hate stuff like this, Darren. I hate when they have to do stuff. And this happens a little bit in AEW right now. They're really bad with ref spots. But any rest, anywhere that this happens, ref spots like this, I don't like and this one was brutal Because of a lot of the people involved That Andrew hit the right word They were not experienced Yeah and you know the idea that You know someone could hit a spear Position a guy hit a jackhammer You know you have the noise and the thuds Of uh, you know the, The guy getting slammed into the ring But the referee just has no idea What's going on behind him I know Um, and this is not the only time that this happened. I mean, no, it happens see, yeah. all over oh, WWE, all over. WWF, yeah. everywhere too. But it yeah. happens all over. I mean, you guys hit everything here. Um, you know, given um, the just tragic uh, state of of uh, Mongo Mc, McMichael's life now, uh, I certainly don't want to you know drag his wrestling abilities through the mud on this show. Um, you know, he was a football player first, and he was a damn fine one. Uh, He was a a huge part of the Chicago Bears for a decade plus. He was a big part of the 1985 championship team as well. Uh, He was a personality that was larger than life when he was a football player. Uh, And it's just it's heartbreaking to see uh, what he's what he's going through now. And uh, just a uh, and a just an uh, an unfortunate and not befitting uh, a man that at times was larger than life. And uh, for Alex Wright. you know, a fine worker who never really got the big push in WCW, especially when the NWO stuff started. Um, he was one of the guys that was actually under contract with AOL Time Warner. So even if Vince wanted to sign him, he couldn't. Uh, and he kind of got left left behind because of that. Went back to Germany, started a wrestling school. Uh, he also started uh, his own uh, promotion. Uh, New European Championship Wrestling in 2009. So he's still in Germany, still involved in wrestling, but um, he would be in WCW until it ended. And uh, believe it or not, once the WCW curtain closed, 
uh, Alex Wright never appeared on wrestling television again in the United States. Wow. Uh, which is, which is really, really crazy to think about. It is for sure because he was still very, very young and could have had a run in the Americas. You'd think if you wanted one now, I, this is the match that I liked a little bit more than I probably should have, because here's the thing we talk about how Mongo McMichael had all of the rhythm of a garbage can on sticks. Okay. He was not a guy with impeccable timing. What he needed was somebody to bump around like a pinball for him. Oh, Hey, we've got this guy, Alex, Wright That's not really doing anything. Let's just send him out there. And we get a couple of spots that actually look pretty good. Mongo gets a really impressive power slam early on in the ring. He gets two right bails. That's okay. We talked about how the wrist lock sort of looked ridiculous after a little while, but there were a couple of times where he's working the arm with knee drops and whatnot. And he actually sort of looks like he knows what he's doing. And if this is just a six minute match with that really short finish, that we talked about it potentially having, I think it's fine. The problem is that finish that should have taken 10 seconds took the better part of a minute because nobody knew where the heck they were supposed to be except for the guy who was supposed to be out cold and couldn't direct traffic. A match that I thought could have been a lot worse, but the ending was just as bad as it gets. And it's also worth mentioning that the entire purpose of this match, if you haven't figured it out, is to create the feud between Goldberg and Mongo. Yeah, uh, yep, it's the because, only reason why this match is even on the card. Because after the match, right away, Goldberg uh, takes out Alex Wright. He gets this. Uh, Deborah gives him Mongo's Super Bowl ring, and so that starts to build Goldberg. And as DZ mentioned, this is one of his first real feuds. I think we had Goldberg beat like Hugh Morris, but he was just sort of stacking up wins on like Saturday night. And this was really when he was just getting on the TV and pay-per-views. Now we got another black and white NWO style promo with the music in the background. This is Andrew. You pointed it out. The first NWO promo where they had Hogan and Bischoff just kind of standing here. Here's another thing, right? With the music in the background, the way that Randy Savage did, did his promos when he goes up real high and then he goes down low, you know, when the music's playing, you can't hear what he's saying. <laughs> like when he goes down low, yeah, it, it goes over his his like the sound of his voice. It it it's too loud, and so yeah. it doesn't work for him with the style. If he was talking in just the the real Randy Savage voice, oh, throw a lot of it, he would have been fine, but. As soon as he has to go down, and it would have been like if Jake the Snake was trying to cut a promo in front of music in the background. It doesn't work because he talks so soft that you you know you're forced to listen. That's just a little production thing that three or four things that he's saying. I'm like, what did he really say? I was trying to like to hear it a little bit. Then we put it on top of the fact that poor Liz, Miss Elizabeth. Early WWE first lady of wrestling, early WWF first lady of wrestling, huge moments, fun stuff. She never seemed comfortable speaking ever. Never. Well, at she never point. seemed comfortable at this point in WCW going forward because they were making her be something she wasn't. 
They were putting her with her ex-husband, mm-hmm. who she had a weird relationship. And that's a great point, right? She wasn't in a very comfortable situation throughout a lot of the time that she's in wrestling with a guy like Randy, who we knew was very intense. But wow, she just from early on, she never seemed natural or comfortable speaking. The 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 best way to put this would be if Becky Lynch and Seth Rollins got divorced tomorrow. And Triple H had the idea of, okay, we're going to make Becky Seth's valet. That's right. basically what this would have been. And there's no way it would have flown in present day professional wrestling. It just wouldn't be booked that way today. And this was uncomfortable to watch for a couple of different reasons. First of all, you get the Randy Savage volume issues because, again, they were doing these live, not pre-taped. You do this pre-tape, you can fix it in post a little bit, and it's not a big deal. But you do it live you get one shot at it and if you miss up that one shot all of a sudden what you get isn't exactly a refined product now with the nwo stuff it was never supposed to be overly refined that was part of the appeal but you still got to hear the guy who's cutting the freaking promo and then there's liz and we know how badly that ends this was not an easy watch and speaking of not an easy watch up next Disco Inferno against Jacqueline. That's called a segue, <laughs> kids. This is terrible. This awful. This, awful. This is an intergender match that WWE or WCW is not sanctioning. So Wait, can title... we can we just touch on Dustin Dusty Rhodes just yelling cat fight, cat fight, cat fight? Dusty says, <laughs> "Now Shelling, we're forced." His inner Jerry Lawler. <laughs> J- Dusty said, "Now." Now we're forced to watch a man and a woman trying to beat each other up, which was just as stupid, but it made me laugh. I was like, that was just pretty much exactly what I was feeling as I watched. Yeah. The announcers aren't sure really how to announce this. And the problem with this match is that what is, what does this do for either of these two? Because it's not as if there's a great women's division that Jacqueline can get some, some rub off of this, that she beat disco or, you know, you don't get, Anything out of this and it doesn't Do anything for disco And he's just Stalling running around We get a sunset flip From Jacqueline he's afraid to really Put her in any kind of holds or hurt Her at all she's chasing him He keeps getting in and out of the ring She gets a little kick to the Midsection and then a few punches He keeps ducking back out of the Ring the crowd's getting antsy and Starting to get annoyed here Disco's hiding behind the referee Dusty is Really fixated on Hulk Hogan And how there might not be a main event She finally is able to get him down Shoulder block And he gets Crotched up on the post She hits a suplex on the floor Like Jacqueline's athletic She was good in ring She was certainly capable (laughs) The outfit that she's wearing Which was something that Jacqueline liked to do too She kept like almost popping out uh, of her outfit and having to readjust. And I her. may also say that uh, the air conditioner might have been on a little too high in that. Arena. Yeah, she uh, having kept having to readjust herself a little bit throughout. She ends up hitting a cross, or she hit a really nice DDT. Um, a couple clotheslines. She that looked pretty hard. She couldn't take him down with the clothesline, so she kept. She hit a couple of them. Then she hits a nice DDT. She goes up top for a cross body, but Disco reverses it. She's end up, she ends up gets the, the shoulder up And then she rolls him up late the, the finish was a little off And this thing went almost 10 minutes It was just like ugh. 
This is an angle, not a match. And the problem is now we're starting to get to the point of the night where when you look at the cart, the match is carded. We just had a match that was more of an angle than a match between with Mongo and Deborah and Goldberg stuff. This match is not really a match. There's almost no in-ring work at all in 10 minutes. It's just chasing around. The Luger Scott Hall isn't really a match and it goes on for 13 minutes. I mean, there's in-ring work, but it's more about the story with Larry and with Scott Hall and Bischoff and all of them. And and then the Piper Hogan stuff is it's just all of this stuff doesn't even feel like real in-ring work now from the rest of the night on DZ. This was not something that I liked and it just went on too long. Oh yeah. I mean it was ridiculous how long this went on for. I, I this should have been a quick little thing. Five I mean, minutes? This, yeah. Four or five minutes, half of what it was. Yeah. I mean it's um slip on a yeah. banana peel, roll him up type of thing, right? Yeah, like that's yeah, exactly. I mean it you know I mean some of the stuff that Jacqueline did was impressive. You know, putting the guy in a suplex, you know, out on the floor, you know, hit a nice DDT like you said. Um, you know, I mean, Jacqueline certainly could, could hold her own, but this is just awkward, uncomfortable, you know, get me to the next match and, and end this thing already. Yeah. Um, I couldn't go the full negative Monty on this as much as I wanted to, because otherwise we would have had the, probably the one show in history with both a five-star match and a minus five-star match. I wound up giving it minus three because my <laughs> thing is what's the freaking point of this? If you're not going to have a wrestling match, don't book a wrestling match. If you want to just have an angle where Jacqueline's chasing disco all around the arena, that would actually be a pretty fun series of comedy segments where you'd have disco trying to hide and trying to get, you know, people to protect him. And then finally Jacqueline gets her hands on him, beats the crap out of him. That's actually entertaining. Instead, we get this for no reason. And the only reason it's not minus five stars is because, as you mentioned, Darren, Jacqueline's at least trying. They're trying to do something with this. It just does not work. And this would be a formula for intergender wrestling that a lot of people are still struggling with today. We saw it work as effectively as it probably ever has in Lucha Underground and an impact where Tessa Blanchard was actually the company's world champion before everything completely imploded. That's the best way I can put that. But this was just a situation where it was wrong place, wrong time, wrong booking, wrong everything. Think about the last four matches coming up on this card. If you're just talking about the names, Kurt Henning, Mr. Perfect, Ric Flair, Lex Luger, Scott Hall, Razor Ramon, Macho Man Randy Savage with Miss Elizabeth, Diamond Dallas Page, Rowdy Roddy Piper, and Hulk Hogan. Like, you've got some huge names. That's a heck of a card. And, and In 1990. Of, yeah. No, and you're right. And this, is, this is 1997. <laughs> yeah. And the problem here in this particular foursome of matches we have coming up to finish the card, the guy closest to his prime is probably Lex Luger. The, the the next best would be DDP because DDP doesn't really have a whole longevity body of work under him. He still kind of felt new and fresh, but nobody was really at their best here. I will say this next match, I actually liked a lot of it. Um, Mr. Perfect, Kurt Hennig versus uh, Ric Flair. We saw them have feuds. They were teamed up in WWF. They had a really good match on Raw, the, the loser leaves WWF match. 
And this was kind of a fun one for Bobby the Brain because obviously he loves both of these guys. He was Mr. Perfect's manager in WWF. He was Flair's executive consultant. Um, and they so he he's had ties with both of them for a while. But Kurt Henning comes down the ring in Ric Flair's robe. Flair's music hits and he sprints Ultimate Warrior style down to the down to the ring. And he goes right at it. Big chops. Flair is really intense uh, early on. Um, big shot to the head. He tosses uh, Kurt to the floor. And then Kurt wants to head to the back, but Rick chases him down, hits him from behind, tosses him back in the ring. Um, I thought some of the kicks were fun from Flair that I, I hadn't seen uh, a whole lot. He wraps uh, Kurt's leg around the post, grabs a chair, uh, but Kurt's able to roll out of the way. And... The robe is still on at this point for uh, for Kurt. And then Ric Flair takes off the robe. He puts it on himself. And he starts to strut, which was a great spot. The crowd was loving it. As Flair is just crazy at this point. He's going nuts here. And he hits a clothesline. Or he he tosses Kurt into the, uh, into the turnbuckle. And then here comes... Heading with the big clothesline So this is when things change just a little bit Net breaker and now Kurt's in charge We get a little back and forth Now Kurt wraps Flair's knee around the post So we've been seeing a lot of that In this particular match There's a couple spots already with that We uh, we have Kurt Every time Flair gets a little flurry Kurt's able to kind of take advantage again He slows it down a little bit in the middle So if you want to have a gripe there I can understand that it got a little slow and Flair with a thumb to the eye Which was fun We get some big chops back and forth And Flair uh, Is sent over the top rope With his big spot up over the turnbuckle Then Flair keeps trying to to Fight back and get into it And Kurt tosses him into the railing And we have a big Shoulder block from Flair And Flair actually Gets locked in a sleeper hold He's able to battle out of it and this is this is pretty fun for out a lot of it. I didn't really have too many issues with it till we get towards the end. Um, the spot sort of made sense at the end. We still get some chops. Um, Kurt goes outside to grab his belt to leave, but Flair follows him and hits a big knee from uh, behind in the aisle. And Kurt lays the belt out on the mat in the ring like he's about to set up for his finisher, the Fisherman Suplex. But Rick is able to reverse it Doesn't hit the belt at all uh, They talk about like that he hits, hits the belt a little bit He puts Kurt in uh, Hung upside down, another tree of woe spot And he puts the belt Around his head And then he stomps down on the belt And gets DQ'd With Kurt hung upside down He keeps going after Kurt, just stomping on him The beginning of the match Was, was starting out really well It slowed down and then with a finish like that on a pay-per-view I don't really like because these are Shows that you kind of want to have More conclusive finishes here DZ it wasn't the best match that These two guys had but they knew what to Do with each other these guys were still pros And I thought it was pretty solid Yeah it it was all right. I mean Henning was just starting to get his Legs underneath him again Mm -hmm. Uh, He's not in the best shape of his life here Um, He actually gets in Better shape as his WCW Run Progresses. Uh, this is in the fallout of him turning his back on the four horsemen in, at the fall brawl, which is what started this rivalry with with Flair. Um, and, and Hennig is a guy who's had a world of ability, who's had a lot of injuries, specifically to his back in the mid 1990s, 
he's long past his prime at this point. Um, but he could still have a match and he could still do good things. Um, he's still got a lot of charisma. He's still a big name. He's still a draw. Yeah, th- th- this match is fine. It's kind of interesting because I-, I was trying to remember and I had to look up what year it was. Um, Henning stays with WCW through pretty much their ending in 2000. Um, he competed five years after this or four and a half years after this uh, in the Royal Rumble where he uh, finished in the in the top final three. four. Yeah, yeah, right. He was third. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And if you go and you watch him there, he's actually in much better shape four and a half years later than he is at, at this. So um, he's coming back from injury here. He's coming back for some issues. Um, he got released by WWE because he got into that ridiculous fight with Brock Lesnar on the plane. Um, you know, he's got a lot of other things going on. But um, yeah, Perfect and Flair was always a cool story, whether it was uh, WWF around SummerSlam 92 going into the Survivor Series, some other things they did, the Horsemen here. Um, so yeah, I always mark out for these two. It's not the greatest match in the world, but you, you put Perfect and Flair in a ring together or Henning and Flair in a ring together, and I'm going to watch it and I'm going to enjoy it. If I may just clear one quick thing up, it was the 2002 Royal Rumble that he was in. So he came over reasonably quick and it was 02 where he had a couple of, you know, a little bit of momentum. And then they got on that plane and uh, boy, the less said about that, the better. As far as this match goes, it's a decent match with a horrible finish and a great, and I mean, great trivia question. Somebody goofed. Did either of you guys catch it? So, the, what 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 title is, so, uh, no. is what title is this match for, guys? Not friendly. It was, I oh. guess it was supposed to be for the U.S. title, right? Oh, what, I didn't even realize. What, what what belt is Kurt Hennig carrying? Is it the TV title? It's the cruiserweight title. I was cruiserweight. Say cruiserweight. Yeah. Somebody nice. goofed. That's and great. it's one of those things where it's a great little Easter egg if you can look for it. It's a good makes spot. You wonder whatever happened to the US title. But good spot, they, Andrew. Uh, they do this. And this is what I don't get. Because look, if you're going to tell this match in this in this way, the way to use the belt in the finish to get any sort of heat is Hennig clocks flare with the belt. To avoid losing the belt. And then you wind up blowing it off with a no DQ match where, you know, everything's legal and you wind up in a situation where there has to be a winner. That's just basic storytelling. The match is fine. The ending makes no logical sense. And it's unfortunate because if you look at this pay-per-view, there are only, let's see, one match, two, three Four matches have clean finishes, and one of them is Jackal and Disco Inferno. Come on. <laughs> it, it, Put this someone was over. On a pay-per-view. This And this was the problem with all the NWO involvement and a lot of it. You have the NWO run out after this. Flair's going crazy. The refs, you know, uh, try to pull him off, and NWO is able to get uh, Kurt out of there and take him There's to the There's one thing really quick with this post-match stuff. Tony Schiavone asks the million dollar question and you can tell the announcers are starting to get sick of seeing the same thing every week. The NWO has guys that are constantly coming out to help their own people. Why is nobody coming out to help Ric Flair? I know. Why is nobody coming out to help any WCW Sting, Lex Luger, all of these guys, right? Where's every... Yeah, and it's just, it's one of those things where ultimately 
The NWO made a lot of people a lot of money in 1996 and the start of 1997, but they kept doing the same stuff week after week after week after week to where it lost steam and these questions got louder and louder. And it it ultimately wound up hurting the product in ways that I don't want to say they killed the company because the NWO on its own did not kill the company. But if what killed the company was death by a thousand paper cuts, this was probably about 167 of them. So, yeah, just it was a weird night for for Macho Man on the mic, too. He's on he's on he's sitting down with the guys with Mark Madden and he says something really awkward. And then he says, oh, yeah, I'm a little nervous. Like What? Randy (laughs) Savage, you're nervous cutting a promo. Yeah, what are you talking about? I've heard you cut. Some of the greatest promos that like it was just sort of so, weird. I got what they were trying to do here with the online stuff. And but the Shawn Michaels playing it stupid kind of a yes. thing almost. Now you know? there is a good quirk here though, because if you notice the website they're hyping, the website is wcwwrestling.com. <laughs> so their website is World Championship World Wrestling Championship Wrestling. 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 Oh. That's because so WCW and my guess is somebody bought WCW.com and before world championship wrestling could. And that's great. That's, that's the most WCW thing imaginable. And I'm going to look it, that up to see what actually happened. It's the La Trattoria. <laughs> You're saying the, the Trattoria. No, the La Trattoria. No, but yeah. law means the. It's the, the. the it, no, you know what it is? The best example of this, and Gino, you can attest to this as a Southern Californian, the La Brea Tar Pits literally translates to the, the Tar Tar Pits. Yeah. That's a great pull. The, just so many of these little backstage segments were bad. Just, they're just not good. And the little promo stuff, we've got Mean Gene, who's out with J.J. Dillon. J.J. Dillon's the on-screen authority. Here, Mean Gene calls Bischoff a piece of trash, which just made me pop. Um, just can't believe Hogan and Bischoff are trying to get out of this match. JJ Dillon says it's been a tough year, but the match is going to happen no matter what. And then Bischoff comes out. Bischoff is out there. I think I timed it. It was less than three minutes where Bischoff's out there. I think it was like two minutes when when he's out there, like two twenty. He says four times in that, and, rem- and mind you. He's it, he's only out on screen here in this point for like two minutes and 20 seconds. So he's only talking for little portions of it. He says that JJ does not have the stroke four times. Four times in this period. You don't have the stroke for that. JJ, you don't have the stroke for that. You don't have the stroke. No, you don't have the stroke. Like, he couldn't find another word? This was terrible. <laughs> I just... <laughs> I think I was like, what the hell? It was little things like Andrew's mentioning production stuff. That was the downfall. You don't see those kind of really bad mistakes, or this was something that they would have maybe pre-taped or you, you work it out a little bit better. It just came off horrible. And also, by the way, I hated this storyline where the day of a major pay-per-view, you're talking about getting rid of the main event. Because reasons There's just no reason to do Any of this storyline You've already got Hogan and Piper In a steel cage Sort of More on that later 
don't overcomplicate things. And yet here we are with this needless storyline that ultimately led up to a match that A, was terrible, and B, meant nothing. By the and way, quick, s- quick note. When I, was in, uh, when I was in Nashville over the weekend last week for, well, I don't know when this is going to air, Gino, but when I, was there, yeah. when I was there for SummerSlam, um, I was actually walking to the gate in the Nashville airport, and, and I looked up and I, and I said to Amanda, I went, holy shit, Eric Bischoff. And sure oh, enough, nice. There he was just walking right at us. And I went, hey, the man, Eric, what's going on? He goes, what's happening, brother? Nice. I was like, how was your weekend, man? Did you have fun? He goes, I had a blast. You enjoy yourself? Yeah, we had like a quick little back and forth. I don't cool. take, I don't like taking pictures with guys or stopping them. Just a quick, you know, hello, shook hands. Yeah, was real, that's cool. Was real, was real nice and everything like that. So cool. We had, we had a good exchange. It, it, it went much better than a couple of days prior when we were walking through downtown Nashville where the bars are. And, um, uh drake maverick was walking towards us on the street and amanda goes hey darren pat mcafee and i went <laughs> and drake maverick and jake drake maverick looked at her like what and i went what yeah no <laughs> no my bad my yeah, bad yeah. mcafee's like twice his size i mean literally drake maverick is so small it, it looks like i i mean i oh, i you're always way bigger knew, than him no no tower over him tower yeah. he's got to be five foot five 130 pounds yep that's a cool story about bish uh yeah, for yeah, dz yeah. running into him this uh the past couple weeks ago so this next match i hated this match me too i, I hated this match this thing went on way too long i don't want to see lex luger selling for eight nine maybe ten minutes yeah. out of a 13 minute match what like Lex Luger is not, that's not the point of Lex Luger. He's a big, great looking dude who's got power moves. You want to see him use his strength. I don't want to see, like Lex Luger felt like a complete pawn in this match. It did not matter who this was. It was like, oh, we don't have anything for Luger really. So we'll put him in there because it's going to help be a catalyst for the Scott Hall, Zabisco and the Bischoff Zabisco stuff that they have going on. I did you not know, like is this. Is this match not a microcosm of Lex Luger's career? It I is. mean, it is the guy with the look that's supposed to be something, and they never can ever figure out what to do with him, whether it's WCW in the late 80s, early 90s, where they cool him down too fast, fire him up too fast. The wrong guy at the wrong place at the wrong time happens all the time with him. WWF turning him into a cheesy gimmick heating him up cooling him off not knowing what to do with him and then using him in this spot where lex luger selling is one of the most painful things you can watch in wrestling when he gets kicked in the stomach and you get the oh oh like i mean it's terrible and it's not what he's supposed to do and it literally is just i i cannot stand watching lex luger matches anymore not because of him but because they screwed him up no matter what, what, what promotion it was, he should have never been booked that way. Never, yeah. ever. Yeah. And he two two months before this, he beat Hogan for the world title on TV on free on, TV. He beats Hogan for the world title to lose it back six days later at, at a show that did a live gate of wait for it, wait for it, zero zero dollars. Zero. 
It, what the hell is going in, on here? Now, my big thing, this is my big thing. You, you say Scott Hall against Lex Luger. Okay, that's got some juice. Larry Zabisco, special referee, whatever. He didn't do anything. Hell, 93, 94 in WWF. This would have been fun. But this, to me, was a total waste of time. There were no stakes in this match at all whatsoever. You can. It might have been my least favorite match on the card because of that. Because it was just like you said. It was a total waste. I just didn't. There were matches that were worse. But this was just. I, I Thirteen minutes of this too. Yeah, and the thing is, you know there are shenanigans coming because there are always shenanigans coming. And in fact, when Larry Zabisco tries to send six to the back, six goes nowhere. Then why is Larry Zabisco there if he has no power? Come on, this is just—it's a complete and total waste of time. It hit me as something you book on a nitro rather than something you book. On a legitimate or, like the main event I, of a nitro is fine like, for this because then you I have the spot where you yeah. right you look up at I, the the jumbotron and you overturn it. But even that's like even that is wonky and it just I, I and I don't know if it's just me, but it always felt maybe to me a little forced with guys like Zabisco and Bobby who are like lifetime heels and now they're sort of like the company baby faces because of this NWO thing. Zabisco for sure because at least with Heenan you got him saying I was right about this guy all along. But with Zabisco it's just like I was too young as a kid to understand Larry Zabisco's importance. Now if you're a wrestling history buff Go look at his stuff from the 80s. His angle with Bruno Sammartino is one of the top 10 angles in the history of professional wrestling. It's gold. It's fantastic. And even his stuff, and you guys are going to laugh at this because you know I have a soft spot for this, even his stuff in the later days, AWA. No, he was the last he, AWA well, champion, yeah, right? He was the champ because he was Vern Gagne's son-in-law, and Vern knew he wasn't going anywhere, but he was still entertaining. There's an AWA show with Larry Zabisco doing like a talk show thing, and he's interviewing the Rockers, Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty. And it's the coolest thing in the world, knowing what all three guys would wind up doing. But in this capacity... At this time in WCW, I just didn't care at all whatsoever. Now, now, Hall and Luger, they're sort of trying, but they know this match has no stakes. They don't care. Luger's probably upset in- for the same reason that you said. It means nothing. He, this is a guy yeah. who was just in the title picture two months ago. Yeah, and if the people involved in the match don't care, why should I care? Can, we can, can tell. I also, I also just want to raise one thing in the subject of matches with special guest referees where the real story of the match is the ref having a beef with one of the wrestlers he's refereeing. This is two months after SummerSlam 97, where the main event was Bret Hart versus The Undertaker, two of the biggest Shawn- names in the history of wrestling, with Shawn Michaels as the special guest referee. Now, I understand, you know, you're talking about Bret Hart, The Undertaker, and Shawn Michaels. But we are talking about Lex Luger. We are talking about Scott Hall and Larry Zbysko. If you compare, forget about the level of whatever you want to say for that match. If you compare how that match at SummerSlam two months before this is booked and the difference that WWF has in terms of being able to bring the issue between the ref 
and the competitor to the forefront while still building it into the match and having a fantastic match with a fantastic finish versus what WCW does here. I don't care about the ratings wars. If you put stuff like that side by side, you can see that at their best, when you take the best of WWF at the time and the best of WCW, WCW couldn't shine their shoes. If I didn't have like a full recap of the match in front of me, there might not be one thing I actually remembered <laughs> from because it was just so basic of like, oh, Scott Hall's in control and, you know, he, he's t- talking trash to Zabisco and Zabisco, you know, is trying to play it straight. You know, he's not really favoring Luger, but he obviously hates Hall, so he doesn't want to help Hall at all. And in. And then at the end we get Bischoff running out And he gets knocked down And then you have Six who's out there It just It ends up where it looks like Scott Hall wins They count to three Because Six had come in And kicked him in the back of the head Then Zabisco asks for a replay to be shown On the big screen And he sees the replay He says that the match is going to be restarted And then Hall comes back in Zabisco like pushes him in the Luger, which of course you can't do as a referee, anyways, right? Like right. you can't put yeah. your hands uh, on someone. So that's a DQ. The moment he pushes him, Lex picks him up, puts him in a torture rack. He tries to call for the finish, but they he gets a att- Lex gets attacked before it was really clear. So you don't even know if there's a finish or whatever what happened. It's just this was a waste. I really I, I didn't like this at all. And there were worse things on the show, but this was like my least favorite thing. Uh, of all And Six comes in, he puts Sabisco in a chokehold And Hall and Bischoff stand over him And Bischoff covers him and they count to three Like it was a you know, Like he got a win over him or something And glad that we're done with that And we can move along To a commercial for World War 3 Which was such a cool idea I remember being so excited for it And then they would come on It was like, my eyes would be squinting You can't see anything that's happening Because they have no. the triple screen you can't even see one person being eliminated And the booking of those Were so bad and it was just The debut just, of the Yeti at that yeah. thing. <laughs> you just, I mean Scott it, Hall Won it one year and never got his title shot Yeah <laughs> In the one year Hogan actually Lost I think Hogan didn't even really Get eliminated the one of the years When they had Macho Man win it it was yep. funny Hogan actually had a gripe that one year Which was kind of kind of great but um, Yeah that, that Last Luger Hall not great This next match though was very good It was fun if you're going to have a Complaint this is a long match so I won't go Through every single thing but I will go Through some of the uh, the really fun spots in it We had a macho man With Miss Elizabeth versus DDP In a Las Vegas sudden death Match basically like this is last man Standing and these two Have been feuding for a while DDP Says this is really what got him over Macho man helped get him over And it's fun like it's a fun brawl And be, because of the style of this match The pace isn't going to be As fast it's more of like Kind of a stone cold main Event where they're brawling all over brawling Through the crowd they, they, they're going all Over the place um, And DDP selling through A lot of this DDP hits a Nice swinging net breaker he goes for the diamond Cutter but macho man slides out Of the ring pair uh, DDP tosses macho man into the Guardrail and then Macho Man goes off the top rope, double axe handle on the floor. He he picks up a big clothesline, and Dusty. It was funny because they start to make their way down the aisle, 
they're they're moving, they're like battling through the crowd, and then they're over by the aisle, and Macho Man gets thrown into the set, the little graveyard that they have set up, and DDP um, slams him on top of one of the graves. And Dusty calls it the real tombstone pile driver, which was a good line from the Dusty. Uh, Dusty then starts laughing uncontrollably. At this point, he says, he wobble-legged him. He did, he wobble-legged him. He freaking wobble-legged him. He says it three times. And then he, he says, he picked up the waitress tray and busted him with it. And he's just cracking himself up. And, and the announcers are going, there's no waitress here, Dusty. <laughs> but, but I will say the spot ended up working out a little bit later. Or the, the line ended up working out a little later on. And uh, so they head back towards ringside. And much, now there are really lots of strikes here. As Tony says that... Uh, um, oh, so... We get Macho Man who takes one of the cameras from the guys at ringside, and Tony says it's a hundred grand right there for the camera when he knocks it. When he knocks it into, uh, he tries to hit Page with it, but Page actually kicks up his feet, and so it ends up hitting Macho Man in the face. Here comes Elizabeth, and she runs down. She's got a glass tray, and she smashes it right over DDP's head. And then Dusty says, "There's the waitress," which was. Pretty good. It was a great line. Then Kimberly comes down. So we get the cat fight where they're going at it. And the guys are loving seeing Kimberly and Elizabeth getting physical. And DDP signals for the uh, the diamond cutter. But Macho Man grabs the ropes. And then he climbs up top. He hits an elbow drop. He hits another elbow drop. And DDP is able to get to his feet at the at the count of nine. We get a little more back and forth And DDP accidentally hits the referee But uh, he's able to hit a diamond cutter Everybody's down Everybody gets back to their feet at I think at the 8 count And DDP goes for another diamond cutter But Macho Man sends him to the outside And someone dressed like Sting Comes down Hits Paige with the bat And DDP can't answer the 10 count So the match ends at 18 It was a really good match Maybe you can cut off Three minutes here and there And it's 15 and makes it a little bit tighter Really solid match Good work But another bad ending DZ Where why can't we have a more clean ending here Like I know you're trying to keep DDP strong And you're doing all the wonky sting stuff Like why Why can't Macho Man You already had Elizabeth out there smashing him over the head We needed this on top of it too Yeah a little. It's a little overbooked um, Probably went a little longer than I need to um, these guys had a great feud. This match is not the, the, their best match is the Great American Bash match. I think mm-hmm. that same year. Um, this this match is not as good as that. But these two had a really good chemistry in the ring. There's some overselling in here, and it gets a little wonky at times. And there's extracurricular nonsense, which is par for the course for WCW during this era. Um, there's good things in here. There's good selling. There's some bad selling. Um, you know. Uh, the savage elbow drop is not really landing where it's supposed to land. I know the first time it's supposed to be because he's tired and he didn't really get all of it and whatnot. Um, yeah, it's, it's not bad. It's got some bad spots. The ending I didn't like, like you said. Um, and again, I compare everything to the 97 great American bash match, which was probably a four and a quarter type star match. It's fine. Uh, it's certainly better than what came before it. It's certainly better than what's about to come after it. 
maybe I elevated it a little bit because of that. Um, but it was fun. Um, didn't didn't really offend me. It was it was fine. I really liked this match. Um, we we've talked a lot on this show when these matches have come up about my issue with last man standing matches and endings being unnecessarily convoluted. And my big gripe being what's wrong with someone hitting someone else really, 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 really hard. So they don't get up at some point. Last man standing matches became construction jobs where you tried to bury somebody under as much stuff as you could so that they can't stand up. And that's just not as much fun for me unless it involves Brock Lesnar and a ridiculously huge piece of construction equipment, literally moving a ring. Uh, That's probably the one exception, but I like this match a lot because you get two guys that have really good chemistry that have worked together extensively. Page talked a lot and still talks a lot about how he would not have been anywhere close to the story became without Randy Savage buying in. He tells the story of how he didn't know how the first match with him and Randy was going to go. Arn Anderson walks in and says, what do you want to do tonight, Randy? Because Randy had the creative control clause in his contract. I'm going to try to do this. Okay. You guys are going to have to try to bear with me on this. Okay. But Randy Savage goes, I think I want to take the diamond cutter tonight. And Arn goes, Arn goes, are you serious? Paige, do you understand what this means? And that wound up ultimately being the catalyst for a lot of really good matches. My personal favorite and look star ratings don't matter with something like this. My favorite match with Paige and Savage was when Paige disguised himself as La Parka, hit the diamond cutter on Nitro, <laughs> yeah. and the yeah, place went freaking place bonkers, and Paige slips out through the crowd. Like He was I over. Was, oh, yeah, and the thing was, he, you could tell, was one of the few guys that, well, he might not have been the most talented guy in the ring, he worked his ass off Had a lot of every single though. night. It he cared. was a case. Yeah, he did. He genuinely cared and wanted to do a lot of stuff each and every night he was out there. And that's not something we can say for a lot of players in WCW's main event scene. Guys, I've got this match at four stars, and I understand that's probably overrating it a bit, but I love watching these two guys work. I understand the ending was a little bit wonky, but I just think these guys have so much chemistry. And this is one of the few last man standing matches that's actually just decided when one guy can't answer the count of 10 after getting hit really, really, really hard. So I like this match. It's well worth seeking out if you haven't seen it. It wasn't quite as high, but I was still in the three and a half ish range. Three. I had three and a quarter to three and a half. Three plus was what I said. Uh, so, yeah, it was it was good. These both these guys both did good. DDP was someone who. He doesn't have he didn't have any ego either. He would be willing to do whatever needed to be done for the business, for the match, for the angle. And DDP was def he had a good couple year run here where he was one of the one of the hotter baby faces in all of wrestling. So a, a good match in their feud. It wasn't the best one that they had, but all of their feud was pretty solid. And when you compare it to a lot of the other stuff on the show, this is definitely uh in the top half in one of the better matches. Let's finish this thing up with uh well actually post match we had a DDP getting carried out on a stretcher They said that the fake sting was Hogan And 
We are set up for the steel cage match Hogan versus Rowdy Roddy Piper So this cage will look sort of weird Right? It was It was like the old WWE, WWF cage Where it was a little bigger With the the spots in between So it was bigger and sort of easier to climb It wasn't like a chain link fence Like you would see like the Hell in a Cell But it came down But it came down around the ring So there was room to get outside Of the ring unlike some of the Older cages So it was sort of like a I I thought the setup of it Was cool in up until the damn cage was so flimsy, like it's just flimsy. moving around and stuff. But when Savage came off the top, and he—I I thought the—I thought the whole thing was gonna fall down. And what was really scary about a lot of this match is you have Hogan and Piper on the top of this cage, but they're not doing anything, and they're not doing anything. But I'm, they're just like up there sitting on top of the cage. Like, why do you even have? What, what's the? I know the climbing and stuff, but these guys. Aren't going to do anything from up there It's just more scary and anxious To have them freaking up there because I was worried someone was going to kill themselves Or break their neck This match sucked too I mean it just did Like I don't want to go through a lot of it Because there's nothing really special to it It's Piper you know, you and Hogan You know what was special? I'll tell you what was special And and, and I use the word special In a sarcastic manner Oh this will be fun I'm looking forward to this the, 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 This is what was special Special is the match doesn't end when Hogan no. walks out of the door first and Piper follows him. And they said, Oh, he left at the same time. Oh, he left at the same time. How did they leave at the same Somebody time? Somebody stepped on the when floor one first. One guy walked first and then the next guy went behind him. That, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, is special. That was yeah. like, it's a it's a cage, it's a cage match, which Piper asked for so that Hogan couldn't escape, except you can leave the cage. And he escapes like two minutes into the match To keep Hogan in They fight to get out of the cage They fight to get back in the cage Savage has to go all the way up top Even though the door is open And by the way Randy Savage deserves a lot of credit Because he came reasonably close On that axe handle That had no right to hit anything The broad side of a barn He tried uh, tried. And that's the only reason I give this match positive stars I gave it a half star It's one of those things where There's so many fake stings that serve no purpose This match served no purpose You get Roddy Piper Because we're in the middle of setting up A Sting-Hogan feud Which, okay, let's say The the Sting build, the year-long build was was pretty good a lot of it It was good they built We say maybe it went on a little long Because the problem is think about The last couple months In the middle of this long standing feud With Sting where you have to have Hogan doing some other stuff Because Sting's not wrestling week to week And in every pay per view until it's going to be His big match with Hogan You You have Hogan lose to Lex Luger Lose the title And then you have Hogan get beat by Piper A couple different times he doesn't lose the title but by the time Sting beat him, it didn't feel like as big of a deal to beat Hogan and take the title for him because in the last four or five months, you've already seen him lose a couple times to other guys along the way. It was yep, and, weird timing for all of this. And by the way, Hogan got, I don't even want to say submitted, he passed out to the sleeper applied by, what did we say in the opening? A fossil. Yeah. So who did this help? By, by the way, we were talking about the door stuff before they walk out of the door one after the other, but yet the match continues to go forward. 
Hogan is hitting Piper and he starts yelling at the referee to open the door. And then this is like three minutes into the match. He is agonizingly slow in trying to walk out the door. All he's like Piper's on the floor. All he's got to do is walk out the door. It's three minutes into the match. You're he, not tired. There's no, you're, there's no, no yeah. impact of anything that's happened. Why don't you just he skip is, out the door? Yeah. And he is taking steps like the geriatric version of Hogan that Vince McMahon would put on the commercials in order to get out of the cage. Um, you want to watch making the door work in a steel cage match. Watch the Brett Owen match at SummerSlam 94 and watch what they do with the door leaping over one another, nearly flying out of the door and, and how you can actually make something silly where walking out the door wins into a really cool part of the match, as opposed to the two of you guys just walking out one after the other and continuing to fight. This, it just, it's hard. Hogan walking all over the place. He keeps trying to get away from Piper for a lot of this, you know, it's just Piper kind of slowly stalking after him. It's not even Piper at this like intense pace, like, like crazy flair earlier in the night, right? Flair's older, but flair's going after Kurt Hennig with real intensity. He starts the match flying around. There's none of that in here. No, none of that. No. Not Cash at all. Check. Cash in the check. Terrible. It was. Yeah. It was awful. It, I mean, there. There's moments where they're up top on the the cage trying to get over, but the cage is all wobbly. So it's taking anyone that's that's climbing the cage a ton of time trying to get up there. And Andrew mentioned Savage. Savage comes out, climbs to the top, jumps off the cage. Acts like he hits someone, but doesn't hit anyone. No, misses everything. Misses everything. But the comes close are... enough to where I can't really fault him. Yeah, like, they were trying. That, that's not an easy spot. And Piper. No, and to be honest with you, I'll blame it more on the guys down low. They Absolutely. They got to get in the right spot. They got to get underneath and yep. line up with him better. And Piper ends up putting the sleeper on. Hogan can't answer. Wait, wait, wait. But Which, by the way, the bigger mythological figure. Larger than life Hulk Hogan, the centerpiece of what WCW has been doing for the last year, not only loses because he passes out to a sleeper hold, he passes out in like seven seconds. It, it's it's not like like we've seen big guys in WWE pass out uh, in in instances where they're being submitted. 30 Walk seconds, a yeah, minute, but, but, you know, but but. but they they do something big to try to get out of it. Think Steve Austin at the WrestleMania match against Bret Hart has a moment that makes his career because he's trying to fight out of it. Bailey Brock did Lesner, that against Oscar too. Yes, mm-hmm. Bailey doing it against Oscar. Uh, yes, exactly. Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam against Undertaker, knowing he's going to sleep and sitting there defiantly and gives Taker the middle finger. Like there's something that you can do. This dude just goes to sleep in seven seconds, and that's it. I mean, who books this shit? Yeah, it, <laughs> it was, it, it it was, it was brutal. It was brutal for a main event on a show that has four, four and a, four to five pretty solid matches. There are a couple with the biggest names on the show that are just awful. And the the funniest part was after the match. So after the match, we get. You know, we get a kid, a fan, climbs the uh, ring. Fan in quotation fan marks. In quotes. Let's Whoa. be real. Right. Climbs the ring, jumps over. 
I will say Hogan and Macho were laying some some shots on him for sure. They were trying to make it look pretty stiff. Hogan was showing more intensity than he had at any point in the match. And by the way, he pops right up at yep. any point. He yep. goes after this guy with more intensity than he went after Piper at any point in the match. And the announcers are like, "Oh, what's going on?" And the 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 kid gets dragged out. The fan, I say kid, I mean he was. 18 is 20 I don't know 20 young young someone but it was a bad way to end a show that from top to bottom when you go through a lot of what's on the show the first three matches are all fine the the third match is awesome and one of the best matches ever Darren said it might be the best WCW match ever and he may not be wrong the opener was really good the Kurt Henning Ric Flair match was above average and solid and you have a little nostalgia watching these two guys the Savage DDP match is pretty good. There are three or four other spots on this show, though, that are bad. The production stuff is bad. The backstage segments aren't very good. For guys like Ric Flair, Rowdy Roddy Piper, Macho Man, even for all the crap about Hulk Hogan, he has a lot of memorable promos through the years. He got none of that from any of those guys. Nothing that was memorable. Nothing that we were like, oh, yeah, that was a pretty solid little promo. I mean, I texted a couple of you guys yesterday and said, wow, Ciampa cut a great promo on Raw last night. I mean, we didn't get any promo that was good at all from any of these guys in any segment. All the stuff was off. It, you could just start to see some of the cracks. Can you, can you start make an argument see. on this show that the best promo anybody cut was Disco Inferno right before <laughs> he got chased off by Jacqueline? Sure, because there's there's nothing that was good from any of the other guys. They were noticeably bad from some people who are good workers, and it does show you that you know he's gone now, Vince, and we don't know what life will be like in the WWE without Vince. We did know that we saw NXT, and we've seen episodes of TV here and there where Vince may not have been completely around or had his fingerprints on everything, and th- the stuff has been fine. But the one thing that Vince always did, he was a, he was a stickler for the little things, the production stuff, and this show had a lot of those that were just off. That didn't that, and that that brings the show down a little bit as a whole. And what hurts the show is, like, if you flip flop just the last two matches, and you have DDP versus Macho Man as the main event, because this match isn't for the title, you probably feel a little bit better about the show. Overall, Andrew, because that last match is a little bit better, and we weren't kind of sitting around watching the crap at the end with Hogan. It wasn't for the title anyway, so they could have just put it on in the middle somewhere a little bit earlier on the card. But when you wait around for a match and it's like 15 or 20 minutes of just crap, and then you've got all these stings out there, the weird stuff with the fan jumping, it's just, it was kind of a, you feel like, damn, I could have turned it off. 15 or 20 minutes earlier and been fine So if they could have just Maybe realized that Oh yeah that was going to be a a crappy main event I think I would have felt a little bit better Because going through the show I didn't mind a lot of it Yeah it's one of those situations Where in a vacuum It's a good show But if you know Everything that was going on In WCW at the time and how every major WCW show ended. 
with about 10 or 12 NWO guys bum rushing the ring, doing a beatdown of some hapless baby face that nobody wanted to help until Sting repels from the rafters and wards everybody off with the baseball bat, except there's no Sting. And <laughs> there had to be no Sting because they decided that was the only way the main event was going to go on because reasons. Just terrific undercard. You have a match of the year in Rey Mysterio, Eddie Guerrero. Maybe the first, hour, the best the first 50 minutes yeah. to an hour is really good. Yeah, it might be the best WCW match ever. The only one that I can honestly think of that maybe, and I say maybe matches this because I don't know about you guys, I can't watch it. Bread against Benoit in Kansas City. Yeah, that was the Owen tribute. It, show the right tribute I think. match yeah where they basically gave those guys 25 minutes and said okay do whatever the heck you want maybe I'm sure we that can, comes close we, we might be able to find one or two other of the uh of the cruiserweight matches that would stack up pretty well you know but with the story that this added for the the ability of these two guys and how even what you had said Darren about what Ray said about this in that Two guys that were great tried to get something close to this again, and they couldn't. They felt like yeah. they couldn't. You know, yeah. it was it almost was, as it perfect was magic. as just yeah. magic. Yep. Yeah. I uh, know. Absolutely. And that's that's a common tale. Um, you know, it happens with a lot of guys. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Warrior, his greatest match. I, a lot of people would say it's Hogan at WrestleMania six. For me, I always liked like the Warrior Sav- Savage, Savage match at, at, at seven. You know, they tried to recreate it at SummerSlam 92, which was a fine match, but it wasn't yeah. as good as as WrestleMania. Um, you know, the Hogan-Andre stuff, nothing they ever did came close to WrestleMania 3. Um, you know, we saw a lot of times where, where Ric Flair and, and Ricky Steamboat would get together. Um, and they, I, I don't think their best match was their first. Um, but, you know, there is there is a high watermark there with one specific match like, like everything else. Um, so, but yeah, going back to watching that that match made made watching the entire pay per view worthwhile. And for me, this pay per view tells the story of WCW at the time, a tale of two companies, three great matches Absolutely. to start, or three very good matches to start with guys that are typically used undercard to mid card who are out there working their ass off, having great matches, and but matches get, that feel unimportant for the most part, they right? Feel the, unimportant. To, yeah. And what was good about the Eddie. Ray one is that it did feel more important with the story, with the mask, with Tanae out there talking about the two of them, with the announcers putting over Eddie as being more than just someone out there to open the show. You know, they were putting over Eddie like one of the best workers. So that match stands out. But you're right, Darren, for the most part, these great workers, they're just treated like afterthoughts on the show to like get the people warmed up and get the people in their seats. Yeah, that's 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 how I took it. Um you know, it, and and you could understand Andrew why if you are one of those guys like a Jericho and a Guerrero and a Rey Mysterio, you go back, you watch your match here, you see the work that you did, and then you go and you watch what the second half of this card you look like, and you probably sit there and you say to yourself, "What the hell am I doing here?" Exactly, especially because of how much money the guys up top were making to essentially not work that hard. I mean, when Scott Hall and Kevin Nash came in and they got those favored nations clauses, the second anyone else got hired, their salary went up by doing nothing, which by the way, reiterates how smart they were to negotiate those deals when they did. But it's one of those instances where you look, 
Chris Jericho darn near broke his neck on this show. You get Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero with one of the best matches either of them would ever have. And it's one of those things where a couple hours later, I don't want to say it's forgotten about, but people are seeing the same thing that they were seeing for most of the past year, the show ending with a whole bunch of guys in black and white t-shirts, bum rushing the ring, helping at, you know, beat up a hapless baby face. It gets old and WCW needed a spark. They would get one in the form of the guy that helped butcher the end of the Mongo Alex <laughs> match. Isn't that funny but, to think, right? Like looking yeah. at him at this moment, thinking where he would be and not that long. I know. Cause the thing is, this is our, this is October of 1997. He would win the title in the Georgia dome less than a year later. Yeah. From Hogan. He is green as uh, grass right here too. It's not like yeah. he wasn't when he won the title, but he is. And by the way, Hogan never got his win back. That's the one guy. He yeah. never got Great his point. win back. Which, so, by the way, brings up a pretty interesting question. How long until someone in Saudi Arabia decides they want Hulk Hogan? <laughs> <laughs> you you've predicted some awful things, Andrew, and so I don't even want I don't even want you to summon this again. But uh <laughs> but it, it'll be it'll be Hulk and Nick Hogan against Rick and Charlotte Flair. Oh, you're oh, right. No, it put a triple threat match with Gage and Goldberg in there, there. there with go. Gage. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So can we get Braun Breaker and and Rick Steiner in there, please? Somehow. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, let's let's get to DZ. DZ, you have the next pick. And in talking with you about the show that we were going to have, there are going to be some familiar faces from the show that we just discussed. We're going to see a Rey Mysterio. We're going to see a Chris Jericho. We're going to see a Ric Flair. We're going to see an Eddie Guerrero. So lots that we saw on this card, we'll end up seeing on the card that we're going to take a look at next. Tell us where we're headed. Yeah, it is still SummerSlam season, even though that they had it pretty early this year. So I thought it would be uh, fitting to do a SummerSlam. And I asked you because um, it's widely considered the best SummerSlam of all time. Uh, And some people could debate a couple of the others. But if you go through a lot of a lot of people that that write about wrestling and do podcasts, uh, a lot of people have this one number one, and it's it's uh, SummerSlam 2002. Uh, of course, it's the main event of Brock Lesnar as a quote unquote heel, even though he's got the crowd all behind him against The Rock. Uh, you have Shawn Michaels in his first match back after four years against Triple H, and my God, is that just an unbelievable, unbelievable match! Um, it's unfortunate that there's an Intercontinental Title match that's really good with Voldemort and Rod Van Dam. But it's actually uh, a very good match. Yeah, it's Eddie good. Guerrero fights Edge. Ric Flair fights Chris Jericho. And the opener, get this one, is Kurt Angle versus Rey Mysterio in 2002 in what is just a bang-up opening match. So uh, it, is, it is a really good card. One, one thing I'll throw out to you guys. So when I picked it and I just started looking through some rankings, you know, to see where guys had different SummerSlams. And again, this one often comes up as number one. And then I got to one of them. And I start flipping through. And I'm looking for one specific SummerSlam. And I'm like, where the hell did I miss it? And I keep going up. I'm like, it can't be this far down. It can't be this far down. One guy had SummerSlam 91 as the 30th SummerSlam or the really? worst SummerSlam of all time. And the line said the 1991 SummerSlam was mostly crap. That would have been a lot lower if not for the heart perfect 
having a classic match for the Intercontinental title. I thought main eventing with Savage Elizabeth Wedding was the wrong decision, but the fans liked it. The The show had the, the Virgil DiBiase thing. Which it was had, great. Which was great. It had the Legion of Doom Nasty Boy match, which was awesome. It was a brawl. It had the six-man tag to start. It had... um. Oh, uh, what was perfect and then perfect, per- obviously. Perfect, yeah, perfect and heart. And then it had Hogan Warrior with the Triangle of Terror, whatever you want to, you know, call from that. But I'm sitting there and I'm like, mostly crap. <laughs> Come on, what are we talking about? I can, uh, the one thing that he said that I understand, and I'm not saying I agree with it because of what it meant at the time. It's impossible to rewatch the Savage Elizabeth wedding. Well, nobody it's watches it. No, nobody watches it. Nobody no. watches it. No. But at the moment, oh, it was a big deal. It was fantastic and outstanding. It's just it. it oh, and it wait, man, boss, boss man, Mountie with the with yep. going to jail. Yeah, I mean, that was you had, fun. You, that had, was you, fun. Had, you had a you had a four match stretch of perfect and heart, boss man, Mountie, LOD, nasty boys, DiBiase, Virgil, crap. And not only that, speaking as somebody who was there, one of the most insane crowds I've ever seen in my life from start to finish. So we're in the SummerSlam season. We're going to talk SummerSlam 2002, one of the all-time best from top to bottom. That'll be next on the old wrestling rewatch. So when we're recording this, it's August the 9th. Some of you will probably hear this uh, a few days afterwards. We'll probably have a week in between because Andrew's actually heading up to Saratoga for a few days. So we're going to take one, uh, one week off. And then when we return, we'll be talking SummerSlam 2002. AC, have a fun time up there, my friend. I hope you make some money, safe travels up there. Tell everyone if they need some help with Saratoga, where they can find some of your work. Sure, you can take a look at andrewchampagne.com. I'll have full card analysis, selections, and bankroll plays for each day at Saratoga. Uh, We're recording this on Tuesday, August 9th. I'm coming off of probably my best week of the season, so starting to heat up a little bit as we head towards the midway point of the summer. Going up there, actually, the first couple of days, I'm going to be at a conference. Uh, The wonderful folks at Katina Media are paying for me to go to the racing and gaming conference up there. Really looking forward to that. There's some really heavy hitting panels there, both on gambling and on horse racing that I'm looking forward to being at. And then after that, spending some time with family, watching horses turn left before I fly back to the Bay Area. Going to be a lot of fun. Really looking forward to that. But for all of my Saratoga stuff, andrewchampagne.com or on Twitter at at andrewchampagne. Also, if you're in the Saratoga area, go pick up a pink sheet. You'll be able to find all my stuff there. DZ, uh, oh, before I get to you, Andrew, you're going to like this one. I just saw they're going to have a Tales from the Territories premiering October That's the 4th be so on Vice. Good. Yeah, and, the and Dark the Side of the Ring people. apparently involved with his company, uh, Seven Bucks. That's going to be really good. It, it does bother me a little bit that that's probably the replacement for Dark Side of the Ring, which they have yeah. said they're not going to do much anymore. A lot of but the creators. I, I am, yeah, and I understand why they're not going to do more Dark Side of the Ring stuff because those stories Dark Side of the Ring told, they're heavy. The only somewhat fun one that you can say they told was Brawl for All because everyone involved understands mm-hmm. how stupid it was, but... They that stir up so, a lot of bad stuff. They do. They exactly. bring up a lot of, the, yeah. I mean, the plane ride from hell stuff, it canceled flair for maybe five minutes, justifiably so. But you start rehashing a lot of stuff. It's heavy. And I don't blame them for wanting to do something that 
maybe at least a little more lighthearted. So 2002 SummerSlam is where we head next. DZ, what's going on over at Twin Spires? What are you, uh, have you been up to lately, and where, uh, what can we find from you? Yeah, we uh, I'm uh, focused on Saratoga through the meet, just like uh, just like Andrew is. We give out uh, selections for every race, every every day that they run up there uh, on TwinSpires.com and through the app. We do a couple of minute video for each race with some in depth analysis in addition to the selections. Uh, we put out some bet back. We have a great promo all meet long at Saratoga. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we do four races every day uh, with a bet back offer of, of $10, where if you bet the horse to win, your horse runs second, uh, you get the $10 back. We also do exact insurance at Saratoga on Sunday, as well as a couple of other tracks on, on Friday and Saturday. Uh, we have uh, a couple of cool other promotions coming up that we'll be announcing in the not too distant future. So uh, stay tuned for that. But yeah, a lot of focus on horse racing uh, moving forward with Twin Spires and uh, yeah, just uh, excited for the second half of the year as we build our way on up to the Breeders' Cup. And uh, I, I listen, still got uh, nearly a month left of Saratoga. So who's got it better than Andrew and I? <laughs> DZ and Andrew, uh, you can hear them on That's What G Said, talking old wrestling. Always bring them on to talk some uh, racing. We'll talk. We'll have to get the two of you together before Saratoga finishes up, maybe uh, Lee Travers uh, Day or one of the uh, the big days. Um, in the in the coming weekends to handicap that, that some race, races, that there. race is shaping up. That it could be it could be an epic addition uh, of the track. Can I just say something right now? Yeah. Yes. I really, 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 really hope Nest runs because Epicenter would blow her freaking doors off. <laughs> I love this, Andrew, with a strong opinion wow. right now, and we'll uh, we'll talk more about that. In the coming days and weeks Thanks so much AC uh, DZ Good pick on the next one For SummerSlam 2002 That's where we'll be headed And hopefully we can talk Some uh, current wrestling soon Where things look like They're really moving nicely In uh, WWE's favor With Triple H in control of creative Folks, don't go anywhere Still a lot more to come On this episode of That's What G Said That's gonna do it for This episode of That's What G Said Thank you to Eric Thank you to Koopaloop To Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali Those four have been on more shows than any others Um, We could not be doing this show if it wasn't for those guys So it it was cool to have all of them on this one episode all together And uh, them two and Tim Kelly and Matt Velasco Have been two of the, you know, other major, major helps So thanks to everyone for helping out Good luck to all of you this weekend in your plays Del Mar, Saratoga, Louisiana And we'll be back next week with a lot more We have a Thor uh, uh, recap coming up Full deep dive on Thor Love and Thunder And then we'll start getting into She-Hulk There are going to be more Star Wars talk Coming up in the, the next few weeks And we'll continue on with Louisiana, Del Mar We'll continue on with Saratoga And NFL just a few weeks out We'll talk some football, college football NFL each week right here On That's What G Said